If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Let's rustle up some headphones here because I can't hear what's going on here. No doubt an act of all-out sabotage as is taking place here on the Curtis Lee Show. Originally, remember, we used to run from 1 in the morning to 6 in the morning. Well, we've had an extra hour added on. Let's see if these headphone jammies work here. To the tune of James Brown. I'm black and I'm proud. Let's see. We're going to plug it in here. See see what happens. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Godfather of sound. Soul brother number one, James Brown from the big one, two, five. As we have swapped out the crew from the Rita Cosby show. No Dominic Carter tonight. So it's six hours of yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. And it seems like it's an all-brothers affair on the other side of the bulletproof glass. How come I'm in a studio with bulletproof glass? I ask that, ladies and gentlemen. The only person, the only person here who broadcasts at WABC that have to do so behind bulletproof glass. You don't see my kumbadichi, Trudy Giuliani, broadcasting behind bulletproof glass, no. Uh, you don't see uh, Lieutenant Colonel Greg Kelly. You don't see Sid and Bernie. You don't see any of the other personalities, and certainly not the Mangalooch, the Mamaluk, the uh, Mashad, Frank Morano. You don't see any of them behind bulletproof glass. Why is it that I'm the person that has to be behind bulletproof glass? Well, maybe it's symptomatic of the kind of life that I've led. But earlier today... The Academy Awards came down with a decision that did a clunk out on Will Smith. It means that for the next 10 years, a full decade, Will Smith is persona non grata. So any Academy Award votes, any Academy Award ceremonies, any Academy Award functions, he is not invited. He's going to have to be on the outside looking in. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be nominated for awards. And ironically, potentially win the awards. But he cannot have a place sitting and watching the Academy Awards live and in person. And I'm wondering, does this finally bring this entire drama to a close? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way. I know that many of you are in an age range where you have no idea of what the, uh, uh, what can we call it, for um, um, millennials, hipsters, or more importantly, boomers like myself, TikTok. 
It's really for much younger people. I use TikTok during the uh, general campaign to run for man. I continue to use it. And I have about 130, 150,000 followers because I know how to blow up those TikTok videos. You can't just post a video. There's got to be some real hook to it. And so WABC is on the road to having established its own TikTok portfolio of the various shows that you can see on WABCradio.tv. Although, once again, well, what is it? It says the Rita Cosby Show. Well, why, why is it I'm not on the boob tube? Have we ever figured that out? You start in the morning, right? You have Sid and Bernie. Their ufacha brut is on the boob tube. You go throughout the day. And then when Frank Morano is on with the other side of midnight, it's on video. But for Curtis Lewa, am I a person of no consequence? What did I do in my life not to deserve this, especially since I am Lens Lice? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So uh, for all of you, you got to get on the WABC page to see the TikTok videos. You are going to see a TikTok video that is going to blow your mind. Our general manager, our capo di tutti, Chad Lopez, took me out into the um, assembly area. I'll call it the stage area here where we conduct many of our events in video. And he took a Will Smith slap at me and uh, hit me so hard that my, my head almost spun around on my shoulders like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. I kid you not. This guy, former Navy guy, right, used to be on the aircraft carriers. Jets would be landing. Jets would be taking off. He wouldn't blink. He wouldn't He wouldn't move. And the crew here said, go ahead, hit Curtis. Do a Will Smith to him. And I smiled like Chris Rock hit him. And, man, he hit me and my head just spun around on my shoulders. But you can only see it exclusively on the WABC TikTok page. So if you're able to negotiate your way through the app, through the other mechanisms that you have to establish to regularly look at our TikTok page, please give me a call and let me know what you think. Or if you've negotiated your way to the Curtis Sliwa TikTok page, and then you see how I just blow those videos up. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I'm thinking it's time we slam the lid on this old Will Smith Chris Rock affair. I think with him apologizing, not threatening any kind of lawsuits, although the only moving part in all of this drama is Chris Rock has taken the code of Omerta. He hasn't said anything. Let's wind you back to what kicked it off in what seems to be a lifetime ago, but it's only about a month ago at the Academy Awards ceremony when Chris Rock in doing uh, a few lines up on stage before presenting an award. He was not one of the hosts. There were three separate hostesses. He was not a host. But he decided to pop a joke at Will Smith's white, Jada Pinkett Smith, never trust anybody with three names. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? (laughs) That was it, right? It was over. Then all of a sudden, Will Smith scraped the barnacles off his backside, got his rear in gear, went up on that stage, and it was the slap heard round the world. Now, did I react like that when Frank Morano dissed and dismissed me, huh? 
Whatever questions you have on any subject, I will do my best to answer them. Now, what can you ask questions about? Anything you want. You have questions about uh, what's happening in my family life? You're welcome to ask them. You have questions about what's happening in the news? You're welcome to ask them. Questions about radio? You're welcome to ask them. You want to know um, you know, how bald Curtis Lee really is? You're welcome to ask it. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask anything and everything. Ah, you noticed, Dizzy Izzy, how he slipped me a mickey. You want to know how bald Curtis Lee is, right? He thought that I would come out of my crypt, my 328-square-foot apartment that I share with my wife, Nancy, who, by the way, was on the Jesse Waters show tonight. I don't know if you happen to see. It was uh, my wife, Nancy, and Blondie, two of the guardian angels who are part of the perv busters, who go around trying to catch these guys who are constantly perving women, trying to prove to women they're not suffering from erectile dysfunction. Oh, I, I think they did a great job. If you happen to have seen Jesse Waters earlier this evening on the Fox News Channel, and you happen to see the two blondies, happen to be my wife, Nancy, and uh, the woman whose actually nickname is Blondie, both guardian angels, both member of the Purr Busters, uh, and what a great job they did in uh, basically uh, telling the pervs what they can expect out there. An attitudinal readjustment. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But, you know, you would think that we could slam the lid on this, that we could do away with this discussion about Will Smith, Chris Rock, the Academy Awards, bag it and wait for another year, right? Nope. No, because PBS won't let it go. PBS continues to have long-form conversations about how this goes back to 1619, how it's part of the uh, actual abuse that African Americans have had to uh, put up with for close to 400 years. And I'm saying, wait a second, this is abuse of black-on-black. This is like black-on-black crime. Nope. Its roots trace back to 1619. Talk about... Black pain as it relates to Jada Pinkett Smith in this moment um, and to black women. Um, Was Chris Rock's joke about her shaved head, did it go beyond an insensitivity to her medical condition, alopecia, but did it also um, hit at issues surrounding black beauty? Well, there she did. She triggered it (laughs) 400 years. Wait. Wait, this professor from Hunter College, it had to be Hunter College, New York City, very liberal, very progressive, gave us more. And he shows up on the Stephen Colbert show. Dizzy is he. I knew I knew you wouldn't be able to handle it. Look way down on the bottom of the page there. You see number twenty one, right? You got it? Let, let's see if you Talk can hit that. About- black pain as it relates to Jada Pinkett Smith in this moment um, and to black women. Um, Was Chris Rock's joke about her shaved head, did it go beyond an insensitivity to her medical condition, alopecia, but did it also um, hit at issues surrounding black beauty? We'll get you. We'll get you on track here. I know it's a little difficult to dizzy Izzy when, uh, you know, it's a, I give you four different lines there. Now, you know, if it was one singular line and it, if, uh, it was um, 
it was a rap a rap line, you'd be able to knock it out of the ballpark. But this is a little complicated for you. Now, we're going to go to Jim Carrey. You think you could hit Jim Carrey here? I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood is just spineless, en masse. And uh, it just, it really felt like, oh, this is a really clear indication that uh, we're not the cool club anymore. Can we put this to bed, ladies and gentlemen, because Jim Carrey has said he's retiring from stage, screen, podcast. Because remember, all these thespians now, they have to do a podcast. Everybody has to do a podcast. Uh, My dentist does a podcast. My plumber does a podcast. They want me to listen to their podcast. I don't have time. I don't have time. Everybody in the world... They were on the train earlier today. Curtis, you got to listen to my podcast. Yeah, my quan am I. What kind of time do I have to listen to your podcast? But then again, listen to what Jim Carrey had to say because it may give us a clue as to what Kid Rock make that Chris Rock might do. They asked Chris, do you want to file charges? And Chris apparently said, no, he did not. He doesn't want the hassle. I, I'd have, I'd have uh, for, announced this morning that I was suing Will for $200 million because that video is going to be there forever. It's going to be ubiquitous. Uh, and then the standard that I've always taken, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Is that this was like a pimp slap, like a bitch slap, like a slap boxing. I don't know if any of you are aware of it or ever had ever engaged in slap boxing, but and in fact, this was a fugazi slap. Very similar to what I did on TikTok. And hopefully you can negotiate your way and see all of the TikTok posts here at WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. How you doing, James? I'm good. What's up, man? Another thing, but this, this Chris Rock, Will Smith thing, he never hit them. They're actors. Don't people really... You were watching the best actors in the world of this day, and they're actors. It was so you think strange. it was so you think this was all a setup, and he didn't hit him right camera angle. Somebody put the sound effect in, and you got a smack, and then whoa, I got hit. Like it was like it was like watching a movie being made in real time. Look at the difference in size. Not only that, Will Smith he, he made the Muhammad Ali movie. He was he knows how to punch for fake. I mean, well, he did it open hand. It was an open hand slap, right? You can see that open hand slap delivered against me by our own general manager, the Capo di Tutti, uh, Chad Lopez. If you go to our TikTok page at WABC, exclusive to that page. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I so badly want to put this to rest. 1-800-848-9222. But I know we can't because all of a sudden, uh, Chris Rock's been like an ostrich with his head in the ground. His brother, Tony, who I never knew was a performer, my God, he runs his mouth a, a mile a minute, a horrible comedian, uh, has been boasting and toasting that he would knock Will Smith's block uh, right off of his shoulders. But meantime, it's from a person of no consequence. But Chris Rock, the uh, person that gets smacked, I wonder if, in fact, there's going to be some kind of lawsuit. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, you would think with the Academy's decision today to ban Will Smith, 
for the next 10 years. It's over, right? It's over. I have a feeling it's not. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Michael, who is first up in the queue, calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. So, listen, I just wanted to talk about this mandate and how Mayor Adams allowed, you know, the unvaccinated players to play. But it's like people like me who have been going to college, community college out in Queens for almost two years already. I'm about to get my degree. I can't go to school because I'm not vaccinated. And ironically, I didn't know that going into the semester. And I go to school on my first day and they tell me I need to be vaccinated or have a religious exception. And that the vaccine process takes over four weeks to complete. And by then I'll be kicked out. So within 48 hours, I go to the bishop of my church. He handwrites me a letter, signs it. And then it's not good enough for the school. So now the school dropped my classes because I'm not vaccinated. And now I'm not in school. And now I just have the hope that the vaccine mandate gets dropped for next semester so I can go. And it's like they let, you know, Kyrie Irving, these unvaccinators play. And they haven't even won a championship in forever. They haven't won one since they even came to Brooklyn. And God knows last time the New Jersey Nets even won a championship. So it's just not fair. It's not right. And it's just it's not right for me, for people who can't go to school. And it's definitely not right for all the city workers and everyone else who got fired because of the mandate. Well, of course, of course. It's uh, a double standard. Uh, Eric Adams, the mayor, cut out uh, an exception for millionaire ball players uh, to benefit the billionaire owners who donated mightily to his campaign. They gave me Jack Diddley squad. I didn't get any money from any of these whales who own these uh, major league teams uh, in the New York area when I was running for mayor. But uh, the big problem uh, awaiting our city is that there are 4,000 police officers for the NYPD who are waiting what the follow-up is to their their um, uh, placement of their religious exemption. Uh, they've uh, put into the department a religious exemption not to receive the vaccine. They're still awaiting to hear the final word. And, Michael, many of them may end up losing their job. Now, you can imagine, as bad as it is for you as a student not to be able to go to school, uh, you can imagine what it would be like uh, to have 4,000 less cops in a city with a tremendous crime rate just skyrocketing uh, as we speak. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, even just yesterday, my mom has to take the train to and from work to the city. She gets off right by Times Square. And yesterday she texted me when she gets off the train saying that there was a homeless guy playing with his pecker on the train as she's coming home. And this is what she had to witness, you know. Yeah, and you see, Michael, uh, not only your mother, but other women out there, uh, they are the majority of the workforce now. They are not going to be returning uh, to the uh, workplace if they have to go through a phalanx of pervs. Uh, Number two, they're not going to be going out to bars and restaurants at night and certainly not clubs uh, and enjoying the uh, nightlife, as uh, Mayor Eric Adams says. He likes to... uh, he likes to sample the nightlife. Well, without women there, you're not going to attract any guys to go to these bars, these restaurants, these gin mills, and these nightclubs. So if you don't make it safer and the women decide to stay at home, 
then obviously nightlife will dry up. And most importantly, these uh, huge office buildings that are like 60% empty at this point. We are the largest city uh, with the slowest recovery in the aftermath of the lockdown and pandemic. Uh, Without the women uh, coming, then uh, there's going to continue to be work being done from the home. And quite frankly, when you think of it, working from your home, if you're capable of doing that, may actually be beneficial to your quality of life. We're going to discuss this later on as we uh, talk about the upsurge of unions here locally, but more importantly, people staying at home doing virtual work. Jamie Dimon of Chase uh, about a month ago said, you got to come back to work, you got to come back to work. And the worker said, no, we don't. And then all of a sudden he waved the white flag last week and he said, "Ah, could you come back like two or three days a week? And he said, we'll think about it. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. How are you, Mr. Sleeper? Thank you for taking my call. Hold on a second, Tommy. Let me give you the Robert Rules of Order of how this program is run from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. There is uh, decorum. There are rules and regulations. Don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm going to simply tell you I've had better days. Don't thank me for taking your call because I've already solicited calls within the first uh, 25 minutes ad nauseum. I should be thanking you. And by the way, I don't know who you are when I'm picking your call because it comes up through the algorithms. And then lastly, don't ever say, hey, first time caller, long time listener, because that is just a euphemism that is a stain, on talk radio. Hey, Kabish, Kabish, Tommy, Kabish. Kabish, Kabish. Uh, yeah, yeah, I run with the wise guys in the airport. Don't worry. Yes, yeah, I drive right. a truck in there, New York. Anyway, I apologize if I insulted you or anything. Nah, nah, I nah, want nah. you to know. I'm used to I that. come from Romania. I was uh, born in Romania, and my parents escaped from there, and I had to live without them. And me and my two, three brothers came, uh, two brothers came in 1971, and we kissed the ground that we came here in America. And we have to wait six years to become American citizens. And we are very grateful to be in this country, but I think the communists followed us. <laughs> so Ceausescu, okay. the spirit? Ceausescu, uh, yes. They, they shot him like a dog and his wife on Christmas Day, Mr. Sliwa. Oh, I remember. Not a bad thing to do, huh? I remember. No, no, he deserved every bullet. He deserved it. Because uh, the secret police came to my school and they put me in a doghouse. In front of all the students, right? You think any of the students are going to talk to me anymore? After that, no way. <laughs> they said, this is the enemy. His parents are in America. Don't talk to him. Now, was this, uh, was this in Bucharest? This was in 1970. Yeah, in Bucharest, yes. Now, That's you do, you do realize I've, I've run across many people from Romania who live in uh, Queens who uh, are called Roma people, gypsies. Uh, did you live near any of those gypsy encampments? Yeah, gypsies are gypsies. They come from India. Oh, no, originally, you're uh, absolutely right. A lot of people don't know that, and they've spread yeah, all over the they globe. Came, and they got their name from the Greeks. Uh, they said that they came from Egypt, and the Greeks said, Egypto, Egypto, so they call Gifto, Gifto. Anyway... Uh, my little question to you says, uh, I play soccer. I love soccer. Haji is my cousin from Romania, number 10, that played in the World Cup. We're Macedonians, okay, from northern Greece, okay? And are you still there, sir? You said the evil word, soccer. Soccer. Yes, I know you, you hate soccer. That's why I wanted to 
ask yourself, why do you hate soccer? I mean, uh, I don't know. I heard that. I think. I, I yeah, think no, no, I you're that. absolutely right. Uh, it's my one son, my youngest son, Hunter, who loves uh-huh. soccer. You know, he's like constantly yeah, kicking. I'm not getting the... offended by any of it. It's all right because, you know, he's lucky he's my son or I break his uh-huh. leg and stuff it in his pocket. You like to kick well, ball? Maybe, you like to kick maybe ball? I can coach him. Kick maybe ball. I can coach him. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want my son playing good old fashioned American smash mouth football. You got it, sir. Well, you do what you got to do. This is America. And you can do whatever. Hey, right. uh, can I ask you a question about the baseball thing, okay? Of course. Please? Why do they call it the World Series in America <laughs> when America does not play any other country, sir? <laughs> this is why I have a problem with The uh, Yankees are called the world champions. I cannot stomach that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. We are so pompous, so arrogant, you know? so pretentious that we think the whole world should follow whatever yeah. we say. So other than... Uh, well, I don't take it personally. You know, I'm just saying that I no, don't no, think it's right. That's no, all. no, you're, you're right. Not... When, when they say World Cup for soccer, they are correct. Because yeah, most of the world... participates. Right. The whole world, exactly, sir. But other than the United States, when it comes yep. to uh, baseball, then you have a team in Toronto. You have participants who come from Central America, who come from South America, who come from the West Indies, the Caribbean... Uh, you have some who come from Asia, but other than that, it's really you're cor- you're absolutely correct. It is not a World Series, so I got to give you credit for that, Tommy. Thank you so much. There's some goombas in Staten Island, boy, they chased me out of there one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Anyway, may God God bless you, sir, and your family, Thank you. and keep us, Thank you, keep Tommy. up the good work. Tommy, Tommy from the land of Ceausescu, uh, Romania. The oppressive Romania, when it was led by that autocrat, that totalitarian communist dictator, Ceausescu, who got a few bullets in his head. He deserved every one of it. Uh, And he's right. He's right about that. But uh, he got chased, uh, the Goombas chased him out of Staten, Italy out there. It's because he probably didn't pretend to be an Italian. You know, Macedonians, like he mentioned. Uh, those who are from Albania, they're always pretending to be Italians. You know, that, that could spare you uh, a headache uh, when all of a sudden you're surrounded in a place like Staten, Italy. Our number is one 800 848 Oh, yeah. Gangnam Style. Doesn't it sound like he's talking about condoms originally? This used to be a one-hit wonder. Behind the kimchi curtain of South Korea, this song became number one right across the world. We've never heard the artist again, have we? Not at all. Open Gangnam Style. Oh, yeah. As we approach Palm Sunday, what have you listeners given up for Lent? I'd like to give up Frank Morano. Oh, yeah, I got it. I got it in for him later on in the show. You can't go to sleep. You got to raise the roof. You got to keep you got to keep the energy pumping and jumping at six o'clock because I got a lot to get off of my chest. And my chest feels uh, in these wee hours of the morning like I just got hit by a Mack truck. 
No, the only thing I generally get hit by uh, yellow cabs. Guys, I'm a little too quick for them. But somehow I'm always getting hit by yellow cabs. Not this time. Maybe it's sort of like memory muscles. Because, man, I got pains and strains. Trinity Rehab, where are you when I need you? But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, what have you given up for Lent as we approach Palm Sunday? And remember, I am an AMP Catholic, ashes on uh, Wednesday, palms on Sunday, and then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Frank out in Staten, Italy. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank. Hey, Curtis. Good evening. Okay, I guess I'll talk about the slap just just a moment. And, you know, the thing with Jada Pinkett Smith that she has this uh, the alopecia condition and all that, but, but the media doesn't always mention this other famous person, uh, this woman who has it. She's one of the squad ladies, uh, uh, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. She had a beautiful head of hair, and then she got alopecia, and now she's bald. And it's, it's kind of weird looking, you know, with like like a Star Trek Vulcan. She looks like, you know, being African-American and bald, uh, a lady. But, yeah, she's bald because of the alopecia. And the very next day, I wanted to see her reaction to what had happened at the Oscars. And, yeah, she really did support the slapping that Will Smith gave to uh, Chris Rock. But I hate the squad ladies anyway. They're terrible. Yeah, now, uh, you know, to actually uh, to have a bald head uh, has been a fashion statement if you didn't have uh, a problem like alopecia. But to have had a bald head through the years as a woman, regardless of your color, you really stood out in the crowd because everybody would pay attention to you. I mean, let's face it, all the other women would be all dolled up, spending a lot of time on their hair, depending on what kind of hair they had, curly hair, straight hair, uh, jerry curl hair, whatever kind of hair they had. Meantime, you have a baldy. You don't have to spend any time. You don't even have to wax it up like... uh, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, man, you could tell when they waxed up with that Simonized wax. When they're on WABCRadioTV.com, all of a sudden you see lights emerging from their chrome dome. But go ahead, Frank. Yeah, it's like weird. I, actually, it happened to me once I got on a job interview. Um, I, I, had to, I, I went uptown for a job interview uh, for, for like a teaching thing um, at this library, which is near Columbia University. And I met with these two ladies, and one of them was bald. Now, this was a white woman, and she was bald because I probably for for maybe it was like a disease or she was taking chemotherapy. I don't know, but it, it was. I tried the best I could to stare. Not to stare at her scalp, you know, to try to stay on the topic of the job interview and things like that. But it's, you know, and I could see the lady like looking at me, challenging me. It was body language, challenging me to stare at her bald head. And in the end, I never got that job. Forget about it. Yeah, I could see. I could see easily how you were not going to get that job. Oh, my God, Frank. You went in there and started eye-fornicating her because she had a, a chrome dome, a bald head, who have been some of the most infamous and famous women in the history of the world who have had chrome domes, who have had no hair on the top of their head. 1-800-848-9222. There's 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, there was a very famous situation involving Saturday Night Live. 
the appearance of this uh, woman in which she decided to rip up the picture of the Pope at that time. Who am I talking about? 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. And actually, any of the other many, many women through history who either decided to have a bald chrome dome or have not been able to grow hair because of alopecia or other problems in terms of their hair growth. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tom calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Good morning, Curtis. Nice that we got an extra hour of theater of mind with you, Curtis. Yeah, but you know what, Tom, is uh, a little uh, technology here. They gave him an extra hour starting at 12 midnight, and yet they took an hour from me uh, Sunday night going into Monday. I used to go from 9 p.m. to 1 because they wanted Dominic and Frank to be back-to-back belly-to-belly because they're so (laughs) coochie-coochie. All right. I just wanted to say this. It's all this Will Smith stuff. Slap the herd around the world. You know, it's getting old. But I do have – I guess the chivalry is dead now, right? You know, I mean, a guy was being chivalrous or something. I don't know. Anyway, what's next now? So uh, how bold are you anyway, Eric Curtis? I'm losing it more and more myself each day. Now, hold on a second. So you are reacting to uh, the savagery. Savaduzzi. Of Frank Morano, who was talking about me being bold. Whatever questions you have on any subject, I will do my best to answer them. Now, what can you ask questions about? Anything you want. You have questions about uh, what's happening in my family life? You're welcome to ask them. You have questions about what's happening in the news? You're welcome to ask them. Questions about radio? You're welcome to ask them. You want to know um, you know, how bald Curtis Lee really is? You're welcome to ask it. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask anything and everything. You see how he slipped that in, Tom? He's disparaging you, DeCurtis. Yeah, but you see, he'll act like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, he he, (laughs) he went on this long discussion of all the questions you could ask him, and then he slipped me a Mickey at the very end. You know, Zed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so you do play Skelly, huh? I haven't played in years. I'm about to play with you one day. I love Skelly. You know, I saw it over the summer when I was running for mayor. I was uh, at the Gowanus Public Housing Projects in the Gowanus section of Brooklyn, uh, that's when that 16-year-old girl got shot and killed by gang members on bicycles. Uh, they have yet to solve that uh, crime problem. And as I was walking around the uh, projects, talking to a lot of the homies hanging out, they were playing Tom Skelly, except they were older. They were in their 20s, and they were playing for money. And they weren't bending over and hitting the bottle caps with their fingers. They were kicking the caps with their feet as they were going from box to box. And, I mean, there was a lot of money on the ground to be made, Tom. Wow. I, I never played it. I always played it with my finger. I never played it with my foot. Yeah, well, no, they, and they were gambling. Because I, I said to myself, there's no way guys in their 20s are going to be playing unless there's some cash, cold cash involved, as if they were uh, shooting uh, dice or maybe shooting a CeeLo. That's with three dice instead of two dice. But there it is. They were playing Skelly with the bottle caps that had been filled in with wax, so it made it like uh, a heavier heavier weight, and they were kicking it with with their feet from box to box. I used to put lead in one. 
Yeah. Melt the lead, you put it in the bottle cap. That's hey, right. I got a question for you. Yes, yes. About yes. the vaccine, you know, this vaccine mandate is so unjust. You know, it's just wrong. And, and the reason the mandates in all these pharmaceutical companies are to get rich along with the people who invested. You know, you got to follow the money. That's what it's about. Follow all, that money. All you got to do is follow Pfizer. You ask yourself, do they make yep. more money selling Viagra or did they make more money selling the COVID uh, uh, vaccine? You got to take one every, every now. It's going to be one every six months now. The thing. Yeah, and today, uh, when I was coming over here earlier in the day, I was on uh, it was the the E train, and uh, it was about I'd say a third of the people were not wearing masks. Tom, it was right about when school was letting out. A lot of the young people they no longer wear masks uh, whatsoever. So this Asian guy comes up to me and goes, I'm ashamed of you. Why aren't you wearing your mask? And I said, because I choose not to wear a mask. And then he, oh, you disappoint me. You disappoint me. It's like, guy, we got to get over this. As Boris Johnson in the U.K. said, we're going to have to live with COVID-19 and all of its variants maybe forever, forever. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's Dan calling New York. Do you have the answer of the bald woman that I was talking about who made an appearance on Saturday Night Live, Dan? Yeah, Curtis, that would be Sinead O'Connor. That's right, Sinead O'Connor, almost uh, fully bald. She had a little... uh, Little, uh, what can we call them? Little uh, Brussels sprouts uh, that were growing on her hair. But you're right. She was dancing and prancing on Saturday Night Live and then ripped up a picture of the Pope. I think it was Pope John Paul at that time. As an Irish person, I'm disgraced by her. But I got one question for you. Can you tell me the actual title of that Putin song? I, I, when I go to my, uh, uh, my daughter's house with the Alexa crap, I, I got I to get that going on. I just don't. Uh, what's what's the title of that? And which song is that, Dan? That Putin, you know, with the peepee on the bed. Nah, that, that you know that uh, that one you play, you've played before. Uh, the Putin, Putin, Putin song. You know the one. The, like the disco song, whatever the hell it is. Oh wow! I play a lot of disco songs. I tell you what. Um, let's uh, pick. Let's see if, uh, because we have so much music here that you're not really going to hear anywhere else. Give you one uh, moment here because we want to figure this out, see if we can help him uh, in determining this because there's so many dance songs that I've liked over the years. But uh, let's go to 86. Let's go to 86 here, uh, Dizzy Izzy, uh, of the uh, playlist. Let's tune it up. Tune it up there. This is number one with a bullet in Moscow in the seven towers of Stalin. Yeah, they have discos there till the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Well, you can't go there now, obviously. There's a moratorium on travel. But if you could, you've got to go into the seven towers of Stalin where the disco beat goes on to the wee hours of the morning. The ladies are going to be trying to uh, negotiate for a green card because they want to be your mail-order bride. And then, of course, there the casinos will take every ruble that you have. And naturally, dollars are preferred. So I think... uh, I think that's what Dan is talking about. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. 
Uh, let's go, if we can, to Frank, who's calling from New York. He'll turn to be heard here on WABC, Frankie. Hey, Curtis, good to talk to you. Hey, I just want to say I remember seeing you many years ago back in the neighborhood in Brooklyn. I live up in the Poconos now. But I remember seeing you on Larma Street. You were going to the Orlando Funeral Home in Larma Street in the uh, Italian section of Williamsburg back then because one of your guys, their mom passed. You and the Angels came. I remember that. I saw you having a slice of pizza at the San Marco Pizza on Larma Street and Metropolitan Avenue. But uh, yeah, wow, you got a you got a really good memory now. Which part of the Poconos, the sixth borough of the city of New York, are you residing in now? Now I'm living up in the Poconos. Now I'm up in right near Mount Pocono. I'm like seven minutes up the road from the Mount Airy Lodge Casino. Sure, and it's amazing. Uh, all of the New Yorkers uh, who have oh either my gosh, yeah, who have fled Brooklyn, there, and Queens up here. Right, fled there, or they work uh, as civil servants. Uh, oh, yeah. And then they'll take a two-hour bus ride each and every day in order to have a better quality of life up there, more affordable housing, and better schooling, public schooling, than you'll find in New York City. Yeah, it was that was something that there was a developer up here back in the 90s who got the idea. He started putting flyers. He started in Co-op City in the Bronx. Because he, he had timed it that it was exactly 90 minutes from the GW up to the exit up here. And he said, 90 minutes and you could be home. Well, that, that's, a, that's a fiction. It's a couple hours, never mind traffic, never mind getting to the bus. I mean, these people, God bless them, it is. It's mainly civil servants. That's all you see on the buses. And these poor people, they spend five hours a day on that bus um, you know, but hey, it, it, maybe it is a better approach. It's a, it's a better opportunity. But what I wanted to ask you, I'd really like your opinion. You have the benefit of historical perspective now. I mean, you, you've been, I mean, I'm not going to shine you on, but you are an asset to our city. If we could have a thousand more Curtis Lee, the city would be a better place. Because you went ahead throughout your life and you've been a man of action. You haven't sat on the sidelines. So how do you compare the situation we are in now? With all of the developments, the increase in crime, the economic stuff, does this feel like the 70s to you in a way? Does this feel like the time when you had to start gathering the angels together? I'll, I'll uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Does that well, make well it's certainly not the way it was uh, as bad as the way it was uh, at the time I was a night manager of Mickey D's in the Bronx and started the Guardian Angels back on February 13th of 1979. It, it was far more dangerous, far more deadly, and mm-hmm. and the quality of life was really diminished. Remember, the subway trains were just marred with graffiti everywhere. You couldn't yeah. even see out the windows. Uh, you yeah. had gangs roaming up and down the subway lines. Uh, the difference was is that in the uh, late 70s, because of uh, fiscal restraint, there was less money in the city because all of our politicians had put their beak in the trough and they were hopelessly corrupt, and we were on the verge of going bankrupt. So the incoming mayor at that time, uh, Ed Koch, inherited a financial control board that determined how every nickel, diamond, penny uh, penny would be spent. So he had to lay off cops and firefighters, social workers, sanitation men, all kinds of civil servants, but especially police. So you didn't see cops on the subways. They removed cops from the public housing projects. There were barely enough cops to patrol the street. And as a result of that, crime skyrocketed. Now, in this case, 
They took a billion dollars out of the police budget, Comrade Bill de Blasio and the city council did. Uh, Eric Adams, with his first budget, did not put it back. So we're still a billion dollars down. Cops are continuing to retire and go out on early retirement. So they're not mm-hmm. replenishing the cops. So you're you're trying to fight bigger and bigger crime problems with less and less cops. And in a sense, what what Eric Adams is doing now and the police commanders is they're moving cops around as if they were on a chessboard. They're never going to be able to get a hold on this unless they dig in and they hire more cops. They have got to hire more cops, and the mayor has got to stand up and tell all the naysayers, we are going to put a billion dollars back into the budget and we're going to hire more cops because if we don't have more cops, all we're doing is we're taking them from the streets. We're putting them in the subway for a while. Then there's more mm-hmm. crime in the streets, so we put them out back from the subway into the streets. And it's endless. We need more police, and we need them as quickly as possible. Remember, you got to recruit them. you got to train them. you got to vet them out. It takes at least three months in the academy. Uh, in fact, Eric Adams, who loves to travel now, he's going to be in Albany tomorrow. I'm going to be telling you about that because he's being, going to be looking at pot dispensaries because he wants legal pots sold out of storefronts in New York City. He'll be up in Albany. I don't know if he's going to be doing puff, puff, pass and testing the product. Well, what the hell is he doing in Albany all day tomorrow? We got crime all over the city. You look, you got three teenagers shot today in the South Bronx, right outside of the South Bronx High School right near the juvenile detention facility, which is uh, 149th and 3rd. Uh, A girl was killed. Uh, Another girl was injured. Another guy was uh, injured. And this is like constant. He needs to keep his tuchus here in New York City and get the job done like he promised. He said he'd be the law and order mayor. My quantum I, how can you be the law and order mayor your first hundred days? You have more crime happening in the streets of New York City, in the subways, in the parks, and in the schools. Then de Blasio ever had happen, take place in any hundred days of his eight years of a miserable mayoralty in which he took the Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed single-handedly the city that we love. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I think this is the song that Dan was talking about as we raise the roof here on the Curtis Sleewa Show, WABC. Another side of midnight... With no uh, Frankie Five Burroughs Murano here and his sidekick, Dominic Carter, who has vacated Friday nights so he can join Frank Murano Sunday night going into Monday. That's a real double oofah. I'll fix them later on in the program. You don't want to be going anywhere. You want to be raising the roof, pumping it hardy. Here we go. See, I could, uh, I could do the club hour here at WABC. Look, we have Tony Orlando without Dawn. We'll be on 10 to 12 coming up on, uh, well, this is already Saturday. And then you have Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10, right before Tony Orlando without Dawn. And then you have the uh, new Jack, Maduyo. Uh, Vinny, 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 the teacher there. So they all spin in stacks of wax. And I get to spin Ugats. And yet I ought to be doing, right, the uh, electronic dance music show. But I don't get any play on that because obviously 
Frank Murano hasn't said it's okay. Wait, wait, wait. You got to hear later on in the program. You don't want to go anywhere right now. Anyway, let's go to Al in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Dear Curtis, Amityville, how you... Curtis, listen, I have three things for you. You hear me, Curtis? I hear you loud and clear. Why do you, why do you okay. think I'm not listening to you, Al? Do you think... Uh-huh. That uh, that I I I fake you out, psych. Yeah, no, I'm listening. I started off on the wrong uh, on the wrong note. Sorry, Curtis. First of all, last week, yeah, you a couple of your callers came up with some good questions, and you said you said to them you're going to send them your belly lint, belly button lint. Correct. Okay, now for the callers, if they happen to be listening now. Um, I, I found out the best way to preserve your belly button lint. What you got to do is you got to take an orange, take a pen, puncture a hole in it about a half an inch, stick the belly lint inside the orange, and uh, that'll preserve it, and you'll end up with a navel orange. Oh, that is so good, Al. You you took us all down. You took us all down that road. That is very good, Al. Curtis, I got two more. Oh, okay. Uh, Hopefully they're as good as your navel joke. Okay. The second, the third one you like, this one's for Nancy. Um, The second one is when I'm giving up for length is my Viagra. Length, Viagra. You're giving up your Viagra. By the way, uh, you could have seen, I don't know if it's on a replay tonight on Fox, but uh, Nancy was uh, featured on Jesse Waters' show along with Blondie, the other guardian angels, as they were talking about the all-female patrol we have, the Perv Busters. She did a great job tonight. Uh, so if any of you missed it, I'm sure they have it in their archives. And what's your third hey, offering, Al? Oh, thanks for remembering that, Curtis. And, Curtis, I do one, and with a fourth one, with Adams talking to Sid today. But the third one is, I used I was a correction officer, Brooklyn Criminal Court. I thought he had the last time. And I used to have the front gate at 120 Skimmerhorn Street. So they used to bring these these uh, prisoners in on daisy chains, 15, 20 at a time. We had a cat that came in there. It was my love of my life for two years. We named the cat Felony. And that was my baby. used to stay there with me all the time. But anyway, when the prisoners used to come in, I used to pick Felony up. And they used to walk under him before they went into the pens. And they would turn around to me to go, yo, what's up with that, man? I says, well, you got to get a CAT scan before you see the judge. <laughs> By the way, uh, are you sure you didn't see me on any of those uh, daisy uh, perp chain walks? Uh... No, 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 I didn't. I, I, I would have remembered that for the rest now, of my life. Uh, hold on. They took me to my, Gold Street, my... downtown Brooklyn, Gold Street. That's where they fingerprinted me. That's where they did the paperwork endlessly so they could get there overtime, the coppers, and put their kids uh, through college. And then they put me on the Daisy Chain Perp Walk. Uh, we go into the back of the paddy wagon. We go over, right over to Skimhorn Street, which was in, uh, wasn't far away, and wait to be right, arraigned right. before a judge. Right. It was, uh, I tell you, the place, well, that's another That's another phone call. But the fourth one is, I tell you, I was disappointed today in Sid. And I hope you don't find out where I live. But let me tell you, Adams, first of all, I was surprised that Adams called up the show, which you're probably aware of. You know something? If, if it was a debate, Adams, you know, first of all, he's, forget about how we feel about the guy, but 
he dominated he dominated the ten minutes with Sid. You know, Sid didn't get off. You know, the way I interpret it, he didn't get he didn't get his jollies off with him. Adam seemed to, you know, when he said something, he seemed to dominate. I'm not explaining myself right. No, but- no, no. I tell you what. I tell you what. Everybody who could not uh, listen to it should go to wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com, and hear the interview of our own Sid Rosenberg uh, on Friday morning uh, with Mayor Eric Adams, and come to your own conclusion. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. You heard John Katzmatidis talking about the over 20 youngsters who have been killed in the streets of New York. Add another today on St. Anne's and 156 in the heart of the South Bronx, where I've spent a lot of time with the Guardian Angels. Again, one young lady killed, another injured, and another young male injured as the carnage continues in New York City. And later on, I'll be discussing, in the midst of this carnage, where Mayor Eric Adams will be in just a few hours. And it ain't anywhere in New York City. Apparently, he may be sampling the product of Puff Puff Pass. He's expected to be at a workshop about the cannabis industry in Albany, our state's capital, and spend the entire day there. I don't know if he'll be inspecting buds different kinds of product, uh, different ways to roll out the product in legal dispensaries. But that is not the priority in New York City. The priority is dealing with crime, which is just skyrocketing each and every day. And the city of New York does not have a handle on it. Uh, The coppers did make an arrest today of two brothers who uh, had shot and killed that 61-year-old woman up in the Bronx also. You know, the focus of the Bronx was uh, Yankee Stadium opening day. (laughs) The rest of the Bronx, they were raising their guns in the air like they just didn't care. It was like a dance hall, ragged concert. But anyway, let's flip the script and talk about what's happening uh, in the Ukraine. And the comparisons that have been made of its leader, Zelensky, who, if you remember, was just uh, a while back, he was in the midst uh, of the controversy involving then-President Donald Trump. He was accused uh, of being involved in a quid pro quo. He was being marginalized, minimalized, and now he is uh, being put up on a, uh, a pedestal and deified. Well, he's neither. He's neither the uh, person who was so naive and uh, gullible that some people thought that he was uh, just a part of a uh, Trumpian quid pro quo, uh, and he is neither a saint or a deity. But many people have referred to him as a modern-day, modern-day Winston Churchill. And it is interesting because today, meaning this Saturday, April 9th, is National Winston Churchill Day. 
He was made an honorary U.S. citizen by then-President JFK in the 60s, uh, in which his uh, mother was acknowledged because his mother was an American who was from Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn. And she had married uh, Lord Randolph Churchill and went to live in uh, England and interestingly uh, had a two-year affair with then King Edward the Seventh, who was about as decadent and dis- uh, debaucherous as any of the Brits. And that fake, phony, fraudulent, uh, fraudulent uh, Fugazi royalty is. This guy, King Edward VII, held wife-swapping parties in and around the palaces that, unfortunately, the suckers uh, in the U.K. subsidize because the royal family is the biggest group of welfare cheats that the world has ever seen, the queen number one, second to none when it comes uh, to that. <laughs> this freak, King Edward VII, used to say to Winston Churchill's mother, uh, I'd like you, I'd like you to serve me tea in a geisha dress. Oh, my, no, no, my. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Well, apparently when Winston Churchill's uh, mother was living in the U.K. with uh, his father, Lord Randolph Churchill, uh, they were having their own internal problems. He was having some physical uh, ailments that prevented him from uh, having the urge to merge. So she went out and she had 200 lovers, 200 lovers. And so eventually when Winston Churchill wrote in his memoirs about his mom and dad and his younger brother, a brother named Jack, he distanced himself from his mom and uh, pops, barely mentioned them, barely mentioned his brother Jack. He made it appear that it was me and me alone, I and me, not uh, us and we. Oh, boy. What a hot mess that uh, that uh, relationship was between Winston Churchill's mother, who, again, was born and raised in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Uh, met Lord Randolph Churchill, uh, went to England, and that's where she had her sons, uh, Winston, the older son, and Jack, the younger son. Uh, there are some other interesting comparisons because, you know, I don't look at people in a saint-like uh, nature that some people do. They either demonize them or they sanctify them, and I always look at the good and the bad and then sort of try to uh, come to a conclusion about people who've had a great influence on our history, especially Winston Churchill, our world history. He was prime minister during uh, World War II, 1940 to 45, and then got ousted right after the war because the economy was in shatters, only to be brought back. Uh, He had remained a conservative party leader in the House of Commons, and elected the prime minister from, uh, again, 1951 to 1955, and uh, left on April 5th of 1955. And like Dwight Eisenhower, our president in the 50s, who had a severe heart attack, and we knew little, if anything, about it, because there was little information that was given out by the uh, by the uh, press corps back then, everything was kept hush, hush, mush, mush. FDR being in a wheelchair, uh, Dwight Eisenhower having a major heart attack. Sometimes uh, presidents would go away for almost uh, half the summer and you'd never hear anything from them or about them at their summer retreats. Well, the British citizens, citizens of the UK, citizens of the British Commonwealth, heard nothing at all about Winston Churchill's heart attack in 1953. He went away. It took him many months to convalesce. 
But the media didn't report that at all. And you would say to yourself, how could that be? Such a dynamic person like Winston Churchill, who if he was away months at a time as the prime minister of the UK, you would have thought people would have been asking questions. But they weren't. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WA. And in comparing him to Zelensky, you know, I don't know if many people were aware that Zelensky, who uh, does many interviews now, obviously trying to appeal for help for the Ukrainian people who are under siege, for the many refugees who have fled, and obviously in his desire to get uh, weapons uh, in which he can take it to the Russians and drive them out of his country, especially out of the eastern portion, which uh, the Russians, through Vladimir Putin, seem seems to have focused uh, their desires for. Uh, but looking at Winston Churchill and then w- looking at Zelensky, Zelensky is actually canceled some of the uh, political parties and has uh, prevented some of the broadcast outlets in the Ukraine news outlets to broadcast under the War Powers Act. Now, that's a bit of a totalitarian dictatorial move. It's been done by leaders around the world. It was done by Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, Woodrow Wilson during the First World War, and to an extent, uh, FDR during World War II. But it is something that is not often reported uh, because he's a golden child. He can do no wrong, Zelensky, right now. Interesting with Winston Churchill, he was a stone-cold liberal who decided to become a conservative, very much like Ronald Reagan, who had been uh, the head of SAG-AFTRA as a Democratic liberal and then suddenly became a Republican conservative. And uh, Winston Churchill would not support Irish home rule. He was opposed to Irish home rule. In fact, there are many Irish that I speak to to this day who say that SOB unleashed the black and tan thugs on Ireland's Catholic citizens and civilians, and they will never forgive him. They will never forgive him. He wasn't a religious person. He was an agnostic. He was against suffrage. And um, he always said that the safeguard that he had for his reoccurring depression, other than drinking every day, was to write. And he would write each and every day diaries, books, whatever he could write on. He said it prevented him from deep diving into the rabbit hole and depression that seemed to uh, haunt him throughout his life. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When there was war in South Africa between the English and the Dutch, the Dutch Reform, the Boer War, he was a journalist. Uh, He went there from the U.K., was taken prisoner, turned into a POW, escaped, uh, and then ended up writing a book about that. But there are many in South Africa, and uh, I have guardian angels in Cape Town who will say, without a doubt, that it was uh, Winston Churchill who promoted the use of concentration camps in South Africa when he served there for white Boers, 28,000 who died in these concentration camps, and Adolf Hitler himself acknowledged that he got the idea to establish his uh, concentration camps to reach the final dis, uh, solution to eliminate Jews and other enemies uh, of uh, fascism there, uh, labor uh, leaders, labor members, socialists, uh, communists, uh, those who are religious, uh, that his, uh, his uh, thinking actually came about when he had read literature 
about how Winston Churchill, Churchill had promoted the concentration camps in South Africa in the Boer War, in which uh, 28,000 white Boers died in concentration camps. A lot of people don't know that. So on this, the uh, April 9th, the National Day... Uh, in which uh, Winston Churchill was made an honorary United States citizen of JFK. I think it's important to know some of these things because we tend to only focus on those things that we want to in the history and life and times of an individual. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Winston Churchill, when he was prime minister, hated the Kurds because they had rebelled against British rule in Iraq and in Syria and in Iran. And he wanted to use poison gas against them. And who got the idea to use poison gas years later against the Kurds? Saddam Hussein. Where did he get the idea from? (laughs) He got it from, who else? Winston Churchill. By the way, he hated Gandhi. And in 1943, in the middle of World War II, there was a famine going on in Bengal. And remember, there were many Indians who had joined the military to fight against the Nazis on behalf of the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom Commonwealth. He would not send supplies to Bengal. Three million Indians starved to death. British officials had begged for food supplies. Winston Churchill said, nope. Not a bowl of rice, because they breed like rabbits, and it's great. It'll cull their population. So when we think about the life and times of Winston Churchill, it's great to think about all those heroic things that he did in his life, and he certainly did many. But you also have to think about those things that he did that tarnished uh, whole whole societies and, more importantly, caused them severe death and destruction Uh, They were subject to uh, not only incarceration in concentration camps, but torture. Uh, It was the flip side of the side of history that we were taught about Winston Churchill. But in all the places that I've traveled around the world, South Africa, you mentioned Winston Churchill. He's not uh, idealized. Uh, You mentioned him in India. No, no way. There are other places uh, in Ireland where I went. In uh, Dublin, uh, you mentioned uh, Winston Churchill. People want to spit on the ground. It all depends on where you are. In fact, when he came to America and toured because he had written a book, he met Teddy Roosevelt, and they did not get along. It was like the mixing of ammonia and bleach. And you would have thought Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider, would have gotten along splendidly with Winston Churchill. They didn't. And he thought that General Eisenhower who helped lead the Allies uh, against the Nazis in Europe, uh, and also when he became president, was weak and tepid and stupid. This was according to the words of Winston uh, Churchill. And this leads us back to when uh, Barack Obama was president. Remember, he took the bust of Winston Churchill and he sent it back to the U.K. after George W. Bush had put the bust right near his desk in the uh, White House, near the Oval Office. And nobody really explained why did Barack Obama want to send the bust of Winston Churchill back to the U.K. in a crate because his Kenyan grandfather was imprisoned two years without trial, tortured, uh, because he was resisting uh, Churchillian laws that had been imposed upon Kenya, which was part of the Commonwealth. Uh, And uh, there were 150,000 Kenyans who were assigned to to, uh, various camps 
internment camps. A lot of people, again, don't know that part of history. So just a little advice. When we deify, when we put people on pedestals, like certainly we did with Winston Churchill, and he certainly deserved it for some of the heroic things that he did at times when uh, the odds were against the British people. But you also have to look at all the bad things uh, that he did, which were overlooked definitely in American history. And the only way I found out about him was to travel the world. Travel the world. And I found out. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848-WABC. And then, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, uh, because we're going to be talking about never trust anybody with uh, three names. John Hinckley, he's uh, coming to Brooklyn. In fact, not far from where Churchill's mother was born and raised, Carol Gardens. John Hinckley, who tried to kill Ronald Reagan is going to have a concert in Brooklyn. Yep, I know a lot of you say, what the hell are you talking about? The guy who almost killed Ronald Reagan is going to have a concert coming up this summer in Brooklyn? Oh, yeah. You don't want to be uh, cutting those E's. You don't want to fall asleep. You don't want to be a little stangard because wait till you hear how New York City is rolling out the red carpet. For John Hinckley, failed assassin turned musician who books a New York City concert this summer in Brooklyn. It's going to blow your mind, ladies and gentlemen, that this is well underway. The venue, signed, sealed, and delivered. The dates, signed, sealed, and delivered. The people getting on stage with him, signed, sealed, and delivered. And all of it in Brooklyn. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Leah, who's patiently waiting on the line in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. I'm calling from Dalesburg. Ah, uh, Newark. 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 Uh, now, you know, the school by the pool and Weiss Broad's Drugs and the Italian Culture Club across the street. And there was an Italian beggary next door to... Italian Culture Club. Oh no, I'm I'm very familiar with Valesburg. It's been quite some oh, time now. Quite I some know, time. So am I. Yes. I'm calling from the school by the pool. <laughs> okay. I have two things. Yes. First of all, I listened to the interview this morning. Now now you're referring to uh, Sid Rosenberg in the morning yes. show. Yes. Uh he had on the mayor, Eric Adams. Yes. As I said, I have two things. That's number one. I didn't know whether to spit or to puke. Well, what what, what, what what was it that uh, disturbed you about the interview? Because, first of all, Sid asked them the right questions, and he gave the right answers. Okay, so wait, why would that be a bad interview? Sid asked the right questions, and Mayor Eric Adams gave the right answers. So that would make it... And after, after the interview... Uh, Bernie made a comment that answered fast. Wasn't supposed to say that. He answered well. Okay, but anyway, I think that was right. He answered fast. Anyway, second of all, a certain host on the station thinks that we should give Adams a little more time because, quote, he has good ideas. Well, look, we have all different kinds of opinions here at WABC. 
there are people like uh, Greg Kelly, Rudy Giuliani, myself, uh, who uh, are disappointed in Eric Adams' uh, first 100 days. Uh, Bernard McGurk is uh, more than happy to give him uh, more of an opportunity, less so Sid Rosenberg. Dominic Carter seems to be very friendly towards uh, Eric Adams and what he's trying to do. So you have a wide variety of opinions here about uh, Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, So that's what talk radio is about, to each their own. Let's see how he does. Uh, In my mind, let me give him an instant report card, because as of uh, Sunday, Palm Sunday will be his first 100 days. Uh, It's not a good report card, because as an example, with all the crime going on in New York City, uh, tomorrow he will, uh, not tomorrow, in just a few hours, he will be up in Albany all day long at workshops learning about the cannabis industry. Now, I don't know if they'll be teaching him how to roll a blunt, do puff, puff, pass, about the difference uh, in certain buds uh, that are grown in separating seeds and stems, hydroponics. We could go through a whole laundry list. Well, you don't need to go to Albany to learn that. Later on, we're going to tell you uh, in this show about how people are already selling marijuana here in storefronts illegally, but it's really legal. Now, you see, that's the confusing thing. It's legal, but it's illegal. Why the hell Eric Adams would have to go up and spend a whole day in Albany while crime is off the hook in New York City is beyond me. You want a workshop, Eric Adams? I can point out six different locations, especially in the Lower East Side in which you can roll into the storefront and they will sell you a CD or they'll sell you a book. And as a result of you making an exchange of money, you can then get a nickel and dime bag. And technically it's legal because the recreational use of marijuana in the state of New York is legal. They just haven't set up the licensed dispensaries yet. And quite frankly, the cops arrest almost nobody nowadays, so you don't think there'll be padlocking any of these stores. The news of the day, nobody else will talk about it. Our mayor is going to be up in uh, Albany in just a few uh, hours sampling the product of the future of New York City that he believes will uh, economically rescue us from uh, the financial problems that we're facing, and that is uh, setting up storefronts where you can uh, sell reefer and all the ancillary items. Why he has to go up to Albany to do that and spend the whole day is beyond me. There are neighborhoods in New York City where, guess what, that's already going on. Out in the open, out on the street, right there, they got little boxes. They got the box turned over as if they're playing three-card molly. And you look down and you say, wow, look at all those strains of reefer. Yeah, people passing cash right there in front of the cops. Nothing gets done. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Susan, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Yes, hello, Susan. I see Susan's there. I see her. Uh, I hear her. Just, I, I'm almost hearing a breathing of some type or another. Susan, please don't go to sleep on me. This is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to a talk radio show host, that somebody goes to sleep on them, whether it's a guy or a gal. It is the worst. Are you there, Susan? Curtis. Oh, no, God. of course I wouldn't. Oh, go to sleep my on God. You. It was so embarrassing there. I thought I had put you to sleep, Susan. 
Not at all. I wanted to know um, what you think about the um, hocus pocus hocal um, the, uh, budget deal with the so-called uh, bail reform reforms, and as well as could you comment on how our Andrew Giuliani is doing? in other counties getting his signatures because um, I'm very interested in, uh, you know, helping out with that. Oh, sure. Well, first off, uh, with the passing of the budget, so bloated to begin with in New York State, uh, outrageous amount of money being taken from the taxpayers, and naturally a lot of that money having come from stimulus from the federal government. So they'll spend it now, and then they'll get addicted to it, and then – in future budgets when they don't have the federal money uh, any longer, oh, wow, they're not going to know how to handle it. But let's deal with bail reform first, uh, Susan. Number one, judges cannot hold based on the dangerousness standard of the accused. They cannot remand them over with uh, with bail. Uh, that was a main point, uh, point of contention is that a judge, like they can in 49 other states, should be able to review the background of the suspect who's before them and look at them and say, based on their record, based on their behavior, there is a dangerousness standard that they're dangerous to themselves and everyone else, and I'm going to remand them to jail and impose bail. They can't do that. Possession of a handgun is not uh, a year in jail, no bail. Nope, none of that. Hate crimes have not been dealt with sufficiently. It's basically... uh, uh, Governor Hokum, I call a Hokum because uh, uh, that means nonsense, has said drop dead to us in New York City. Uh, just recently, she released eight thousand uh, dollars that excuse me, eight thousand uh, inmates that were on some form of supervised probation and observation. So they've been cut loose uh, throughout the state of New York. So well, well minor progress was made. But so minor, you may not even realize it at the end of the day when crime continues to skyrocket, Susan. Oh, geez. Well, look, look, they're going to say that they made changes. And I'm going to tell you that they did little, if anything, to give power to the judges. And by the way, we have judges in New York State, mostly downstate, New York City especially, that are so liberal, so progressive. Uh, they 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 will never impose bail to begin with. So even if they're given more license to be able to do observations on the persons who are charged with crimes before them, they're still going to cut them loose uh, with no bail. Uh, it's just we don't really have conservative or Republican judges upstate. Now, upstate, uh, you don't have to be a lawyer in order to be a judge. And one of the uh, one of the rationales that were used by Cousin Stewart's who is the Democratic leader of the state Senate, uh, which is a supermajority, along with Carl Hasty, the assembly leader and speaker of the Democratic majority in the assembly, which is a supermajority, is that they didn't want white judges upstate who are Republicans to be able to uh, be able to look at a suspect and make decisions. Uh, because upstate they claim that some of the white judges, in fact, are not lawyers, which is true. Because you don't have to be a lawyer to be a judge. Uh, so that's uh, the, the no bail situation uh, was fraudulent. 
they basically told us with the signing of this budget, with the reforms that they've made to drop debt. And then secondarily, Susan, I have spent a lot of time with Andrew Giuliani and Mike Kumbaricic, his father, Rudy Giuliani, of late, trying to get enough of the signatures that will qualify him to run in the Republican primary against the uh, GOP choice of the party bosses. That's Lee Zeldin. Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive, he had to go out and get signatures uh, along with Harry Wilson. They've all submitted their signatures. In fact, the other day I was uh, in City Island. Going to talk about this later on where I was offered the blue plate special that the City Island diner and almost died a million deaths as I was helping uh, Andrew and his crew count the signatures and make sure that they uh, they were appropriate to what the rules and regulations are because they're so draconian. They're so ancient. They're only meant to keep people from running for office. But I believe that Andrew Giuliani has acquired enough signatures that he will qualify to get into this primary against Lee Zeldin. Awesome. And listen, I believe that um, this is a terrible thing that the state party has done, because I recall when uh, they tried to keep John McCain off the ballot, and uh, it was a big lawsuit, brouhaha. It turned off Republican voters when party bosses won't allow ballot access to qualified well, it, it, let let the voters decide. Let them all run. So, you know what it requires? Uh, for instance, down in Florida, you can either get a thousand signatures or you can put up a bond of ten thousand dollars and then you run. Uh, New Jersey in a congressional district, you only need a thousand valid signatures and then you can run. What are we afraid of? Let people run. That's what democracy is. The more, the better. Then the people will have choice. Then they get to debate one another. They get to go out there, meet and greet the people, and try to convince them in the primaries uh, that they deserve the party uh, affiliation, the, uh, the party seal of approval by winning the primary. And then they go on to the general election. That's what democracy is all about, Susan. And I like the point you made up. John McCain was being squeezed out by the supporters of George Pataki, who were not supporting him for president. Uh, and uh, he went outside of the Russian embassy, which is near Central Park on the east side, and he claimed that the Republican Party leadership in New York State was similar to the old Soviet Union, and that quickly turned things around. Oh, I'll never forget, that was great theater that uh, John McCain exhibited against uh, the Pataki machine at that time that controlled uh, most, most of the operations of the Republican Party. Uh, but they were hell bent. I think it was on behalf of uh, Bush 43 at the time that they were doing that. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Oh, Steppenwolf. But because I'm of that generation as a boomer, how should I have looked at the fact that I was invited to the all day long blue plate special of the day at the City Island Diner? Earlier in the week. Oh, my job is to pump up the volume. 
to get that energy flowing. So you're going to stay with me until 6 in the morning. But I looked at that uh, Blue Plate special of the day at the City Island Diner where I was helping uh, Andrew Giuliani assemble all of his signatures that he filed in Albany on Tuesday to qualify to run for governor in the Republican primary. And I had the choice of the soup, the salad, or the chili. The nachos, the wings, the loaded fries, or the chicken fingers. Ladies and gentlemen, has it gotten to the point where at the age of 68, I'm looking at a future, what little of it is left for me to enjoy on terra firma this earth, to having a blue plate special every day at 4 o'clock with the other old timers? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And by the way, uh, nobody has talked about this. As uh, our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, and his crew at 5 o'clock, the roundtable discussion always like to say, breaking news. (laughs) Wait till you hear this story coming up. John Hinckley, who they let out of jail for trying to kill Ronald Reagan. He almost did it. And you know what happened to uh, his press secretary, Brady? Oh, my God. And two other people were shot. They let him out of jail. Now he's coming to Brooklyn this summer in a concert. And wait till you hear the other groups that are going to be playing as the the opening acts. Hey, uh, is the city welcoming him? Uh, Will the mayor be giving him the red carpet treatment? I hope not. I don't think uh, Eric Adams is even aware, City Hall is aware, even though it's in an area uh, in their in their backyard, Brooklyn, because City Hall is run by the crooked Kings County Democratic machine. No doubt about it. They have to have known about this. And if they don't, they'll certainly know about it by this morning. Because I'll be talking about it in the next hour. I know it's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Hudson, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hudson. How's it going, brother? Um, So about the interview, you asked about the interview. You think that Eric Adams would go and talk to you on your radio show? Well, he should. He debated me twice uh, during the campaign. Uh, I've known him for over 40 years. He's known me, so... Uh, he should uh, probably know more of the things he would rather not discuss, but uh, I think we but could have a would. civil we could have a civil conversation. But that's what I mean, Curtis. He wouldn't. He wouldn't go on the program with you, and that's why that interview this morning was disgusting. If there was another option, I would have changed the channel. You know, the only other option is when Berman in the freaking morning. They, it, you can't have an interview and then go on the whole day and be like, "Wow, well, we asked him the questions." Yeah, you asked him the questions. And then when you gave you full of crap answers, you know, they, they never pressed them on it. So that, that Well, well they might have been limited, Hudson, by time. Oh, uh, please, come on, Curtis. I, look, look I, I'll be honest with you. I did miss it. I had to do something with my son earlier in the day. But I promise you that I'll listen to it on the podcast. I know a lot of people are hearing uh, you, Hudson, and others uh, spoke about the interview that Bernard McGurk uh, and uh, Sid Rosenberg uh, had earlier this morning with uh, Mayor Eric Adams. You just go to WABCRadio.com. You listen to the podcast. You come to your own conclusions. And I promise you uh, uh, later in the day I will have listened to the podcast. So I'll better know the questions that were asked and how they were being handled. Okay, Hudson? Well, if you 
if you're looking to lose weight and you're looking to throw up or something, definitely <laughs> sit down, listen to it. You lose a couple pounds. Have a good night, bro. <laughs> uh, that's good. No, I know. Look, Bernard McGurk, Sid Rosenberg, they asked tough questions. Uh, I'm sure uh, they were trying to get their questions in, and I'm sure Mayor Eric Adams was uh, playing a bit of dodgeball there. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Hello, Curtis. Uh, I want to criticize ABC for what they did to you. What did they do to me? They eliminated the 12 midnight to 1 a.m. on Sunday night. Well, no, no. What they did was they played musical chairs because normally 12 to 1 on this Friday going into Saturday. So you just listen to Rita Cosby up until 12. Normally Dominic would have come on from 12 to 1. And so they switched him to Monday morning. The rationale being, and we'll discuss this in the 4 o'clock hour, that he and Frank are like a team. You know, they're like a, a horse in a carriage, a soup in a sandwich, like two peas in a pod. Do you believe that? <sighs> you got to listen at 4 o'clock this morning, Robert. You're gonna, I got a lot to say at 4 o'clock this morning uh, in terms of what's uh, happened uh, with the golden child. He can do no wrong. He is the untouchable here at WABC now. Frank Morano. So you'll be listening at four? I'll try. No, no, no. No, no. This is what you do, Robert. And I'm telling everybody else out there, you got to listen. Do jumping jacks, run around the block, uh, put your head in the icebox, you know, make sure it's nice and cold, drink two Red Bulls, smack yourself right in the face a few times. You'll stay uh, awake. Can I tell you something? Yes. Uh, Um. What is the name of the guy at 1 o'clock? What's the guy at 1 o'clock? What do you mean, in the afternoon? You mean uh, Greg Kelly? No, at night. I can't think of his name. At night? You mean Frank Morano? Frank Morano. He said if he was competing against Mark Simone, he would demolish him. Well, look, uh, I would like to see that. You see, uh, Frank Morano at one time was a protege, a student of Mark Simone. Mark Simone was his mentor, uh, they got along splendidly. Uh, in fact, uh, I think Mark Simone taught uh, uh, Frank Morano a lot about talk radio because Mark Simone's been at it even longer than me. He's been at it over 40 years. Uh, and then they had some kind of falling out, which I'm not uh, too familiar with the, ra- the reasons for it, but it would be interesting. So just imagine, hypothetically, that Frank Morano was up against Mark Simone. Uh, Simone. That, would be, uh, that would be a good battle. That would be what a good battle, Robert. What do you think would happen? Well, Mark Simone is smooth. Uh, he knows uh, good talk radio. And Frank Morano does excellent interviews. In fact, uh, they were talking recently about possibly having uh, Frank Morano from time to time actually do interviews for 60 minutes instead of Anderson Cooper, who occasionally is on loan from CNN to do uh, interviews for... 60 Minutes, in fact, uh, he was seen in the street interviewing Eric Adams, I think, for an upcoming uh, 60 Minutes episode, uh, which Eric Adams was uh, being harassed by some homeless people who were giving him a hard time that he was trying to evict from their encampments. I believe that will be in an upcoming 60 Minutes interview. Uh, I think uh, that they're dusting off Frank Morano. 
who now has a reputation of being maybe the best interviewer in the business. And that's saying a lot because Mark Simone uh, was pretty much up there as uh, considered to be one of the best interviewers in the history of talk radio. That would be good. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Joan, Joanne uh, calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joanne. Oh, hi, Curtis. I'm curious about something. Um, do you remember what day it was that Bernie and Sid were complaining rather loudly that Mayor Adams would not come on with them? Was that yesterday? They played a little piece of it this morning before he came on. Bernie was quite vociferous and ha- sounded a little angry and a little hurt. He was saying that um, that he thought Mayor Adams wasn't too bad, really, but now he really finds it hard to say anything good about him because Adams would not come on with them. And I was wondering, what was the, the time lag between that and Adams coming on, and do you know, I wanted to ask them, they would know, uh, was Adams' motivation to come on with them that complaint? You know, one of his people said, hey, they're complaining about you on the station, you better go on. Or was it that Adams was making the rounds today? He was on quite a few stations because his 100th day is coming up. Does anybody know what motivated Adams to come on today when he never came on before? That's what I want to know. Well, uh, I don't know the specificity of it. I do know that I was on the day before at 845 in the morning with uh, – Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, and we had discussed uh, how he uh, did not come on uh, with Sid and Bernie, uh, that he preferred Charlemagne the God and the Breakfast Club. Uh, So I guess uh, either it was arranged quickly or maybe it was on the fly, uh, but it must have been about a 10 or 12-minute interview. Uh, I didn't have a chance uh, to hear it because I was dealing with an issue involving my son in school, so I, like everybody else who's hearing this for the first time, should actually go to WABCRadio.com. That's WABCRadio.com, Joan, and listen to the full interview in the podcast well, I, yeah. of the show. Well, I heard the interview. I did hear the interview. It was very interesting. I found it interesting. But I was curious about the motivation. Like, did they get a call 10 minutes after they complain, that's what I wanted to know. It may, it may, you, it may have been that. It may have been that, or uh, it may have been prearranged. Uh, I'm not privy to that, uh, but I do know we had discussed it when the three of us were together on this show on Thursday morning uh, because uh, he had uh, not come on with them. Uh, so I'm sure from time to time he'll uh, make a, a regular appearance with Bernie and Sid, as he should as mayor of the city of New York, as he does with some other shows. Oh, so and someone asked you, are you going to have him on? And you said he'd come on with you. Are you going to do that? Oh, I'd be more than happy to have uh, Mayor Eric Adams on with me. Uh, there are a lot of issues I probably know more about uh, that he would not necessarily want to address. Uh, but uh, be more than happy he could come on, uh, whether he wants to come on for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. Uh, he's certainly up at night. Uh, he's at uh, Club Zero Bond right now, right, right. preparing to uh, head up to Albany. Uh, in fact, nobody knows this. They don't want me talking about this. But he's spending the whole day and a few hours in Albany at a workshop about the cannabis industry in which he'll be, uh, uh, they'll be showing him how to roll blunts, uh, how to do puff, puff, pass, how to tell the difference between the different gradations of marijuana, how to separate seeds and stems, I'm sure it'll be a very exhausting day that he's going to spend in Albany learning all about the marijuana industry. 
Why the hell you need to go to Albany is beyond me, Joe. They're selling marijuana in storefronts and streets right here. Right, right. Well, I was just curious. That's all. I just wanted to know if you knew uh, what was the motivation for him coming on. Well, did, did somebody, you know, at, when you spoke to Bernie and Sid, you say prearranged. At that point, no, because Bernie, if he if if he had arranged it already, Bernie would have said it. Well, it's coming on tomorrow. Sure. He was he was saying, no, nope, never came on with us. Won't come on with us. And then the next day he came on. So I just was wondering what went on. Well, I had I had warned them a long time ago when uh, Eric Adams had first announced he was running for mayor and he would come on. From time to time with Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, and he would say, oh, you're, you're my two favorite talk show hosts in the morning. And Bernie and uh, Sid would say, oh, you see, I say, yeah, I say, he's not your favorite, man. It's Charlemagne the God and the Breakfast Club. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they had to find out the hard way because as he got more serious into the campaign, as he was doing better in the Democratic primary against his opponents in the ranked choice voting, uh, he then chose uh, not to make any appearances with them. So it's good that he had an appearance with them. But look, Joan, if you were Eric Adams or you were his handlers, would you want him getting on the radio with me, especially asking him, hey, I understand, Mr. Mayor, you're going to be at a workshop about uh, the marijuana industry in Albany all day. Why are you going to Albany? You could do that right here in New York City. They're selling it right out in the open. Right. Well, put it to the test. Invite him on. See if he comes on. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I. I. I will actually follow up on that, Joan. I will follow up on that. <laughs> My first question to him would be, When are you taking the masks off these little kids in kindergarten and pre-K? How ridiculous to make these little kids wear masks. I don't know if uh, mm. Bernie and uh, uh, Sid brought that up this morning. I hope they did. But look, I'll listen to it. Like I said, for those who uh, are hearing about it for the first time, the best way of assessing how the interview went, whether uh, from Eric Adams' point of view, the mayor, or from Sid Rosenberg or Bernard McGurk, uh, is to actually listen to the podcast uh, that you can get at WABCRadio.com. So you, you like the interview, Joan. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought they asked good questions. Good. He's a very good talker. I have to say that for him. He's, he's got a very personable uh, manner. I, I guess you probably noticed that, right? Uh, he never he never showed me that in the debates. No. If you watched our two uh, debates, yeah. uh, uh, it was Rockham well, like Sockham. Yeah. No, no, I came right at him. Uh, I wasn't going to let him be Mr. Nice Guy because he, he had to answer some serious questions. But we'll see. Maybe he'll come on in the future. Well, he answers questions, but he knows how to dodge like the best of them. The politicians all do. They know how to answer the questions they want to answer and kind of fudge the ones they don't want to answer. He's pretty good at that. They're all pretty good at that. But definitely worth listening to. People should definitely take a listen to it. All right. That's a a good idea, ladies and gentlemen. If you didn't have a chance to listen hours ago uh, to Eric Adams, our mayor, come on with Sid and Bernie. It sounds uh, the way Joan described it as him just coming on unexpectedly. Or she's right. If uh, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, who had talked to me on uh, Thursday at 8.45 on their show in the morning, had known that, they would have promoted the fact that the mayor was going to be on with them the next morning. So I think probably some kind of arrangement was made lickety-split to make that happen. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Chris in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. 
Kurt, I was uh, sleeping the other night after listening to as much of the Sunday night Curtis Lee was show that's on from 9 to midnight as possible. Before I went to sleep, around 2 a.m., I woke up to suddenly I hear my own voice on the radio. I'm thinking, I'm thinking they're playing a repeat of you. And then all of a sudden I hear Frank Moraner destroying me personally on the radio and blaming me for losing an interview with Ron Kuby because you and I were talking about Ron Kuby and apparently the, the caller after me on your program. Last week was we were talking. He talked about Ron Kuby and Frank. He he had like a, a nervous breakdown over it. He was trashing me on the air for like two and a half hours. Wow! Playing cuts, playing cuts for me on your show, talking about how I think your show is much better than Frank's, and that uh, you know that that caller after me. I think it really set him off. And the caller after after me that he was playing cuts about a woman that was. Uh, talking about how Frank had was boring and he had a bunch of cheese in his refrigerator, you were saying, how he stockpiles cheese, and then how you were saying how it's addictive. Oh, um, no, no, no. He, Actually, how- uh, I said, first of all, uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, uh, when he did one of those uh, uh, cook'em segments, you know, he was teaching everybody how to uh, live a vegetarian uh, life because we know he's not a vegan. Uh, he had to acknowledge that. He equated cheese as being more addictive than heroin. And we all know that Frank loves his cheeses. He actually hosts uh, every year at the Borgata in Atlantic City, the casino, a wine and cheese extravaganza where about 100 people show up. And he has all kinds of cheeses, you know, from uh, uh, from uh, uh, Velveeta, Kraft Velveeta, the low-budget cheese, to imported cheeses, uh, then he's got the 99-cent chemical Ernest and Julio uh, Gallo uh, chemical wines. And then he's got uh, high-end imported wines and domestic wines. So he loves his cheese and he loves his wine. And uh, according to Eric Adams, cheese is more addictive and worse for you than if you were mainstreaming uh, heroin into your vein. So I think I I did punk Frank Morano. You know, I told you about it, the Will Smith thing. And, you know, he's, he, he's blaming me for Ron Kuby losing the interview with Ron Kuby. And Ron Kuby is dynamite on the radio. So I feel bad about it. So you know what I did, Curtis? I called Ron Kuby's office and I apologized. Wow. And I urged him to come on Frank's program. I left a message, very heartfelt, very sincere. You know, I'm a straight up guy. And, and you know what I did? You know, and I tried calling in to Frank's show to apologize for punking him. And that I wasn't going to apologize for, you know, he really slandered me hard. I mean, he was calling me a buffoon, all these things. So um, I called in, and Molly told me not to curse. She said, calm down. And, you know, I've done, I've done seven talk radio shows before. My, big, my biggest interview I ever had, I didn't get paid for it. It was when I was an elected official. I was filling in for somebody. I, I, I interviewed Zephyr Teach out once. And let me just say, it was a, I, I gave her hard questions, all right? You should so, have. But, Oh, it, she, she, I, I wanted to debate her myself. <laughs> I let her know that because I would have mopped up the floor with her. But um, he, he said he was going to do a, ro- a reverse Rosa Parks on me and put me to the back of the bus in the <laughs> line. <laughs> and he proceeded. You know what he did? He he jock blocked me three nights in a row, Curtis. Jock block. Wow. You know something? I, I wrote it up on Urban Dictionary and I, and I referenced him because it was so bad what he did to me, right? So he called me a buffoon, a moron. He said that I ran for assembly 10 times and lost, that he had confidence and faith in the residents of New York that they would never vote for Chris from da-da-da, you know. 
And so he kept going on and on and on. So I finally get on the air with him, and I was like a monk. And I said, let's debate. I said, I want to debate you for charity. And then he was like, oh, well, you're a nobody. No. And I said, oh, we could blow it up later. He didn't let me talk too much. But, you know, um, I was a gentleman about the whole thing. So, you know what? I, I got thinking about it, though, and I thought, you know something? I did punk him unprovoked. I called as a caller, and mm-hmm. he was nice to me in the beginning. Yeah. He got nasty at the end, but I felt bad about it. That's bad karma. So, you know what I did tonight, Curtis, as an apology to Frank? And this is sincere. I sent a pizza to his house, but I made sure not to put extra cheese on it. I had t- sausage as the toppings. <laughs> Look, uh, and you know what? It Curtis, the driver had to go back a second time. I went online. I looked up Frank voter registration, <laughs> and I went and I went I went online to find a pizza place, and there was one that was called Godfellas. So I figured that would be the one he would want to oh, go to. Wait, wait, Goodfellas. That's on. That was uh, Highland Boulevard. Yeah, that's I, on, that's owned by a Scientologist. Well, no, they, they they said it was too far, and they couldn't. They called well, me back. Well, they that, had a ten dollar coupon. Chris, I got one by his house. I know, so but Chris, Chris, why, why, the fact that you mentioned Goodfellas. Reminds me, that's the place where Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, went and ate a slice of pizza at Goodfellas with a knife and a fork and claimed that's the way Italians eat pizza in Italy. Now, I've not only been to Italy multiple times, I have uh, six Guardian Angel chapters in Italy and Sardinia, and uh, I've never seen them eat pizza with a knife and a fork. And that was in Goodfellas, which is owned by a Scientologist out in Staten Island. So that's interesting. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Story of the day coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. This is crazy. John Hinckley. He's got three names. Uh, Be interesting uh, if you know what his middle name is, because I never trust anybody with three names, especially a person who has three names, and two of them sound like first names. But John Hinckley, the failed assassin of former President Ronald Reagan, who paralyzed Brady, his uh, press officer, and shot two others, was released from jail, uh, joined the bowling league, was a real mamaluke, was at his mom's house, then eventually got his own apartment, and now he's coming to Brooklyn to do what? to play a concert this summer and wait till you hear some of the acts who are appearing with him and you haven't heard any of the Brooklyn officials object like the Brooklyn Borough President Uh, he probably has no idea what's going on or the mayor's office so breaking news up next exclusively here on the Curtis Sliwa Show remember what am I known for I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them but John Hinckley will be playing in concert in Brooklyn. And apparently, the concert is already sold out. Sold out! As they would say to me, you blood clod, you Yankee boy, you rude man. Well, I'm not a rude man, that's for sure. But anyway, uh, it is so appropriate, this song, Murder, She Wrote. Because what I'm going to relate to you up next is going to blow your mind. I don't think it's been reported anywhere because that's what I'm known for. 
my exclusivity is that I know where everyone's bones are buried and who buried them. And this story I'm relating to you is not only offensive, but you say to yourself, how could this possibly be that a man, John, what is his middle name, Hinckley? Because I never trust anybody with three names. Our number is 1-800-848-9222, especially if three out of the two names are first names. 1-800-848-9222 is uh, landing a number one song with a bullet on the record charts. And as you know, when we mention John Hinckley, all kinds of memories begin to flow. It occurred back on March 30th of 1981. Hinckley was waiting uh, outside of a Washington, D.C. hotel that President Ronald Reagan was expected to, along with his entourage. He fired on uh, the president once, hit him in the chest, as well as hitting three others, including his press secretary, James Brady, who was partially paralyzed for the rest of his life. Luckily, uh, President Ronald Reagan survived, was hospitalized for two weeks. The reason that we found out later was that Hinckley was fixated with the actress Jodie Foster. Apparently, he had watched Taxi Driver over and over and over and over. And as you know, Jodie Foster was a fixture in Taxi Driver because... The uh, character that was played by Robert De Niro, Travis Bickle, was hell-bent on rescuing her from a life of uh, prostitution, which was part of his motivation once he had gotten to New York and became a yellow cab driver. I'll never forget the opening credits of that movie and the opening scene where Robert De Niro, who I believe had come in from Pennsylvania and was driving yellow cab at night, said that, you know, he described the scene of Times Square so, so perfectly and how he wished that a uh, strong rain, a heavy rain would come and wash everything into the sewers. Ah, It's one of the greatest movies of all time. But apparently uh, Hinckley uh, was trying to get in touch with Jodie Foster, who, if you remember, was a uh, student at Yale University in New Haven, was not able to do so. So he felt that in order to get the attention of Jodie Foster, he would uh, attempt to kill the president or kill the president and mirror the assassination attempt by Travis Bickle, played by Robert De Niro, remember, with the Mohawk haircut, who had approached uh, a presidential candidate at uh, Columbus Circle, going to shoot him, but then he saw the Secret Service in the crowd and he ran away. Hinckley was found not guilty by reason of insanity and spent 35 years in a psychiatric institution. In 2016, Hinckley moved in with his mother, the real mamaluke that he always was, the Mashad, the Mangaluch, and lived in her apartment in Virginia and would go twice a week to the bowling league. Now, I'd like to know who the hell would be uh, bowling with him, Sparkle Ball, at the Brunswick Alley in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Then two years later, he left to live on his own. Well, guess what? 
John Hinckley, who fashions himself as a combination folk musician and country, country western artist, is coming to Brooklyn. He announced on Twitter earlier on Friday that he has scheduled a performance this summer in New York City. Quote, big news. I will be performing on July 8th at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn, which also noted that special guests would make appearances. Get your tickets while you can. And I was surmising that probably the opening acts for John Hinckley would be Marilyn Manson and the Dead Kennedys. You know, that would be quite a show, right? Marilyn Manson and the Dead Kennedys. And then the headliner, John Hinckley Jr., So the trivia question is, what is John Hinckley Jr.'s middle name? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And apparently, the show, you could actually have scored tickets uh, on the venue pilot, which offers a ticket price of $20 for the 8 p.m. show. $20. And apparently, it is already sold out. And uh, what's not clear is whether this July gig on uh, the 8th at 8 p.m. at this Market Hotel in Brooklyn is the first ever live public performance of Hinckley. Scenic Presents is a Brooklyn concert promotion company that is handling the show and also tweeted out the news. Responses to his announcement included people asking him to book shows in cities including Boston and Chicago, and inquiring whether shirts and other merchandise are available. They wanted merch from John Hinckley Jr., just like for any other touring artist. These people were crazy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'd be very interesting, uh, interested to see if uh, you would be uh, attending uh, this concert in Brooklyn, if you were available July 8th at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn for John Hinckley uh, Jr., who's headlining, I think, I'm not sure, but I think the undercard is Marilyn Manson and the Dead Kennedys. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Apparently, John Hinckley Jr. has released dozens of songs on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, apparently, Spotify doesn't have any problem with John Hinckley Jr. having his songs listed on Spotify. No, they don't have uh, any problems with that at all. In December of 2020, uh, John Hinckley Jr., now 66, created a YouTube account in an attempt to jumpstart a long-simmering dream of working in the music industry. Since then, he has uploaded more than three dozen videos to the account, which has more than 26,000 subscribers. The clips show him strumming a guitar and singing with a hint of country twang, both reportedly his own original material, including tunes of hope and love with titles like May Your Dreams Come True. Can't we get along? Wait a second. Can't we get along? Who wanted that? That's a ripoff of somebody who... uh, Well, I'm not going to give you any more hints on that. Who's best known for saying, can't we all get along? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
And the other song created by John Hinckley Jr. that will be singing at this concert in Brooklyn, July 8th at the Market Hotel, is You and I Are Free. No, no, no. You and I are fools for just sitting on the sideline and allowing the criminal justice system to turn loose the guy who wanted to kill Ronald Reagan and everyone around him. And apparently he's going to be singing songs from Joni Mitchell's collection, Bob Dylan, and Elvis Presley. So for 20 bucks, there's an 8 p.m. show at the Market Hotel in Brooklyn. And you know something? How is it that Curtis Lee knows this, but not the Brooklyn Borough president, who's like a person of no consequence? Not anybody at the mayor's office? Uh, you'd think maybe uh, people at City Hall should be saying, hey, pal, we don't want you in Brooklyn. And by the way, what's worse is that all the hipsters and millennials who live in that area uh, bought out the concert. And they're asking him, they're saying, hey, when are you going to tour in Boston and Chicago? And by the way, do you have merch? They want John Hinckley Jr. merch. They want shirts, other merchandise, mugs, pens. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Apparently his latest single. It's titled, Dark is the Night. Oh, that's brilliant. Dark is the Night. Uh, let's go, if we can, to um, Jack, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Curtis, is this a taxpayer-funded uh, concert? Because you know the Secret Service is still watching them. Yeah, no, no, no. I I think this is all private. This is, uh, you know, a promotional agency that has uh, booked John Hinckley Jr. Uh, They've booked a venue, the Market Hotel in Brooklyn. Uh, From what I can see, there's no government uh, money involved whatsoever. Well, I mean, they watch him. I mean, he doesn't go to 7-Eleven without them watching him. You know, you, know you know something? I don't know that any longer. I am so disappointed in the FBI that for years was uh, dedicated to forever busting Italians and then forever busting Islamists. The CIA, which to me is like criminals in action. The Secret Service, uh, which uh, the more I read about the Secret Service and some of their adventures, the more I'm wondering how astute they really are. So, no, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt and know that they're tailing this guy wherever he goes. Yeah, I, I, I would think that they would, but who knows? Like you said, I have no confidence in them. Now, Jack, the, aren't, aren't you blown away that not only have people bought out the concert in Brooklyn, but they're inquiring Chicago, Boston, do you have merch that we can buy? Well, the, the merch, yeah, and Brooklyn, no. Look what lives in Brooklyn. It's it's all it's all the hipsters. They probably think him as a folk hero because they probably all read and hated Reagan anyway. Oh, you're right about that. There's there's no doubt that uh, they probably uh, came from maybe families who loathed, despised uh, Ronald Reagan, our president. I, I doubt seriously that any of them were birthed yet. Uh, so no. you're right. In in a strange, vicarious way, they probably think of uh, John Hinckley Jr. as, you know, striking a blow against Republican conservative principles. Yep. Yep. And it'll, be, and it'll be all the hipsters with their skinny pants watching the show. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, young ladies waiting online reading uh, Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they got yeah. those strange dresses and glasses, Catcher yeah. in the Rye. They all, they all read that, you know, when they're at their Starbucks and they have their lattes out there. They're reading their Catcher in the Rye. They say, how many times can you read that same book? But it's very hip. It's yeah. very chic. It's very happening and amongst were- hipsters and millennials. And- and they're wearing their shawls, you know, and wrapped around trying to look like Hillary. And Well, I'll tell you, Jack, so, uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the elected officials have to say about this. Obviously, it's a private venue. Uh, they are permitted to pretty much do whatever they like, the Market Hotel in Brooklyn. But I'm sure if uh, people were to make phone calls to the Market Hotel in Brooklyn... Or maybe have demonstrations out there, make their life miserable. They might renege uh, on uh, inviting John Hinckley Jr. to perform there on July 8th on their stage with special guests. I'm guessing uh, Marilyn Manson and the Dead Kennedys. Got to be. I I think out of all the performing artists that I've ever heard, uh, and not in person, but uh, just in terms of uh, on the stream, Boy, what a great opening act it would be. Marilyn Manson and the Dead Kennedys for John Hinckley Jr. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, Curtis, before I get back to Winston Churchill, come on, let's be sensible. Nobody, I never voted for Reagan. I would never vote for Reagan. But nobody in his right mind wanted any harm to come to him, okay? So let's, you know, can we stop with this tarring, I don't know any hip, I don't know, listen, I don't care who goes to Kinkley's concert, I won't go. I wouldn't spend the 20 bucks, I wouldn't spend a nickel. He's a, he, he probably should be in jail for the next hundred years. But there are a lot of us who did not vote for Reagan. Reagan made a lot of statements that if you investigate and if you look, you probably might disagree with some, but I don't want to get into that discussion. Oh, yeah. Look, Iran Contra, we could go right down the laundry yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get to Winston Churchill, because you interest me on this. You mentioned a few of the lesser valiant things that Churchill was noted for. I didn't know. I knew that he was a um, journalist in South Africa. I didn't know about the concentration camps, but I knew about what happened in India, and I knew about Ireland. Let's get to World Wars One and Two. Churchill was, of course, as you know, Lord of the Admiralty, and he was the one who orchestrated one of the great botched disasters of military history, Gallipoli. Well, actually, he what he wanted to do was to kick, knock Turkey out of the war. So he organized an Anglo-English, an Anglo-French fleet to try to run the Dardanelles and to force the Turks out. Unfortunately, the Turks were a lot harder fighters than he gave them credit for, Of the 18 ships that went in there, 10 were sunk or knocked out. He resigned a month after that botch. But he also orchestrated Gallipoli, which was another great disaster. 300,000 soldiers died, mostly Australians and New Zealanders. After that, he was out of service for 20 years. And if it hadn't been for an unemployed house painter from Vienna named Adolf Schickelgruber, Churchill still might have stayed out of service. You know, by the way, that during the 1930s, 
One of the great events that happened in England was the abdication of Edward VIII because of his uh, shenanigans and assignations with one Wallace Simpson. Well, most of the British aristocracy wanted Edward gone. Uh, Edward probably had Nazi sympathies and leanings. We know that now, as many members of the British aristocracy did. They wanted the Germans to point their guns, not west, but east. They figured if they got, he got, got in a tussle with, with the Russians, they'd both be gone. Churchill was the only one who told Edward, stand fast, Eddie. You want her, go get her and still be king. Now let's get to World War II. Now, if, uh, before, you, before we get to World War II, remember when he was telling King Edward VIII not to abdicate, to stand firm, I wonder if he even knew that his daddy, King Edward VII, uh, had had a affair with his mother, meaning Winston Churchill's mother. I wonder if either of these men were aware of that. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. There are a lot of conspiracy theorists who think that the whole, for example, Rudolf Hess flight to England, uh, that uh, Hess was trying to broker a peace between Germany and England, that the the Rudolf that the guy who was said to be Rudolf Hess was a body double, and that the real Rudolf Hess died in a mysterious plane crash in 1942 with a younger brother of Edward VIII, that is George, yes, another George, Duke of Kent, who had definite Nazi leanings, and for years they've been rolling that one around. Anyway, well, well, before we get there, before we get to World War II, uh, the royal family. Uh, oftentimes befriended a guy named Mosby who was in charge of the black shirts in the UK. Exactly. And right. he was, th- no, no, he go ahead. Have, he would have become, he would have become prime minister had there been a fascist takeover, had the Germans successfully invaded England, et cetera, et cetera. Now, just to get to World War II very quickly. Hold on a second. Before you get to World War II, remember who was also the Nazi sympathizer that had a great relationship with the royal family, but was with call, was recalled from his post at the UK as our ambassador. But Kennedy, the father, Kennedy. who was yeah. a Nazi sympathizer himself. And a rum runner. Remember that. He was a rum runner. Yep. I believe he made a lot of money drinking the, drinking the hooch. Anyway, <laughs> World War II. Uh, the French hated Churchill. Why? Because, first of all, he condemned them for, quote-unquote, betraying the British. Uh, When France fell to the Germans, the French had a squadron. They had a fleet in the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. We neutralized the uh, French fleet in Martinique. Uh, We just simply went down there and said, guys, you aren't going anywhere. Just stay there. Don't move. Otherwise, we'll send the Marines after you. But in the Mediterranean, the French had had a... squadron, I believe, in either Oran or Algiers. And Churchill told them, come out, surrender, decommission, go into, inter- you know, uh, uh, go into a neutrality or else. French didn't listen. So what did he do? He sent the Royal Squadron of the Royal Navy and they sank four French battleships and cruisers, killing 1,200 sailors. The French never forgave him for that, but he never apologized. Uh, during the bombing of England, Coventry was bombed by the Germans. Flattened. It is quite possible that Churchill may have known in advance. And how did he know? Because the folks at Bletchley Park, who had decoded, they had taken the German Enigma machine, 
Ultra, they had informed him that the Germans were about to bomb Coventry. But Churchill realized something, that if he had the RAF waiting for the Germans, they would add two and two together and come up with four and realized that their Enigma code had been cracked. And there are many historians. I've met several of them uh, at conferences. There are many historians who think that Churchill knew about Coventry, but he did nothing about it. A couple of other things about World War II. Churchill did not want the cross-channel invasion. He wanted the Allies to invade through Greece and the Balkans because he wanted to trump, pardon my language, the Russians. He wanted, he wanted to get into Eastern Europe ahead of the Russians. Now, in the fall of 1944, Churchill met Stalin in Moscow at a conference. Have you ever heard of something called the Naughty Document? It was a little piece of paper. Because one of the things that Churchill realized was that the Russians were taking over Eastern Europe. Their armies were already uh, in Romania, Bulgaria, in Yugoslavia. They were in Poland. They were heading for Hungary, Czechoslovakia, all over the place, they, they, into the Baltic states, even Finland. Okay, Churchill wanted, above all, to make certain that Greece would stay within the orbit of the West. And so he made a deal with Stalin that went something like this. Okay, Joe, let's look. Let's parcel out these countries. We'll see who gets the influence. The British would have 90% influence in Greece. The Germans would, uh, the Germans, the Russians would have 90% in Romania, 75% in Yugoslavia, 50% in Bulgaria and Hungary. And the whole idea was here. And Stalin, he agreed because he realized he gave up. He literally said, okay, you know what? I can afford to let Greece go. That's one. I got five. I got six. I got seven. And when FDR heard about this naughty document, he just blew up and said, what imperialist garbage this is. But Churchill, you know, Churchill once said, I have not become prime minister so that I can be here when the British Empire falls apart. Right. He was a strong imperialist. Very, very strong. And as I say, there, you know, there were many things. You know, listen, he made great speeches. I think the best line he ever said, and I'm not going to use a British accent here, after El Alamein, after Stalingrad, and after the defeat of the, uh, the, North, uh, the Africa Corps, May 12, 1943, when uh, Tunisia fell to the Allies, and Rommel wasn't even in, in uh, Africa. He was in Germany recovering from an illness. Churchill went before Parliament and he said the following, this is not the end, nor, in fact, is it the beginning of the end. It is, however, the end of the beginning. <laughs> hey, you did line. quite well there without the cigar and the, uh, the little whiskey uh, in your hand. I mean, that guy was a lush. He drank well, like a fish. I didn't know that. He, 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 what? He, he, he was a drunk? Whoa, he would drink morning, noon, and night. Uh, he said he suffered from depression. Uh, oh, I didn't the, know that. The way he would ward off depression is he would write whenever possible. He had a diary. He would write books. He would write letters. Uh, he said that helped ward off the depression. But uh, a few glasses of whiskey uh, definitely warded off that depression too, Robert. Well, I'll tell you what, Curtis, I, I like it when you walk down memory lane. Or that's what got me to call you, because 
I love talking history with you, and uh, you you know your stuff. You uh, well, you I mean, imagine a- here as much as we uh, herald uh, the life and times of Winston Churchill to know that Adolf Hitler got the idea of the concentration camps from what uh, Winston Churchill had written about them, where he was praising the detention of the white Boers, 28,000 that died in the concentration camps that the Brits had set up in South Africa, and that Saddam Hussein, years later, he got the idea of gassing the Kurds because when, when the Kurds rebelled against Churchill and the Brits, Churchill wanted to gas them. You know, one last thing about Churchill. You know, Churchill always claimed that he knew nothing about the Holocaust. That's an out-and-out out lie. In 1942, there were reports. Now, understand something. The first, the first death camp that was discovered was discovered by the Russians. When the Russians were heading for Warsaw, they stopped at a village called Majdanek. Now, there were six death camps they were all in Poland. None of them were, I mean, there were concentration camps where thousands and thousands died in Germany and elsewhere. But there were six specific uh, <coughs> camps in Poland. There was uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau, Belzic, Chelmno, Majdanek, Sobibor, and Treblinka. They were death camps. You got on the trains. You were sent east. You got off. You go to the shower. You know, you, you work. We work you to death. The rest go into the showers. Churchill knew in 1942 about that, and when the Russians found Majdanek in the summer of 1944, because Stalin stopped the Russian soldiers from <coughs> going to Warsaw, because he knew that the Polish underground was going to rise up, the anti-communist Polish underground, the Home Army, <coughs> and what uh, Stalin wanted was for the Germans to wipe them out, and that's exactly what they did. They rose on the 1st of August. In two months, 200,000 Poles were killed. The Germans raised Warsaw to the ground, totally destroyed it. And that allowed the Russians to eventually go into Poland, take Poland, turn it into a satellite. But by that point, the home army, the anti-communist had been destroyed. And uh, so, but again, you know, Churchill was a, I don't want to say he was a pragmatist, but Churchill always said, Churchill always said that if he could, you know, if, if you know, if he could join the devil, if the devil was anti-German, he would join him. And uh, Churchill ha- had a lot of strange thoughts. But I do thank you for bringing up. I didn't. I, I do thank you for bringing up. I did not know about the concentration camps in South Africa. I knew he was a journalist there, but I didn't know about the war. So thank you much. Oh for yeah, no, no. That's, uh, uh, you know, in my travels around the world, you know, we learn one thing in America. We learned one thing about Winston Churchill. And then when I was in Ireland, they wanted to spit on me because I mentioned Winston Churchill. (laughs) Then all of a sudden I'm in India, right? I'm traveling from Bombay to Madras to Poncherry. I mentioned Churchill. And they said, that blankety-blank, he killed like millions of them. He starved them to death in the Bengali area. Uh, Tell Tell me, Curtis, I'm very curious. How many? Do you know how many countries you've been to? Have you, do you have a, I would say probably uh, half the countries in the world. Uh, at one point or another, I've been able to visit uh, in either visiting the set up guardian angels or to do lectures or visits uh, for other uh, rash, uh, for other reasons. Uh, but I'm o- I was always amazed whenever I would mention uh, Winston Churchill's name. 
the negative feedback I would get in so many of these other countries about Winston Churchill, and definitely in Israel. Oh, definitely in Israel, because remember, they rebelled against the Brits. Uh, That's true. That's true. Tell me this. Is there any country, Curtis, that you've never been to that you really, really want to get to? Is there one country that Curtis Lee wakes up and says, you know, this is where I want to be? Yeah, Red China. Red China. You've never been to Red China? No, mainland China. They wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me go. Uh, I was in Japan. I had uh, just visited Taiwan, a.k.a. Formosa, Ooh. our China. And uh, they, they had the earthquake there, and our Japanese guardian angels were helping the Chinese in uh, Taiwan. And the authorities in Red China said, no, this guy, he ain't coming here. Yep. The only other country I was not permitted to visit was Saudi Arabia. Uh, I had been to Dubai. They barely let me in there because they saw... My passport was stamped at Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel, but they let me stay. And then I went to Bahrain, which is right next to Saudi Arabia, attached by a bridge. It's where our U.S. naval base is in the Persian Gulf. Uh, had no problems there. But the moment I tried to get into Saudi Arabia, they looked at my passport. They said, what is this Ben-Gurion Airport stamp? And they turned me around and they said, you can't come in. But I bet you. If I was a Jewish surgeon or a Hindu surgeon for one of the uh, 3,000 fake, phony, fraudulent shakes uh, with the fugazi mustaches uh, and beards uh, who would have heart problems or cancer problems, they would give me the green light to come in. Then if you're a Jew, if you're a Hindu and you're a doctor, it's okay because you're going to take care of the house of fraud. Other than that, you got to stay on the outside looking in. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Bernie and Sid in the morning. There's no way that Joe Biden can say that he had no idea what was going on when, in fact, we've got on record Joe Biden writing a letter of recommendation for Hunter Biden's Chinese business partner's son. You know what we call that, Sidney? A smoking gun. <laughs> you are busted, there, Pops. Bernie and Sid in the morning. Weekday morning, 6 to 10. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Curtis Lewa. Many of you listening have aging parents that were affected during the pandemic when nursing homes took in COVID patients. Not true. The state only issued guidance to nursing homes, suggesting that they admit such patients. Even after the guidance was rescinded, nursing homes continued to admit COVID patients into their facilities. And Governor Cuomo's administration continually underreported nursing home COVID deaths by 50%. All in all, approximately 16,000 residents in long-term care facilities died of COVID in New York State. If you or a loved one contracted COVID in a nursing home, you may be entitled to financial compensation. The law firm of Crenshaw, Gusman, Herbert, they're working hard to make sure that you get justly compensated from your suffering. Know your rights. Pick up the phone now. Call for your free consultation. 212-227-2900. That's 212-227-2900. The KG Law Team, 212-227-2900. Great song by Eddie Sheeran, Bad Habits. And oh boy, you talk about bad habits. What's happening in our city now as these young thugs are just terrorizing neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood. In Brooklyn, in the Bronx, on the subways. 
in the city of New York doesn't have a handle on it. Not a handle on it. But I make myself available to the Adams administration. I've been dealing with this for 43 years. And you got to think like a criminal. You don't think like a law-abiding man or a woman. You think like a criminal. And then you'll know how to cut them off at the pass. But if you're not preemptive, if you don't do stop and frisk, if you don't do traffic stops, then the youngsters are going to... They're going to be, you're going to be a dollar short and a day late and trying to keep up with them. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jennifer in Boston. Uh, and I see you want to talk about the story of the day as I announced that John Hinckley, the guy who tried to kill Ronald Reagan, is going to have a concert in Brooklyn on July 8th at 8 o'clock in which apparently they've already sold out the tickets. And people, Jennifer, are saying... When is he coming to Boston? When is he coming to Chicago? Where's the merch? Where's the merch? God help us, Curtis. Um, That's all I could think is you said he announced on Twitter. And I thought, well, isn't it rich that we're living in a time where a a man that attempted to kill a president of the United States is on Twitter, Twitter, but the former president of the United States is banned from Twitter. <laughs> That's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that. Think about that. Trump can't go on there, but the attempted assassin uh, and the man who was so horribly injured, uh, Brady, and also the uh, other CIA, I mean, uh, Secret Service agent. I mean, this, this, and don't forget the Revolutionary Guard, Iran Revolutionary Guard. They're all on there, the Mullahs, Chinese Communist government, you know. We are living in some wacky times, and it does not surprise me that these sycophants would want to show up and have a Hinkley T-shirt or whatever. I know the type in Boston. They're the same type down there and you know, Soho, wherever. You know, they're, I don't know, Curtis, strange times are upon us, and that's why I love you. By the way, whenever I hear that Ed Sheeran song, you know, I always think of you and Nancy. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Jennifer. And, in fact, you just gave me thought, pause for thought, Now that you compared former President Donald Trump being banned from Twitter, yet John Hinckley, who tried to kill Ronald Reagan, has a Twitter account that Mm -hmm. since Elon Musk now sits on the board of directors because he's been a major stock purchaser, could well purchase all of Twitter and turn it into a private corporation, uh, that we ought to reach out to him and say, how could this double standard exist? Oh, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable to me, the stuff that goes on on Twitter, like the violent. Um, and, and before, after I get up this, I have one more point, if I could. But um, the there was, oh, who's the guy? Uh, Ron Perlman. Did you hear the, the, the vile tweet that he put out? It was, um, uh, you know, reco- I, was it, was it, I think it was on Twitter. Can you do... Um, can you do video on Twitter, too, or is it just alt in text form? No, no, no. You could attach things to it. Yes, you can attach things, as long as it's not uh, too long. Well, this guy, it was either on that Instagram, whatever, but um, it was something that I, I remember thinking he would be banned if he was a conservative saying anything. But it was Ron Perlman, the actor, and he just, he was dropping F-bombs and insults and, and the most dis- despicable way against Ron DeSantis. Um, it was really bad. And, and that, that stayed up. It was never taken down. It somehow didn't violate any of their, you know, codes of conduct. 
Um, but you know, it, it's really very strange the disparity on there. It's it's really sad. Well, well, I think uh, you you've given you've given us uh, an idea now, Jennifer, that uh, we should try to reach out to Elon Musk and say to him, how is it that John Hinckley Jr. can have a Twitter account, guy who tried to kill Ronald Reagan, a guy who paralyzed his uh, press uh, attaché uh, Brady and shot two others and was released from a psychiatric hospital. Uh, He was declared to be insane, never ended up doing what should have been triple life without parole, ended up being uh, paroled to his uh, mama, a real Mama Luke, a real Mongolooch in a house in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And then after joining a bowling league and bowling twice a week, I don't know who the hell would want to bowl with him, uh, he now lives on his own. And apparently people want him to come to Boston and Chicago and do concerts there, and they want to buy merch from John Hinckley Jr. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Junior, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard. He on W.A.B.C., Junior. Ciao, Curtis. This is Junior in Staten Island, and um, I tried to get a hold of you last week to tell you what happened the week before, but I couldn't get through. Um, And let me say, you were so hopelessly correct. I was coming by Cook Funeral Parlor a couple miles back up the road here from me and Frank's neighborhood. And I looked to my right, and I seen his vehicle parked in the, uh, what I thought to be the funeral parlor parking lot. And there was a lot of activity around there. So I know curiosity killed the cat, Curtis, but uh, I turned around, went back, uh, put Rusty on the floorboards inside and cracked the window. And I put on my sunglasses and my Yankee cap. And I uh, nonchalantly snuck inside that funeral parlor. And lo and behold, there was Frank making small talk with the son of the gentleman that was laid out with his arms folded. And he was eating a piece of cake on a folding chair. And um, he was telling the young man that... uh, uh, the, the deceased and him were both uh, uh, grocery baggers when they were teenagers uh, back in the day, only for a couple of months, but all the fun they had and the, the nonstop laughing and and uh, talking about their foreman and imitating the seafood manager at the store. And, and then uh, Frank made his way back to the cake table. And uh, they had these little gold knives and these gold forks laid out. And it was a beautiful marble cake. I guess you call it a twin layer. It was round, double stacked. And they had several frostings out there that you could choose from and spread on with a little gold knife. And uh, (laughs) Frank made his way back to that table and he's talking to this young man and they're shuffling along and uh, he took two napkins on a big plastic red chinette plate and he it was about a third of the cake left and he took one on each side and put the whole cake on his plate and then he shoved his gold fork in the center of the chocolate icing that people were able to choose from 
and uh, he went back with the cake and set that on the chair next to him, and then he shoved that fork in that uh, tub of icing and made his way back. And when he got done, he was scraping the sides of a whole tub of chocolate frosting that he ate right down to the bottom. And I'm sitting a couple of rows behind him, large cup of coffee, and I just couldn't believe my eyes. But you were, you were so hopelessly correct, Curtis. Uh, uh, that Frank the Mooch Macaroni Murano, uh will get whatever he can for free, no matter what it takes. And um, Curtis. I was going to ask you if you could do me a favor sure. at the end of this call. Would you sure. allow me to put a an Italian curse on Frank Morano? I think it would mean uh, mean a lot more if if it would be on the air. Well, uh, I well, call it the Melalucci. Yeah. Well, well let me let it me. It would only take about a minute. Yeah. Let me give it. Let me give you that some thought. I just want to go back to uh, as you talked about Frank. He has this uh, propensity. Uh, as he drives around Staten Island, if he sees a wake in progress, uh, most times he doesn't even know the people uh, who are uh, laid out, who are there as family and friends are uh, going to pay their last respects. And he'll actually stop by. People will want to know who he is because they don't know him. Uh, and he's there. He, he'll actually kneel down. He'll say a prayer over the person in the casket. He'll talk with the people and then he works his way in the back for for a cup of coffee and, like you said, a uh, nice uh, few slices of cake. Entenmann's cake is he loves Entenmann's cake. He'll go anywhere for Entenmann's cake. Absolutely, and uh, I'm glad I went in and was able to disguise myself a little bit and see this for my own eyes. And and I told myself, Curtis Lee. Curtis couldn't have been more hopelessly correct, mm. uh, and it's true. And now, Junior, this—if uh, you don't mind—yeah, this uh, this curse. That, where did you learn this curse? Because I've heard of many curses that were uttered by uh, members of the Bade side of my family. My mother, Francesca, they were from Andria in Italy, and they had a series of uh, curses. Uh, uh, the Malukia, as they would call it. Where did you learn this particular curse? Oh, thanks so much for asking. Uh, I was in an Italian gambling hall at a very young age. As I think I told you in the past, my father worked at, uh, it was a front for a cigar store. And they had everything from pinochle to poker to, you know, bet the ponies, uh, sports. But uh, I was playing gin rummy with an, I was only 16, and I'm playing gin rummy with an, uh, an Italian gentleman named Tommy Canino. And he always wore a Cleveland Indians cap, and he always took my money. But uh, one day, he uh, put his hand under his chin, and his two side fingers were wiggling at me. And he said, I'm going to put an Italian curse on you. And he said, this will last for the rest of your life. And, you know, I've had nothing but bad luck for 65 years. But uh, at the end, his hand shot out towards my face from under his chin. And he hollered, I'll never forget it, Melalucci. He said, Italian curse. And 
like I say, I've had nothing but bad luck for 65 years. So, oh. Did you ever go to uh, any sorcerer or any Sicilian widow uh, who might be able to remove that curse from you? No, but I thank you very much for the tip. I mean, I could go on here for days and days and days and tell you all the bad luck I've had in 65 years, and you wouldn't believe it. Oh, no, no, I I would. I've seen the effect of these uh, old-world Italian curses. Not far from Messina on the island of Sicily, uh, there is a home for widows. They dress all in black when their husbands pass away. They they give uh, support to one another. And people will travel all over the world. It's about 20 miles outside of Messina. And they they seek to remove these Italian curses that have been put on them, uh, the Malukia. And uh, the women, they spend a lot of time uh, in their latter years just removing curses that have been put on others for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons, like you had just mentioned uh, sometimes people yep. don't even realize that they've had the Malukia, the Italian curse put on them, and they go to these women, and they, they don't charge any money. They live very frugally. Uh, they live a very chaste life. They're always dressed in black. Some of them have mustaches, like some of the women do in the hills of Sicily, and they uh, they say a series of Italian words, and they remove the curse. Oh, boy, I wish I could afford to go. Uh, I mean... Like I say, I can't be animate enough on how bad my luck's been since Tommy Canino placed a Melalucci on me. And I was going to try to put one on Frank the Mooch Macaroni and see if it affected him at all. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think know. I think at this point, though, Junior, he's got uh, he's got his son, Carmine. They haven't yet had their baptism. They're planning on that. Maybe right. that's something we should do after the christening. Well, I thank you very much for your uh, empathy, and uh, uh, that would be a fine idea. Um, I'd be sitting here with my chin on my hand, just like Tommy Canino, with my side fingers wiggling. And, and when I shot it out, I'd probably say Melalucci. Well, what I'm what name. I'm what I'm going to do, Junior, is uh, because I have not been invited to the christening and baptism. I'm going to get to that in the four o'clock hour, which I feel is an outrage. Um, right? Would you mind if I would actually lobby his wife Rachel? Because he he uses as the excuse says, "Well, Rachel made up the invitation list." I know Rachel wouldn't do that. But I'm going to suggest that you and I, Junior, be invited to the christening uh, because we know so much okay. about Frank. Maybe that embracement we talked about some months back might help uh, or might happen. Look, look, he, remember when he got married, he invited me and Nancy uh, to the uh, wedding. Uh, we sat for the wedding and then afterwards at the catering hall, uh, he had sat me next to uh, the very guys who tried to kill me, the Gaudis and Gambinos. Oh, wonderful. So I but, think uh, if you leave it to me, Junior, I'll talk to Rachel because, you know, Frank, he's gonna he's never going to tell his wife, Rachel. I'll say, Rachel, if it's okay, I'd like to attend along with Junior. We've talked so much, both Junior and I, about Carmine 
we should be there for right. the baptism and the christening, and then maybe we can bury all bones. We can end everything, Junior. That would be wonderful. And uh, I'll keep in touch. I'll keep listening to uh, your show, even if I don't call all weekend and see how you make out. Good. And then also, Junior, uh, along with your trusty uh, dog, Rusty, continue to yeah. walk the grounds there. And just, uh, you don't have to put an evil eye on Frank, the Maluk here, but just right. keep an eye on his activities. I sure will, Curtis, and I wanted to mention, I know you have a special hour for this. I believe it's tomorrow night at midnight or 1 a.m., but uh, living in a fancy neighborhood, and I've got seven cats in here that I got spayed and neutered and brought them in the home, so I don't like a lot of people to know, you know, but uh, I'm a cat man, too, and um, I just wanted you to know I never wanted to interfere with your one-hour special you have, I believe, on Sunday night. So, But I, I did need to mention that, uh, you know, and I've got another seven buried in the bushes, but I kind of hide it along the front of the house, you know, so people don't know they're obviously grave sites. Sure, but I've rescued sure. many, many cats over the years. Yeah. No, you're doing, you're doing God's work with Rusty and the cats and uh, we, uh, I'm going to uh, definitely, Junior, I'm going to approach Rachel, see if uh, both I and Junior can uh, go to this baptism. And then maybe settle all scores with Frank so that this does not continue this harshness uh, towards uh, his neighbor, Junior, Rusty, and of course me, who I've known uh, Frank for many, many years. I, I think Rachel will be able to resolve this. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Karen, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Good morning. Uh, come on. Oh, I didn't know you were uh, Sophia from the Golden Girls, because she always used to mention about the Sicilian curse she was going to put on people that she didn't like in, in but, that show. But if you notice, Karen, I, I prevented Junior from... Issuing the curse. I did Frank Morano a solid there. That's one thing, though, uh, with this. I've heard him talk about Frank Morano, and I kind of resent the fact that he keeps talking about the activities that uh, Frank. I mean, I don't know what the issue is between the three of you, but it's almost like stalking. And, you know, and to, to tell Frank Morano's movements on the radio, I don't think that's right. Well, he's only doing it out of concern. You have to understand he's Junior's an old Italian guy. And you know how it is. You walk your dog. Your dog, you know, your dog's got to go. He's got to go. So Junior is out there. He's walking his dog. And then he sees these things. He's Look, that's why. Yeah, but he seems to turn around and, and, like, follow him, which, you know, to me is not right. Well, that's why I want to end all of this. Uh, we could do this at the baptism afterwards, uh I can sit down with uh, Rachel and Junior and Frank and try to resolve this uh, yeah, so that uh, they're all good neighbors to one another. You know, a lot of people live in the south shore of Staten Island like Frank and uh, uh, our friend there, uh, definitely, uh, definitely uh, Junior. These differences can be resolved, but it's got to be done the old Italian way. I'm used to that. I don't think Rachel is. She's not Italian, so she doesn't understand. 
Well, Frank said that, uh, you know, she's got a large family. She's got like eight brothers and sisters or something. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of family members were attending that baptism. That's why you were not invited. Yeah, but come on. I was invited to the wedding, <laughs> and he know. sat me next to John Gotti Jr., who tried to kill me. Come on. He was your, he was your producer at one yeah, time? Yeah, on yeah. Imagine, here's my wife, Nancy. Now, she didn't grow up in invite. She grew up in Bohemia in Suffolk County. She's not used to members of organized crime. I am. And when we went there, she said, oh, my God, Frank is sitting us next to John Gotti Jr., <laughs> Victoria Gotti, other Gotti family members, and the Gambino crime family. <laughs> you want to hear something funny? I went to my brother's second wedding out in California, and he had my parents, myself, and my younger brother sit at a table with uh, my sister-in-law's ex-husband and oh. daughter from that marriage, oh. and we didn't know who they were at the time. Oh, <laughs> oh how uncomfortable so that had to be. <laughs> that had to be very uncomfortable when you found yes, out. Yes, it was. <laughs> wow. But imagine now, they had this huge catering hall. They invited everybody. Half of Staten Island went to their marriage. I know Mount Laredo. I've been in the church there in Mount Laredo. That was the scene in The Godfather. Remember where Michael Corleone was at the baptism and he said, we settle all scores. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I I know they're going to have the christening at Mount Laredo. I know that already. You know, I've heard through Catholic (laughs) charities that it will be Mm -hmm. there. Uh, And it's a lot of room. Karen, a lot of room. You could... You could have uh, Rachel's family there, Frank's family. You could fit all the Staten Island in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I know why he doesn't want me there. And obviously, uh, I know why he doesn't want Junior there. Uh, but I'm going to try to make the peace because, it, you know, I don't want a fence to make a good neighbor between Junior and Rusty, who seem like solid guys, and Rachel, Carmine, and Frank. I, I want there to be peace in Staten, Italy. So, uh I'm never a peacemaker. I'm known as a fighter, as somebody who actually, uh, you know, if you were playing pool, I break up the rack. But in this case, I'm going to put my own personal feelings aside. And I'm going to be like Mahatma Gandhi. I'm going to bring Junior and Rusty together with Rachel, Carmine, and of course, the Mamaluke, the Mangaluch, the Mashad, Frank Morano. And there'll be peace after the christening, after the baptism. I'm not going to say, let's settle all scores. I'm going to say, let's go in peace. More cowbell. More cowbell. More cowbell. Seasons don't fear the reaper. Nor do the wind, the sun, the rain. The cult, Don't Fear the Reaper, classic, classic old-style rock and roll. And it's so appropriate to the stub subject we're going to be talking about right now, marijuana, reefer, and the fact that once again, uh, I'm ahead of the curve telling you that our mayor, 
Eric Adams in just a few hours will be spending another day out of town. So this will make in the first hundred days. He uh, spent a day in Washington, D.C., then he went to Miami, he spent a day there. Then he went to Chicago for a crime conference in order to share information to the most ineffective mayor of all, Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, I call a lightweight in Chicago. He then went to uh, D.C. again. Uh, so uh, he's going to Albany not to lobby with anybody, uh, but rather to go to a workshop about the cannabis industry. So I don't know if he's celebrating uh, 100 uh, days in office by uh, actually uh, lighting up a spliff or a joint or, or a blunt. But he needn't have to go to Albany, Arbor Hill, South End. I mean, Albany is only a city of uh, 100,000 people. It's not that large a city. And then it has its surrounding uh, suburbs, Colony and a few other suburbs. It's not a largely populated area. Now, is there uh, marijuana sold there? Of course. You have the university. In fact, Chris Hahn uh, praises uh, his time spent at Albany University, where he was the cook kicker on a football team of no consequence and a bartender in a local gin mill. Uh, I'll be uh, debating Chris Hahn uh, left versus right on Sunday from 3 to 5, and I'll certainly be mentioning that. Why would the mayor be spending a whole day in the next few hours at workshops about the cannabis industry in Albany? All you have to do is walk around the boroughs, the five boroughs of New York City, and smell, smell the marijuana being lit up. They're blazing it out in the streets. Well, first off, let's delve into the subject because technically recreational marijuana is legal in New York State. It's legal in New Jersey. It's been legal a long time in Massachusetts, and many people will cross over the border area of New York State and go to Massachusetts and buy their legal recreational marijuana. Lines oftentimes go outside of the parking lots. And it's New York plates, you see. And you have the legal recreational use of marijuana, I believe, in Connecticut, although I stand, I stand to be corrected on that. Yet, once again, New York is slow, as Jersey is slow, when it comes to the recreational use of marijuana. There is uh, medical marijuana, but trying to find where it's sold is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's not well advertised. And there are people who are severely in need of uh, medical marijuana. It can deal, especially when people are receiving chemotherapy and they get very nauseous and they can't eat. And it deals with reflux and so many other issues. And it has a calming effect. And it's a hell of a lot better than prescribed nar- narcotics are. Uh, prescribed uh, narcotics to deal with pain like oxycodone, oxycodine like Xanax, like uh, Percocet, like Vicodin. Uh, I would say a million times over, you would much rather have a patient using medical marijuana, whether it is uh, in the form of smokable, uh, whether it is baked into a product, whether it is in a, a candy form, whatever form it comes in, a thousand times better than those other painkillers. Although at times those painkillers are important. I know because I lived on painkillers for quite some time, including fentanyl in the aftermath of me being shot 
five times with hollow point bullets on the orders of John Gotti Jr. to the Gambino crime family back on June 19th of 1992. And then surviving first colitis, then ileitis, then chronic Crohn's disease uh, back in uh, 2016 in which I had to go for an eight-and-a-half-hour operation at Columbia Presbyterian. And let me tell you something. I'd rather get shot five times with hollow-point bullets again rather than go through colitis, ileitis, and chronic Crohn's disease. The pain there is incessant. It's nonstop. It never ends. So it's important that medical marijuana be available, and it should be available much more readily than it is now. It's not easy to find in New Jersey, not easy to find in New York. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So rather than uh, our mayor, Mayor Eric Adams, spending a whole day in Albany, uh, which means uh, he's not going to be dealing with the enormous crime problems in the city, and they're, they're enormous. Teenagers on the warpath in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in Queens. Savagery taking place. You may have seen that situation in Japan. A bunch of young guys came upon a, a young man on a motorbike, beat him intensely, robbed his, uh, his motorbike. In Brooklyn, mugged a guy out in, uh, in early evening on a crowded street in Brooklyn. And not fearing any ramifications whatsoever. And in the Bronx, just series after series of shootings. Uh, two brothers arrested for shooting a 61-year-old uh, woman in the back and killing her. And then the most recent uh, killing was uh, outside of South Bronx High School near St. Anne's at 157th. A young lady was killed. Another young lady was injured. Another young man was killed. And the suspects uh, have uh, vanished. Remember, there was a 12-year-old boy not far from where I grew up in Canarsie in East Flatbush. Uh, they were the victims of what appeared to be a drive-by shooting. There are many drive-by shootings in New York City. We never had drive-by shootings before. It's now become the norm, not the exception. They still haven't made any arrests uh, in, that, in that shooting and that killing of the 12-year-old. Uh, so it just goes on and on. The mayor needs to spend time solely dealing with the growing crime problem, especially amongst teenagers and young adults. It's off the hook. But instead, he wants to go for a workshop about the cannabis industry in Albany and spend all day there probably sampling the product or learning more. I could easily take him into a number of illegal, unlicensed dispensaries right here in New York City where they sell pot. And the police do not stop them because technically it is legal. Recreational use of marijuana is legal. It was passed by the legislature over two years ago and signed into law. But the dispensaries have not been set, set up. And there's a loophole in the state law that allows for the legal use of recreational uh, marijuana. So, for instance, uh, I would take uh, Mayor Eric Adams to the Lower East Side or Chelsea. There are a number of storefronts that were empty because of the lockdown and pandemic that have now been turned into marijuana-selling locations. And this is how they operate within the law. They'll sell you a video or a mixtape and then give you a gift of reefer on the side, but you're really paying for the reefer. So, for instance, I give you a mixtape 
you'll pay uh, for the mixtape. You may be paying me $50 or $60, and you're also getting marijuana or video or whatever it is. Uh, So you're not just buying the marijuana. Now, in New York State, possession of under three ounces of weed is kosher. You're not breaking the law. And I'm thinking to myself, God, three ounces, that's a hell of a lot of reefer. For those of you out there who know the business or have yourself been uh, separating the seeds and stems over the years, I think out of one ounce, if you were making fatties, what I mean by that is fat joints, you can probably get, oh, I would say a good uh, 30 fat joints out of an ounce. So figure with three ounces, 90. And then if you had thin joints, uh, like I'll call them, uh, what can we call them, toothpick joints, you probably could get 100 out of a uh, ounce uh, of weed, a total of 300 out of three ounces. Now imagine, that's legal. That's legal. So if you go into these unlicensed dispensaries, uh, you're actually asking for a bud tender, not a bartender, like you would in a jail mill. You ask for a bud tender and they will get you your desired marijuana. Stanton Street, Lower East Side, it's right there. You just go a few storefronts, it's all there. The mayor does not need to go up to the South End or Arbor Hill or Central Avenue or any of the other locations in Albany to learn about marijuana at a workshop all day, sampling the product, going puff, puff, pass. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When the dispensaries are set up in New York State, you cannot sell weed that is grown outside of New York. It has to be grown within the state of New York in a legal weed store. The problem is, is that still marijuana on a federal level is illegal. Under the federal law, Uh, the DEA equates marijuana as being a level one drug, as dangerous as fentanyl, which is crazy. So if you cross state lines with a bag, it could result in a federal criminal prosecution. But we're seeing that there's less and less of that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Howard, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Howard. Hi, Curtis. Yes, Howard. Yes, I called to say that I smoke pot recreationally and medicinally. I have spinal stenosis, and it's very, very painful. And I I smoked this morning. That was the last time I smoked. And we, we get a friend from a friend from a friend. I don't even know where it comes from, and I don't ask any questions. Huh. And so uh, you don't uh, get it from a legal medical marijuana dispensary. I don't even know where one of those is, Curtis. I, would, I couldn't even tell you where one exists. No, you're right. It's not, they're not easy to find, Howard. Uh, you would think they would make it more readily available for people. Uh, I mean, uh, for the problems you have before you were smoking marijuana to deal with the uh, what kind of spinal issue do you have? It's called spinal stenosis. It's where the vertebrae squeeze the spinal cord, and it's very painful. So before you were smoking marijuana medicinally, what kinds of medicines were they prescribing to you? 
Oh, you'll love this. Oxycodone, Percocet, and Tramadil. How did you feel when you took those drugs? I just got, I went to sleep. It didn't kill the pain. I just slept 18 hours a day. Marijuana is better than all of those pills put together. Because you can be functional. Yeah, I can function pretty well. Yeah, you see, I don't think a lot of people realize that the uh, the stronger narcotics like Vicodin, uh, like Oxycodone, Oxycontin, uh, they just mask the pain so that uh, when the pain wears off, then not only uh, is it hurting like hell, but you even have a desire to have more of the drug than your prescription really allows. Uh, most people get into yeah. trouble because they don't follow the prescription. Yeah. I just met the surgeon and we, we consulted and I, I, I took, I gave him all the pictures of the um, MRI and the x-rays. So I'm going to find out soon what he wants to do with me. And uh, did you uh, convey to him that you use marijuana to deal with the pain? As a matter of fact, I did. And what was his response? He kind of looked askance, but he didn't judge me. It, it was a mixed reaction, I would say. I told him I was self-medicating. I told him on what, which was pot. And that was it. You know, I smoke cigarettes, too. So I, I, I'm not, it's not really good for me. No, no. It's interesting that if you were to tell the doctor, right, say, well, you know, for the pain and suffering I go through because of my condition, I use medical marijuana. And obviously there's other forms than just the smokable form. Uh, but also, you know, I also smoke cigarettes. And in the past, there were many doctors who would say, well, you know, it's bad for you, uh, both the marijuana and the cigarettes. And you you could say that to somebody who hasn't been on these these prescribed pharmaceutical products that you've been on, Howard, that I've been on, that a lot of our listeners have been on, that cause... I'm a nervous wreck. Yeah, it causes other ancillary effects. People don't realize that they may mask over the pain briefly, but oh boy, are you saddled with other problems. Yeah, and no one even shot me. <laughs> well, the worst time was, I told you, it wasn't even when I got shot five times with the hollow point bullets. Uh, they put me on uh, uh, morphine, which uh, I got to yeah. tell you is uh, wow. uh, up until fentanyl, that was the best p uh, painkiller I ever had as long as you use it the way it's prescribed. But uh, when I had uh, chronic Crohn's disease, which uh, I had gone from 220 pounds to 140 pounds, uh, people looked at me and they thought that any minute I would just die. I had projectile vomiting. I was passing out. I was in very bad shape. Uh, and uh, when I was in the hospital after the surgery, eight-and-a-half-hour surgery, I had a really bad reaction to Vicodin. So my wife, Nancy, who was there at my bedside, said to the attending physician, said, would you happen to have any medical marijuana here, any of the candies or the gummies or, or, or any of the baked products? Because maybe he'll react mm -hmm. better to that. And they said, no, Nancy, we don't have that because it's against the federal law. So she goes, he's having a negative reaction to Vicodin. He's acting violently. He's put his fist right through the wall. He's a danger to be with under Vicodin, which I was. Uh, the nurses ran out of the room. 
Don't you think yeah. it would behoove someone to just give him medical marijuana in whatever form you want to give him? You don't want him to smoke it. That's understood. You're in a hospital setting. And he said, I would if I could, but marijuana is illegal under federal law. We could get yeah. in trouble with our hospital. We could lose our license. And you scratch your head and say, so you give him oxycontin, you give him oxycodone, you give him Vicodin, you give him Xanax, you give him all other kind of painkillers. Does that make any sense? Apparently not. All right. And how long have you been using marijuana? On and off since I was in college. Um, I'm 63 years old. I'm almost as old as you are. So on and off for decades. So you have to depend on a person who knows a person who knows a person in order to get your supply. The pipeline seems to be efficient. That's a good word to describe it. Yeah, it's everywhere. Uh, Howard, it's everywhere. People are are dealing it in their apartments, in businesses. Uh, It's readily available. uh, There's no way government can control uh, disbursements of it if it stays, uh, if it were to have stayed illegal. The problem is, is that you might be using it within the comfort and the privacy of your home to deal with your medical issue. But a lot of people will smoke it out in the open and then people have to smell that. And as you know, the smell of it uh, is not a pleasant one to a lot of people. So it upsets them to no end that they have to walk through a phalanx of guys who are out there doing puff, puff, pass. And the smell for some people is nauseating. Yeah, yeah, you're right, it is. And so there's got to be a way uh, in which you can have your smokable product but not blow it right into somebody's face, not be on a train, not be on a... find a little hedgerow where no one is. Yeah, but you you see there's some people, they just want to be able to go out there and puff, puff, smoke, uh, puff it in people's faces, puff it out in the open, and not realize that it's impacting other people the wrong way. That's something that has to be dealt with. I don't know if the mayor in a few hours is going to learn about that at his workshop about cannabis, the cannabis industry. I'm still wondering, what is Eric Adams going to learn up in Albany that he can't learn here in the five boroughs in the city of New York? I can take him to smoke places all through the five boroughs in which they're already doing this. You don't need to go to Albany. You don't need to go to Arbor Hill. You don't need to go uh, to the South End. You don't need to go to any government building. There are people already selling pot at unlicensed dispensaries in the Lower East Side in Chelsea openly. You can buy as uh, much as three ounces of weed and it's legal. And what they do is you walk in and they'll sell you a video or a mixtape. And you get the reefer as a gift. So nobody can say you bought it. Right down on Stanton Street. And a whole other bunch of locations. You don't have to go to Albany. Boy, this guy, Eric Adams, he, he likes uh, he likes to go on these junkets. It's, it's all in the backyard here in New York City. If you can't find it, there are others who are experts in the field who can guide you to what it is you're looking for. You don't even have to leave New York City. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Carol, who's patiently waiting in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Oh, hi, 
there, Curtis. You had asked a question earlier. I think his middle name, Hankley's middle name was David. Is that correct? Uh, say that again. Hankley's middle name was David, I believe. David. Uh, yes. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was David. John Hinckley Jr., I think is a war. John David Hinckley Jr. Is John David, okay. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you a, I think it was either Warlock or Warnock or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but, I'm but, not so sure about that. But can you but believe- i got to tell you something. Yes. I don't, everybody knew that, um, what's her name? Uh, you know, the actress. That he was infatuated with? Jodie Foster. Yeah, Jodie Foster. She's homosexual. She always has been homosexual. So why in the world would he be interested in her? I I don't get it. At that time, remember when he went to kill Ronald Reagan because he wanted to get her attention, he figured... Hey, she's not paying attention to me as I'm reaching out to her when she was at the Yale campus. So I'll kill Ronald Reagan. I'll shoot the president. That'll get her uh, attention. I don't think people at that point recognized that Jodie Foster was a lesbian, uh, as everybody knows now. Well, she did come out. She was quite uh, frank about it. So she did come out. Um but I got to say something to you. Some of your callers that called in tonight, they seem like such nut jobs. And I don't want to mention this guy's name because I don't want him calling me out. But you had a guy that called, and that, that guy definitely has psychological problems. Well, you do you realize, you, you do realize, the Carol. One that has an issue, the one that has an issue with Frank. Oh, you mean that's Junior with his trusty dog, Rusty. Junior, that's not even a real name. That's not even a name. No, no, there's, he has psychological problems. There's definitely something wrong with him. But why, why is he having, this is like the third time now that he's called and said things about Frank. I mean, why does he have an issue with Frank? Well, see, that's what I'm trying to resolve, Carol. Uh, if, uh, hmm. Uh, Rachel will be kind enough to invite me and Junior to the christening, the baptism. I'll be able yeah. to uh, make sure that everything is straightened out. But you see, Frank doesn't want to invite me to the baptism, uh, and he's blaming oh, his he, he's blaming his wife, which is unfair. Why blame Rachel for this? He was able to invite everybody to his wedding, including the Gaudis and the Gambinos and the guys who tried to kill me. <laughs> I know. Isn't that ridiculous? No, I, I think that everything's going to be okay with you and Frank and Rachel. But this guy, Junior, he needs to get a light. Really. Now, the question is, when I get Rachel to agree that Junior can come, can he bring his dog, Rusty? Uh, if he wants to, I suppose. Yeah, because remember, we're animal friendly, so... We're not gonna. Yeah. We're not gonna want to keep Rusty yeah. outside. Outside of the baptism, uh, well, it's going to be at Mount Saint Laredo. It's a very famous church in Tottenville. Uh, it was used uh, to film the Godfather scene where Michael Corleone, his uh, his child, was being baptized. Remember that? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. That very famous line where he said, "And now we settle all scores." Uh, that's yeah. a huge church. 
There's plenty of room in there. There's, a, it, there's no excuse not to have me and Junior. And, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that uh, uh, the dog, Rusty, uh, could, 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 could be invited too. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, we want to do this. There's enough. Yeah, there's enough battles in this world. There are enough fights. There's enough pestilence. There's a lot of killings going on that I think the idea of a baptism is like the start of a new life. We want to bring everybody together. It would be a perfect place to do that, to settle all these disputes. These are typical neighbor disputes. That's why they say offense makes for good neighbors. Yeah. I don't know. When I lived in Wheelock, and I don't live in Wheelock anymore, New Jersey, I got along with everybody. I was friendly with everybody that lived in the neighborhood. I never had an issue with anybody. I know, but the biggest issue that takes place is generally property issues between neighbors, you know, and that's why some refuse to put up a fence. They say, oh, I don't want to have to put up a fence. But ultimately, you do have to end up to put up a fence because a fence makes for good neighbors. Right. You know, it's like down at the border. Uh, If we were to put that fence up, that wall that Trump wanted, we wouldn't be facing uh, in uh, late May thousands yep. and thousands of people who are going to come streaming across that border. You're right about that. Absolutely. Now, now I'm going to settle this. I promise, Carol, you and everybody else in the audience that at that church at Mount St. Laredo on the day of the baptism and christening, mm-hmm. I'm sure Rachel will invite me, Junior and Rusty, and we'll make sure this doesn't go any further, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. You know what they say at the end uh, of the... I would uh, like to be there also. I would like to be there also. There's enough room. There's certainly enough Mm -hmm. room. But you know, it's like the two times that I go to church each year uh, as an A&P Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. So I'll get my palms this Sunday. And at the end, the priest says, and everyone go in peace, right? Yes. Right. So I, I know I know how to straighten this out, Carol. I've I dealt with neighbor disputes before, and I can easily yeah. see that uh, Rusty, uh, you know, he's a different generation than Frank. He's uh, like my generation. He's a boomer. He's got his dog, uh, Junior. He's excuse me, Rusty. Yeah. Right, right, right. I'll settle it. I'll, I promise you. Thank you. They'll be like brothers <laughs> in solidarity. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Carol. You're welcome. It's the least I can do. The least I can do for baby Carmine. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When we come back, interesting, we just had uh, a brand new United States Supreme Court justice voted in, uh, Jackson. People don't realize what happened in 1987. I'm going to take you back in the time machine, and it had to do, yes, with marijuana. A capable man who had been nominated by Ronald Reagan, no, not Judge Bork, uh, another candidate, was not able to become a United States Supreme Court justice because he had smoked marijuana a few times. Believe it or not, back then, it disqualified you from consideration. Nowadays... You would probably get acknowledged at the Academy Awards show, at the Emmys, and at the Grammys. 1-800-848-9222. What kind of cake is Wiz Khalifa baking? It had nothing to do with cake, ladies and gentlemen. 
Nothing to do with cake as plumes of marijuana smoke emerge from the set where he's doing that rap video from. And in just a few hours, Mayor uh, Eric Adams, who does not have control of the crime problem that's just exploding across the city, has decided he's going to take a day to go to Albany to attend workshops about the cannabis industry. What, next he's going to be going to Trenchtown in Jamaica and maybe uh, sit with the Jamaica uh, shower posse? This makes no sense at all. You can do all of that just within the five boroughs of the city of New York and then try to deal with this growing, growing crime problem. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, uh, recently this past week, Greg Kelly, boy, you don't want to miss this program. It's my favorite here at WABC because he moves in a million different directions He has attention deficit disorder. He digresses. It's a great show, but he was talking about pot that he despises and the mayor. And he shows up on the Stephen Colbert show. Actually, I think this is after the general election. This is a November, December time frame. So Eric Adams at this point is the mayor elect. So what does he do? He goes on national television and shares a little bit of marijuana with his new celebrity BFF, Stephen Colbert. Cut 54. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Oh, you it's know, big. And I can't give you this gift. i give it to you later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What are they, in eighth grade? And Eric has this stupid, stupid grin on his face. <laughs> Isn't he cute? You can smoke weed in public now in New York City. I guess that includes K2. Ever tried that stuff? Don't. May want to make you tr- jump out of a building. This stuff is a hundred times more powerful than the Weed or marijuana or grass people smoked back in the Woodstock days or whatever they did. This is this is potent stuff. They've become much better at growing pot, and it's more powerful. And it can really knock you out, and it can make you do some crazy things. So I don't know, maybe uh, encouraging people to smoke weed all the time might have something to do with the record crime. It certainly can. Although you can't really mix up K2 with marijuana. K2 is just leaves that get sprayed with various chemicals. A lot of it's manufactured in basements uh, right in Patterson, New Jersey. First Ward, uh, First Ward, Fourth Ward. And a lot of it is uh, put together in factories in the South where uh, it's openly sold in gas stations and convenience stores like it used to be here. Now you can get it from under a counter at a bodega. Oh, yeah. All you got to do is ask for K2. And you see the packaging and you say, wow, manufactured in Georgia. Deadly stuff. It just rearranges uh, your uh, neural uh, ability to be able to connect the dots. And here was uh, Dominic Carter recently talking about marijuana as a gateway drug. Marijuana is a gateway drug. Half of these kids out here 
the ones that are not doing anything, they believe that marijuana. Of the easy availability of drugs and and you know as a country we need to get serious with this we we got to make it less available hmm that was on a recent dominic carter show you can listen to him 12 midnight to one monday through fridays right before frank morano 1-800-848-9222 then there was uh greg kelly again talking about <laughs> drugs and being a dummy. Uh, yeah, right, 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 right. What about the drug dealers, you dummy? <laughs> and then my Kumbani Cheech, Rudy Giuliani. Now, he's busted many drug dealers. But I think he's been taken in a bit about this uh, thought process that fentanyl is being mixed uh, into uh, various gradations uh, of marijuana that are being sold into the streets. I think six or seven of our customers died of fentanyl overdoses from the marijuana. This is being basically sent in by China in a deal with the Mexican cartels. The Mexican cartels also deal with ISIS. They deal with the Islamic terrorists. I keep telling you this. These Mexican cartels are just as dangerous, I think, more than the Colombian cartels. And I prosecuted many, many of the Colombian cartel people. Yes, yes, you did, Rudy, but uh, you can't make that equation uh, with fentanyl marijuana. Have they found some uh, marijuana laced with fentanyl? Yes. But it is an exception, not the rule. And then finally is uh, Greg Kelly summing it up about pot. Hello, Gregory. Um, Yeah, I'd like to talk about the uh, legalization of uh, pot marijuana. It, the CCP, they do not allow it there. You get a minimum of 15 years. But they've sent it over here. And kind of, I see that it's kind of a reverse opium war. So the 1830s, 1860s, when they were dumping opium into China and controlling them. They're doing that to us. And also with fentanyl that came out, comes out of basically Afghanistan from the opium that's there and made into fentanyl, heroin, and this other stuff that's coming in to uh, pollute and destroy Americans. How old are you? Me? Yeah. Uh, I'm up there. Tell me. Well, I'm going to tell you, these new uh, marijuana plants, they were cultivated genetically in China. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because a lot of people of a certain age, you know, like, say, 60 and up, they remember Woodstock, maybe. Uh, The pot back then was pretty mild. This stuff is super duper intense and can really mess you up. Well, back then it was ragweed. Uh, he's certainly correct about that. The strains, the buds, uh, the performance level of the marijuana, it could either be uh, a function of dealing with your physical uh, ability or your mental ability. They can define it to that to that level. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And uh, I had mentioned in 1987, after uh, Judge Bork crashed and burned uh, as he interviewed to become a, a, the next U.S. Supreme Court justice uh, as uh, nominated by then-President Ronald Reagan, simply because he engaged the Senate. He uh, answered questions. He didn't play dodgeball like everybody uh, always does now 
when they're considered uh, to be elevated to the United States Supreme Court. But his replacement after Judge Bork was not able to get the proper number of votes to sit on the United States Supreme Court was Judge Douglas Ginsburg. Never trust anybody with three names. So he had smoked a joint when he was a student and a few times in the 70s. And uh, an assistant professor at law school who was a friend of his, his best friend, saw him smoke a joint at a Cambridge party and went before the Senate and testified to that effect. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in one of their in their one of their uh, closed sessions, oh yeah, the guy was smoking pot. Guy ratted him out, his best friend. Yet the attorney general at that time, Edward Meese, said not a problem. In fact, you might have heard the name Edward Meese because it was uh, our own Mark Levin uh, who was the assistant attorney general at that time for Edward Meese. So Judge Douglas Ginberg threw himself. Uh, on a, on a sword. He did a mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa. He said it was a mistake. I regret it. Remember, it was the era of just say no, Nancy Reagan. So you had these real conservative Republicans who said, we can't afford to have this guy. No, 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 no. Strom Thurmond, the racist. The guy was a lech uh, from South Carolina, said no. And then uh, from North Carolina... Uh, which which senator am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen, who was the king of tobacco, said no to uh, Ginsburg smoking some marijuana in his earlier years and yet said yes to tobacco. In fact, if Judge Douglas Ginsburg was smoking uh, a carton a day of cigarettes, this U.S. Uh, senator from North Carolina would have applauded him and probably would have given him a, a Rehnquist a stripe or two on his black regal robes. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Wilfred, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Wilfred. Okay. In 1966, when I went to Vietnam, when I got back, I've been smoking weed ever since. And that stuff they tell you, they back in the 70s, they used to tell you boys grew breasts from smoking weed and lose your memory. Yeah, it's all exaggerations or just straight out lying, like reefer madness. Right. Now, Wilfred, uh, where did you get your supply from over all those years? Oh, from different guys that sold sold it. And what was what was the did it did it did it vary in quality from source to source? Yeah, but that's why I would deal with the people that had the good stuff. And that other thing about they tell you weed is so much more powerful—that's a bunch of crap. That weed now, all weed used to have a—you got a high right in your head, right? You get high, but you also got a body high from it. This new weed. You just get the high when they took all the seeds out. You remember hearing about Acapulco Gold? Oh, yeah, Acapulco Gold. Yeah, that's right. Skunk weed. This weed ain't as good as skunk weed. But I mean, now, but now Wilfred, because, Wilfred, you know, 
even though it's legal now in New Jersey, the recreational use of marijuana, very slow to open up the dispensaries, just like here in New York. Most towns uh, that even voted for it said, but they don't want uh, a weed store in their town. Uh, If they open up those weed stores, will you buy your product there or will you keep buying your product from your old sources? No, I buy from whoever's got the better, better stuff. And and you you've been you've been smoking how many years? Since sixty sixty seven, so wow. So uh you're talking close to a little more than fifty years. That's right. And you haven't you haven't felt any negative effects? No. The one thing you did it'll make you you know how to say you get watching TV because you get in anything you're watching or talking, and and that's why say guys don't do anything. Hmm. But I used to work for the phone company. I was a cable splicer, and therefore I smoked every day. Did they? And they didn't give you any drug tests. Nope. That was that was that was before drug testing. I see. This is another government crap. It's unconstitutional. But the weed stuff, with it's just like they're doing with the coronavirus. They scare everybody. You look at the con. It came out, two million people going to die. Okay. So they start showing all the people dying. Then <clears throat> people started getting scared and scared. But that month, a doctor that helped start, uh, help create that way they're doing it, which does change your DNA. Mm. Yeah, he said, hey. That coronavirus, he said, it's only, he says, only 80% of the people get it and don't even know they had it or a slight cold or something. It's only that 20%. And that 20% is what was going to the hospital. And that's all they talked about. And you knew they were making people, if you had coronavirus, but you had your head cut off, they said you died from coronavirus, you know. No, oh, no. no, no, totally, totally understood. Totally understood, Wilfred. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Terry in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Terry. Yes, I was wondering about the uh, um, overnight song that you had with uh, David Crosby. And if he couldn't bring that back, because that song is like, man, I got to go get that now. And I got to go track it down, you know. Rado, Rado's yelling. Rado, stop that yelling! I, I, I don't mean to be, you know, I know this is on over the air and all this, and everybody's listening, so it's a joke. But listen, that song, that song was so fantastic with David Crosby. It's like, you got to keep playing that, man, because uh, I don't care what you call that, your uh, other night in Millbrook or whatever. That, that, uh... That song was fantastic. Yeah, well, that That's was. Uh, I want to say about that. That was made for me specifically by David really? Crosby. Yeah, because really? yeah, here's the song now. Here it is. You see, Terry, great song. That should be the theme song for both Frank Morano's show and my show. 
It's but, more than that. It's more than that. Yeah, that, he, that, that, that song is past your guys' radio show. Yeah. It's like, man, that song is like, that's right up there with the, with the chive. And I'm a musician, so I'm telling you straight up. Yeah, no, no, this is the bomb. And yet, Frank Morano, when I said, you know, we can share this song. And this, I'm not going to de- detract any of his songs. You know, those songs were very um, not too good. And uh, but that's okay. It's like I'm not saying that's like that you shouldn't do, put bad songs on. But it's like when you play that, it's like <laughs> it's like there's like you are you familiar with any kind of music at all besides uh, the stuff that you used to listen to in the '80s or? Oh yeah, uh, I know you like that stuff, and that's all very technical and stuff like that. So you know, maybe I don't. You know, I'm not able to speak and uh, you know authoritatively. On that subject, but um, um, well, just so you know the backstory, Terry, I had offered uh, to share this song with Frank Morano. His used to be the other side of midnight, still is. Uh, mine was the other side of midnight, the weekend edition. But he objected to that. He had a hissy fit, uh, and uh, it's been changed to another side of midnight. So technically, that's not the words of this song. Maybe I can get David Crosby to make a version uh, that actually has the words. Yeah, the uh, you don't have uh, to do that. That that song is transcends your guys' radio show. Believe mm, me, mm, mm. it does. It's uh, that's that's you didn't even let it get to the good part when they go into that melody. And you know music. I don't have to tell you, Curtis. It's like uh, or or anybody else that's listening too. You guys know the uh, when you hear that. That's the riff. That's like oh. That that kind of brings the truth out. Yeah, well, just uh, keep playing that. We're going to play it as we continue our conversation because you're so right. It puts you in such a good mood. It elevates your mood when you hear David Crosby sings this, which is called The Other Side of Midnight. You you, you just feel so much better about everything, don't you? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's like a shot of fucking cocaine. Ooh. We gotta let him, <laughs> we gotta let Terry go on that. He was doing a little speedball there. Mud on a my little uh, John Belushi action. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to David in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Hey Curtis. Yes, Dave. Yeah, you know. I was listening to you before when you were talking about John David Hinckley being welcome to do a concert in in Brooklyn. I mean, I just find this amazing, amazingly, you know, sickening. Uh, Here's a guy who tried to murder the president of the United States. And I don't know if you remember, at the time, there was a television show called The Greatest American Hero, starring William Catt, had Robert Culp and Connie Selica. And in that show, the... The actor William Catt, who played who played a character, a comic book type hero, and a character uh, that was a school teacher by day. Well, his name, the name of the character in the show, was Ralph Hinckley. And in the debut of the show, actually the first episode, he thwarts uh, an assassination attempt against the president. And a few episodes by a few episodes later. This is when the attempt was made by John David Hinckley against Reagan. And right after that, they changed the name 
of the character in the show from Ralph Hinckley to Ralph Handley and then back to Hinckley. And then for the rest of the show, they refer to him as Mr. H. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. And your uh, response to him uh, playing, uh, uh, it's already sold out. He'll be in Brooklyn on July 8th. He's going to be uh, at the, um, I forget the name of the uh, hotel in Brooklyn. And uh, they're already sold out and people are going online and saying, gee, gee, when are you going to, uh, when are you going to perform in uh, Boston? When are you going to perform in Chicago? Where is your merch? Where can I get merch? Curtis, I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Uh, the fact that I have to talk about it first. Everybody should be talking about this. Our elected officials should be commenting on this. I have a feeling, though, that some of our elected officials, uh, they weren't even birthed yet, but they are uh, hipster and millennials, progressives, Democratic Socialists of America, AOC, acolytes, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that they, in fact, will not be bothered by this at all. Not at all. No, they won't. No. They'll probably and, want to be there opening night and make a speech on his behalf. Horrible. The Market Hotel in Brooklyn on July 8th at 8 o'clock. What a double disgraziata. What a double shanda. Let's go to John in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Curtis, how you doing, buddy? Uh, now, John, you know the rules. Don't ask me how I'm doing, because I'm going to just tell you I've had better days. Kabish? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I wish you were the mayor. You know that, of course. But anyway, I wanted to talk about, there's a gentleman that called uh, a little earlier, and he talked about smoking pot his whole life. Yes. Uh, in fact, he said from the time he got back from Vietnam, so uh, a little more than 50 years. Yeah, listen, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and uh, I've had friends and, and good guys who have smoked pot, we'll say every day, but a lot from the time they were, I'd say, 13 or 14. And let me tell you something. They're not there. They're not all there. If anyone that doesn't see that is, is blind, uh, smoking pot continuously, you know, anything taken to the extreme is just bad. But these guys, and, and I'm an older guy now, I'm 55, and these guys that smoke pot continuously are just not where they should be mentally. It's I don't need anyone that it, it's just uh, I've seen it. It's 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 actually very sad. Well, now what would you suggest? Because uh, it's here, it's legal. It's not legal yet on a federal level, but it's just a matter of time. Uh, poll after poll indicates that people want it to be legal. The recreational use of marijuana. Uh, how can our society control it so it doesn't have that kind of negative impact on its users? Curtis, that that that, that cat is out of the bag. Uh, there's there's there's. I mean, it's uh, kids today are going to say uh, are going to see. Hey, well, it's it's legal when you get older. How we're going to try it? You know, kind of like booze. You know, when we were when we were kids, everybody had a beer or two, you know, underage. And they're going to say the same thing with pot. Obviously, alcohol doesn't do, doesn't have the same effect as uh, pot. And I love those people that say it does, but it doesn't. But uh, because I've had beers entire my, my entire life, and uh, I'm in a pretty, uh, pretty high tech job where I need to have my wits about me. 
But uh, if you smoke pot continuously, it's just uh, it's just it's just horrible. But but Curtis, I, I don't know how you stop it. I, I really don't. I mean, it's uh, the reason uh, you know p- kids in my neighborhood did it and I didn't was because my mother said she would kill us if we uh, she caught a smoking pot. <laughs> so uh, she was a she is a tough woman. So uh, yeah, we we took her at her word, and she would have killed us. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know, really know how you do it, but parenting is, I guess, is one way. Good parenting is one way, but uh, it's just, uh, it's, it, it's, it's insane when you see people uh, who advocate for uh, legalizing pot. I, I just don't get it. Well, you're going to see in just a few hours uh, in a city uh, that's fear city, that's out of control crime-wise, you're going to see our our mayor, Eric Adams, uh, just about on his 100th day as our mayor, going to be spending all day in Albany at a workshop learning about the cannabis industry and probably yeah, making, making jokes like he was uh, on the Stephen Colbert show. So you say to yourself, hey, guy, you want to learn about marijuana. There are plenty of places you can uh, actually walk into a, a storefront and see it being sold. Uh, in addition, uh, you end up getting the marijuana free as long as you buy a video or a book or whatever. You pay the cash for that, and then you get the marijuana on the side. I just think this is another excuse uh, for a junket. By the way, hopefully there's no puff-puff pass up there in Albany with Eric Adams and his posse. He's not going to be separating seeds and stems. He's not going to be... Uh, Sort of uh, hollowing out cigars and learning how to make blunts. I mean, what the hell kind of workshop about the cannabis industry is the mayor going to be going to in just a few hours? Man, you need to get a grip on the crime problem in the city of New York that's worse than it was when Bill de Blasio was mayor. And I never thought, nor did anybody else, think that it would even be worse than during the eight years and the hundred days of Bill de Blasio. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's PriorityGoldGuide.com. Sly and the Family Stone. It is a family affair here at WABC, dysfunctional as it is from time to time, whether it's uh, Bernie and Sid in the morning, and then uh, you get into it with Greg Kelly, call him Lieutenant Colonel Greg Kelly, one to three. That's my favorite show because he's like somewhat dysfunctional and uh, he's always digressing and... Attention Deficit Disorder, and then Michael Bodicic, Rudy Giuliani, from 3 to 4. And then it's Bo Snurdly, 4 to 5. In fact, he'll be on in just a few hours uh, his Saturday morning show. He's now got three hours from 7 to 10. And then, of course, it's the uh, Cats Roundtable discussion from 5. Mark Levin from uh, 6 to 9. Bill O'Reilly, who's away this week. Uh, but he'll be back next week from 9 to 10. Then Rita Cosby. And then, uh, as you saw this evening, Dominic Carter has played musical chairs. He's moved to uh, 
Sunday night starting at 12 midnight to 1 o'clock Monday morning because Frank Morano wants a buffer, a buffer between me and he. Doesn't want me cross-examining uh, him uh, like I would normally do at the end of the animal welfare hour that used to be on from 12 midnight to 1 in the morning, but now it's been kicked back an hour. So it's uh, 9 to 1 that I'm on, excuse me, 9 to 12 that I'm on. And then Dominic Carter comes on from 12 to 1, and then it's the uh, Mama Luke, the Mangalooch, the Mashad, Frank Morano, who uh, begins his week uh, of doing the uh, uh, the other side of midnight from 1 to 5 in the morning, five days a week. That means 20 hours uh, of him uh, through the early evening uh, and early morning hours. But I certainly want to critique some of this because uh, oftentimes I have people who uh, see me in the streets or see me uh, in the subways where I spend a lot of time with the Guardian Angels uh, fighting crime, the growing crime pro. Problem is just off the hook here. Earlier today on the Jesse Waters show, uh, Friday night, he had on my wife Nancy, uh, one of the perv busters of the Guardian Angels, along with Blondie, Jen Ray. Uh, they uh, they had a great uh, performance uh, with Jess Waters explaining to him what they do to track down pervs in the subways and the streets. You know, guys who uh, go up to women and want to prove to them that they're not suffering from erectile dysfunction. And there's a way to deal with them, and the women were wonderful in the way they uh, handled the discussion with Jesse Waters. If uh, you weren't able to see it uh, live, you should certainly go on uh, Fox News Channel uh, and find it. It was uh, it was great. It was absolutely great. But now to deal with uh, what has happened, the musical chairs that some of you have referred to, involving uh, Frank Morano, uh, yours truly, and Dominic Carter, as we moved round and round. Uh, into different slots. Uh, Frank Morano has a habit of both um, in the streets and here in the studios and in the suites of saying the same thing over and over to the point where it's somewhat annoying. Well, in New York, that's what they're doing in the overnights. Everybody's listening to me, who's awake right now. Can I hear that one more time? Well, in New York, that's what they're doing in the overnights. Everybody's listening to me, who's awake right now. Now, I do the overnights, too. Not as much as Frank. I do uh, two overnights. He does five. I just want to hear that one more time, because he says this incessantly. Well, in New York, that's what they're doing in the overnights. Everybody's listening to me, who's awake right now. Huh. No mention of Curtis Lee. Like, uh, yeah, I, I do the majority of the other side of midnight... And then if you happen to be uh, available on the weekends, you want to listen to Curtis Lee. No, not even a mention. And so one of his callers actually called him up and asked Frank if he was ticked off at me. Anyway, I wanted to know if you think that uh, Sliwa is really angry at you for for moving things around for... Uh... You know, first of all, uh, Bill, the thing that's amazing to me about your question, you used I thought you worked on his campaign and everything. Yeah, well, Bill, well, I did. Right. I've worked with Curtis for almost 20 years on radio and in politics. The thing that's amazing to me about your question is that anybody and especially someone who sounds like he's intelligent like you, anyone is still taken in by any of these things that Curtis says. Now, first of all, number one. 
I don't think people understand how little influence I have in terms of making programming changes at the radio station. I don't, I don't get a say in anything except maybe the four hours that I'm on the air. They don't switch things based on my recommendation. I am now taking to putting suggestions in the suggestion box anonymously so that they think they're from someone more important than me. I have no juice to get things uh, moved around. Wow. Oh, you seem a little high strung there, a little uh, a little upset that a caller would bring that to his attention. Now, he said that he has no influence on what goes on here at WABC. He couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. He's the golden child. He can do no wrong. After a series of recent interviews that he did uh, with Roger Stone and uh, Paul Manafort back-to-back, belly-to-belly, uh, he's an untouchable. In fact, they were uh, talking about him possibly uh, doing some interviews for 60 minutes the way Anderson Cooper does when he's on loan from CNN, if uh, Red Apple Media would uh, have him on loan to 60 minutes. So he's an untouchable now. But he says he has no influence. Well, I want you to listen to the promo that's now running about the other side of midnight, both his five mornings a week and my two. Up all night? Weekdays, listen to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. And weekends, listen to Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Stay up all night with me, Curtis Sliwa. And stay up with me, Frank Morano. If you don't want to be alone at night, seven days a week, 77 WABC will keep you company. Now, you heard that promo, ladies and gentlemen, and I could have swore I heard Frank, uh, the announcer, excuse me, say that one to five, right? Could have heard that uh, uh, the announcer said one to five. This is running on the station now 24 hours a day. So who do you think had influence in this promo being made? I want you to listen closely again. If you could please play the promo. Up all night. Weekdays, listen to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. And weekends, listen to Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Stay up all night with me, Curtis Sliwa. And stay up with me, Frank Morano. If you don't want to be alone at night, seven days a week, 77 WABC will keep you company. Wow. One to five. That's that's his slot. I'm 12 to six. So what? My two hours are what? Kale, chopped lettuce. I guess it, and you notice I came out with a very powerful voice. He was very tepid, uh, not at all uh, strong. Oh, he has a lot of influence. He chose ACDC as his song. I had chosen this song.
Much better. Much better. Mississippi Queen, local guys, Felix Papagliardi, Corky Lang, and of course, Leslie West. And yet he picked ACDC. That's, I like that group, but they're from the land down under, Australia. And so management went with ACDC and not Mississippi Queen. And Frank is saying he doesn't have influence over that? Listen to this next caller, Peter, who's been calling talk radio programs here at WABC since the days of the king of talk radio, Bob Grant. Man, that's like, you you, you know how many years that is? Think of that. Guy's been calling about 40 years. And watch how Frank does not say anything when Pete praises Frank and disses me. I will state emphatically that you were the brains behind the Curtis uh, facade. Notice he didn't respond to that, right? Can I hear that one more time? One more time. I will state emphatically that you were the brains behind the Curtis uh, facade. No, no, no. He, he, he wanted that to linger out there with the audience. That In fact, he was the brains behind my ability to broadcast. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then uh, one of the callers brought up the fact that I was not invited to the christening, not invited to the baptism, although I was invited to his wedding with like half of Staten, Italy in which he had me sit, me and Nancy, next to John Gotti Jr. who tried to kill me. Victoria Gotti, all the Gottis, and the Gambinos. Okay. And also, what's it? Curtis said he wasn't invited to the christening. Did you ever invite him? Uh, no, we did not. My my oh. wife has a, a very, wow. very strict guest list. And uh, it's really, you know, keep in mind, she's got eight siblings, right? I've got three, right? Uh, she's got a mother. I have, um, you know, two parents and two step parents, and it gets pretty crowded pretty quickly, right? So I have three first cousins. All the people that I just mentioned, they have a significant other, at least most of them. So it, it, the, le- the we're trying to keep this somewhat manageable. So unfortunately, I, I had Curtis on my list of people to be invited, but he got vetoed. He got Rachel used her veto power to eliminate Curtis. I'm like a person uh, of no consequence. I got Vito Fasellet. I can't believe this. He makes it seem like he chose me to be on the list, and it was Rachel. He blames Rachel. No, 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 no. It was Frank. It was definitely Frank. He doesn't want me there because then people are going to say, hey, I listen to you on the other side of overnight, and then I listen to you, Curtis, on the other side of overnight. He doesn't want that. No, he doesn't want that at all. And then uh, it's Frank the Moocher. You know, you you heard uh, you heard his uh, neighbor, his neighbor uh, who walks rusty out there, Junior. You know, talks about Frank Morano being a Moocher. Listen to the free stuff that this guy wants. My wife starts hearing some stories about how crazy this other person is. And she she says, no, nah, I don't think I want to be friends with that person. Let's not go. And she told me this a week or two ago. And now I never broke it off with the person that invited us. 
One, because I can't handle these confrontations. And two, because I was hoping my wife might change her mind. So I tried again with my wife uh, a day or two ago, and she was just no no movement on her at all. I said, just go enjoy the concert. You're a Billy Joel fan. She's saying, you don't even like Billy Joel. I said, I know, but you do. Let's Let's go. And she said, no, I don't want to look like I'm using this person and act like I'm trying to be friends with them when I'm not. Which is fair. That's one of the many things that I that I love about her. She doesn't want to mislead anybody. So I uh, I told the person that invited us that we couldn't go. She was uh, very disappointed. But uh, this happens to me all the time, all of the time. Notice how he said she was very disappointed. Do you think maybe Rachel didn't want to go with this she, who is a friend of Frank Morano? How how weird is that, right? A so-called female friend of Frank Morano invites Frank to the Billy Joel concert he's married. And then he tries to pawn it off to his wife. She recognizes this woman is a crazy lady. But Frank is still having a conversation with this woman, even though he's married. See, I could see through all of this. Oh, wow. I can see through all of this, ladies and gentlemen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then there are the listeners to the Frank Morano Show. Boy, they're like, they're a real piece of work. Listen to Henry discuss where he was before he called Frank. Henry's in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Uh, hi, Frank. How are you? Um, sorry I didn't hear uh, some of your uh, introduction. I was uh, in the bathtub for a while. but uh... I was in the bathtub for a while? What kind of freaks does Frank Morano have listening to him? Can I hear that again? Uh, Henry talking about how he was uh, getting a rub-a-dub-dub uh, in the tub. Henry's in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Uh, hi, Frank. How are you? Um, sorry I didn't hear uh, some of your uh, introduction. I was uh, in the bathtub for a while. but uh... A rub-a-dub-dub in the bathtub. Frank had no reaction, if you noticed. Didn't say anything. I would have said, what are you, freak? What are you doing in the bathtub listening to me? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And now what really is annoying to me is this new partnership that has emerged here at WABC. Like two peas in a pod, like a horse and a carriage, like a soup and a sandwich. Frank Morano and Dominic Carter. Oh, they couldn't be more lovey-dovey. And uh, I do want to say that was a great segment you did last night as it relates to Governor Hochul and the taxpayer giveaway. Thank you. The Buffalo uh, boondoggle, I call Yeah, of the Buffalo Bills. So may- maybe you and I should own the Bills and, you know, we, we can get taxpayers to pay three quarters of the bills. If, if our first career aspiration of opening a Black Lives Matter chapter doesn't pan out, maybe that can be our secondary career occupation, career aspiration. Wow. They talk like two partners, like Heckle and Jekyll, like Ike and Mike. And then, listen, more more of this love fest. How about, uh, how about um, Andrew in my hometown of Staten Island? All right, Andrew, you're talking to Frank and Dominic. You hear that, Frank and Dominic? What is this, the Frank and Dominic show? And I still haven't accepted 
what's happened to me. How uh, I had to take on the hour 12 to 1 on Friday, where I would have been out patrolling with the Guardian Angels. I got to tell you, it's bad out there on Fridays going into Saturday. Just so that Dominic could be the buffer between me and Frank as we go 9 to 12. 11 to 12 is the animal welfare hour with my uh, lovely wife, uh, Nancy. And then Dominic comes on, acts as the buffer from 12 to 1, and then it's Frank Morano. And you know the rest of the story of that other side of midnight as opposed to another side of midnight, which is what my show is called. Now, is that confusing or what? And Frank Morano does this purposefully. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Max, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. 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 Oh, please. Max, this is the worst. This is death by a thousand cuts. To fall asleep on a talk radio show host or hostess is a miserable. Please say it ain't so, Max. Say it ain't so. Max, wake up, Max. Wake up. Wake up, Max. I'm sleeping. Oh, my God. I hate that. Oh, my God. There is nothing more offensive, more maligning to a talk show host or hostess than to have somebody fall asleep on them. 1-800-848-9222. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Ufa to Max. Let's go to Josh in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Josh. Yes, hello, Josh. Oh my God. The curse of Frank Morano is upon us. That's two callers back to back, belly to belly. I got to assume it's not. Josh falling asleep there. I got to assume this is some form of vendetta. This is some form of blood feud. This is some way of interfering with the discronificator that processes all of your phone calls. Remember, in the history of talk radio, when you look at the analytics, when you look at the algorithms, only about 1% of all talk radio listeners even bother calling. Even not on this show. We, we, we need to encourage more calls, especially in the face of this kind of blockage that's being done versus me. Look at that. That was that never happened before. Back to back, belly to belly. The curse of Frank Moran. See, I stopped Junior from putting out the Maluk, the curse against Frank Morano. You know, Junior and his dog Rusty, and I made peace. And now look at this. All right, Andrew, you're talking to Frank and Dominic. I'm catching it right in the neck. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Pete in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Yeah, uh, want to point your attention to a <clears throat> report in terms of the shootings in New York City and uh, the potential of uh, not potential, but the rate of fatalities from shootings and a racial breakdown. And where you can get that information? It's unz.com. And it basically covers all the uh, shootings in the New York City area that are committed according to racial breakdown. And although blacks in New York City are just 24 percent of New York City's population, they account for well over 70 percent of all the shootings in New York. All right. Now, nationwide, blacks are even lower of a percentage. They're just 13 percent of the population, but they accounted in 2020, um, the year of the George Floyd riots, 56 percent of all the murders across the country. Now, I want to ask you a rhetorical question, all right? What do you think is the biggest problem facing New York City 
and other liberal cities that have some of the strictest gun control laws in the country. But nevertheless, gun crime and gun violence are off the charts. What do you think is the root of the problem? Having fewer guns on the streets or having more minorities who are engaged in violent criminal activity? Well, I like to so take it words, uh, I like to take it for the moment. I think our biggest problem is that in just a few hours, our mayor, Eric Adams, who has seen crime skyrocket in his first hundred days in office, greater than it's ever been during the eight years of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor of the dope from Park Slope, has decided to go on a junket all day today in uh, Albany, where he's going to workshops about the cannabis industry. Why does he need to find another reason to leave New York City? The work is here. If you want to see how pot is dealt legally, all you got to do is walk in the storefronts in the Lower East Side in Chelsea, right down on Stanton Street. It's there for everyone to see. You could walk in there, Mr. Mayor, and ask any question that your heart desires. Why you would want to go on another junket? You've been out of town six out of the hundred days. Every one of those days was incredibly important in trying to put a cap on this growing violent crime problem. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ray, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Yeah. Can you hear me all right, Curtis? I'm at work uh, yes. on my headphones. Loud and clear. Okay. Now, the guy that called up a little while ago saying, you know, his friends are all messed up from smoking weed. I mean, they got to be doing more than weed because I smoked it every day, too. You smoke it, you get hungry, you go to bed, the next day you're normal. And then he's, you know, with the alcohol, the weed's like anything else. If you use it responsible, there's no problem. Same as alcohol. But alcohol abuse kills many more people than marijuana. That's, you know, the alcohol abuses, I've seen it. I've seen people who have to mark their bottles before they go to bed so they have something to wake up in the morning. But now, Frank, uh, how much do you smoke each day? What, what on average do you smoke? This is Ray. Ray. Oh, Ray, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ray. Yeah, that's all right. I've talked to you before about this. I smoke. I, I got a little pipe. I smoke a little bit. You know, pipe full. That's all. Relaxes me. I go to bed. So it, 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 it helps uh, dealing with anxiety or anything that might keep you up. It's uh, It relaxes you and you fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, and it takes the aches and pains out of my body a little bit, you know. And you've and been you've you know, been smoking, uh, if you had to estimate, how many years? Uh, about, about 48, 48 wow. years. 48 yeah. years. Yeah. Did you ever feel that yeah. you were addicted to the product? Uh, not really. It's, it might be a little psychologically, uh, addicting, I think, but not physically. I don't think so. You know, I don't think it's, uh, physically addicting. So now at this point, uh, recreational use of marijuana is legal in New Jersey. They don't have the dispensary set up yet. So how do you get your product? I get it from somebody I know, uh, you know. Just, uh, let's say, a, a acquaintance. Uh, yeah. And has it... I've, uh, always, has, I've, has I've it, always found somebody. Has it, it has. been, uh, has it been a, a good quality uh, uh, since you've been... Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, good, good. So if all of a sudden a dispensary opened up near you, uh, a state... There is one. There's one opening here in Raritan. Uh, I, uh, it's supposed to open by December. They're starting out as a medical. I just saw it in the paper. And then they might go to recreational, but they have to open by December. I don't think they got all, all kinds of weird laws with this. So but, would uh, you would you ever consider actually going there and buying your weed legally from that dispensary? Yeah. Oh, I'd definitely check it out if they had a better quality and depends on the price, but I think it'll be cheaper on the streets. They're going to, because the taxes, especially in Jersey, they're probably going to tax the hell out of it, you know? Yeah, that's normally the problem. Everywhere I've seen it in California, Colorado, where you see it actually sold uh, sometimes in like uh, supermarkets uh, just uh, yeah. of reefer, uh, they, they so overtax it that it just causes the black market to not shrink up and go away, but actually to exist because what they'll do is they're not charging you tax, so you're actually paying less to the street dealer. Yeah, there's plenty of people that don't want to, that probably won't want to deal with people on the streets, you know, unless you know somebody like I do where it's, you know, basically I work with the guy, you know, and I, he's, I've been having it for years from him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Usually gets pretty good stuff. But uh, I wanted to ask you, this is a little off topic. I've heard you guys running commercials for a place called the Palladium in uh, Times Square. Yes. Now, back in 76 or so, I went to a concert, Judas Priest, in a place called the Palladium. Is that the same place? Or? No, no. You went to uh, the place, the Palladium, when it was on 14th Street. Not far okay. from Union Square. In fact, in a few hours when I returned from 12 midnight to 6, uh, in honor of the advertisements about the Palladium that's opened up in Times Square, much smaller, I might add, than the old Palladium. Yeah. I'll do a retrospective on the Palladium, which took over for um, what was the Fillmore East, which was in the Lower East Side down near 2nd Avenue. So the new one was the Fillmore East? No, the old one in the, the '60s was the Fillmore East. Only uh, was only open about two years. Then years later, the Palladium opened up, which was on 14th Street, not far from Union Square. Uh, and then that ended up closing. Okay, so uh, they were separate places, the Palladium and the Fillmore East back then. It was. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I had I bought two tickets. I was pumping gas uh, at that point at Rocky's uh, Shell Station on Rockaway Parkway and Seaview um, uh, Avenue, and I had invited a young lady, and she stood me up. So I had two tickets. I went and I saw uh, Tower of Power, uh, which was from the Bay Area. Yeah, uh, yeah. Soul music, soul music, right? War, which yeah. followed them, which oh, was yeah. also from Oaktown. And then uh, mm -hmm. the band, uh, which uh, came from Mid Hudson Valley, uh, so I got—I think it was like eighteen bucks—and you got to see three yeah. great groups. Oh yeah, you used to go. We used to go ten bucks and see like Def Leppard, Scorpions, and Ted Nugent. You know, stuff like that for like ten, fifteen bucks. Sure. Back then. Yeah. Uh, one more thing, I got to tell you. Last night, four o'clock in the morning, I work in the supermarket. We go out for a cigarette break. There's a truck there. Chain, there's an ATM out there in the parking lot next to a bank. They they had to they tore that thing off, and we were trying to call 911. It took like a minute or two to get to 911, so they got that thing off and they were gone. And the cops came like a minute later. But to see that happen in real life, it's it gets your adrenaline going. I'll tell you.
So they ripped off the whole eight. They took out the whole ATM machine. Yep, yep. They took it all off. They got the money or whatever. We saw the truck. We couldn't get the license plate, but we gave them a description. But they dropped. Uh, I went over there. The chain that they used was that they must have fallen off. And also they had a small toolbox with tools in it, so maybe they get fingerprints off that. Probably that fell off their truck, I guess. Well, I wouldn't. So, I wouldn't doubt uh, because uh, Ray, they hit a lot of these ATM machines. They yeah. hoist them out. Yeah. They pull them out. Uh, they have all yeah. kinds of contraptions, which uh, extricates the money right out of the ATM. Yeah. They're very, very proficient in doing that. Yeah, it must have took them like, I mean, when we got out there, they were still trying to get it off and boom. And then, change, you know, they got the money. It was all smashed up the machine. Now it's all gone, you know. But to see that in real life, it really it gets your adrenaline pumping. I'll tell you, I was... I don't know. It was just something. I just wanted to share that with you. No, so, no. Appreciate that. And thanks for your right. uh, input about uh, your years of uh, smoking weed and uh, how you contrasted your experience with one of our earlier callers who's been smoking weed just as long, 40-plus years. 40-plus years. Two different guys, two different reactions, two different experiences. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Great song done specifically by David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young for my version of the other side of midnight. And now uh, oh, Frank Morano took it. This my song was so much better than his. His came from like a garage band, some high school junior high school band. And so all of a sudden, the name got changed. Very confusing. Now it's called Another Side of Midnight. Only because uh, Frank Morano persevered. The golden child. He can do no wrong. He is the uh, he is the untouchable here at WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jack calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Yeah, morning, Curtis. Yes. Uh, I love your theater. I love your theater of mine. It's great. Um, I used to smoke in my teens and twenties. It helped me with my anxiety. You know, I stopped in my late twenties and began drinking like a fish. I had some issues with the, with the with the law. You know, I wound up joining the army for sixteen years. You know, it was a great decision. I I got my stuff together. Although I did get injured when I was in Iraq, but uh, I broke my back and how do you do this? Now I I smoke. I also have PTSD now. I, I use cannabis like medicine. You know, I can't stand the pills and drinking just got me to silver bracelets, you know? So I now I use edibles mostly because, uh, and I mean tinctures, and I can make marital as well. Marital is the pill form of, of marijuana. I've learned how to do that myself. And so uh, what what effect does it have on you? When you take the pill marinol, uh, which is uh, the form of, uh, pill form of marijuana, what effect right. does that have on your body? Well, it depends. It's, uh, you know, sativas and indicas, you know, you really want to get deep into that, you can get it in hybrids. So you have a mixture of both sativas if you're uh, relaxing the body and, and indicas are relaxing the mind, is what I think it is. But um, I use hybrids mostly. And, you know, whenever we grow, my friend has a, a grow a grow farm up in Maine. So sometimes we'll go up there and we'll grow some weed up there and we make the marital come down here with it, with the marital for, for, for the, for the health, you know. 
when I have I have joint pains, you know, back pain. I have a lot of I have three herniated discs, and uh, and it broke my back when I was in Iraq, and um, and it also got little PTSD. So kind of used the hybrids to work on that, you know, and it, it works. It works a lot. You know, I use certain types of uh, you know uh, strains they call it of, of uh, cannabis. So uh, Jack, when uh, these dispensaries open up legal. Uh, places that are licensed to sell the recreational use of marijuana in New York State. Uh, do you see yourself doing that, buying it from those uh, dispensaries? Uh, probably not too much because I, I know for a fact that they're very expensive. Um, mm. For the most part, yeah, I can make it myself pretty reasonably priced, to, you know, with a minimal investment. You know, me and a couple of people, we do it for medical reasons, you know, and it works out better that way. No, definitely uh, understood. And uh, have you ever been on pharmaceutical products to deal with your pain? Absolutely. And that's why I said I can't stand the pills, you know. I also started drinking a lot. And, you know, you need one of those work for me. You know, I wound up in, uh, you know, I wound up in a race. It's a race. you know. No, I hear you. I do appreciate that, Jack. Let's go to Keith calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Keith. I love your show, Um I'm almost exactly your age. I'll be 68 in October, and I listen to your show every night I can uh, when I'm out feeding my spay-neuter colonies in Harlem and Washington Heights, and I really am going to miss your Sunday night show. But uh, when I came to the city in 76, I got into Studio 54 and all that stuff and folk and music, and I just wanted to uh, – the, 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 the weed is too strong now, so I don't, I don't even go close to it. I mean, I'd take two, two tokes, and I'd have to call an ambulance. But um, I – and I remember you guys in the early 80s on 8th Avenue, and I loved seeing you guys out there. But uh, I wanted to mention something about the Palladium, um, if you don't mind, uh, around 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw The Clash, their first big show there, and The Police. I bribed the doorman to let me in. It was sold out. And and then, of course, I was a regular uh, uh, person to go to Bottom Line, the Bottom Line uh and both those properties were bought up by NYU. Um, and the only point I'm trying to make here is they gobble up everything they can, like where I live on the Upper West Side, Columbia, is gobbling up everything um, through uh, eminent domain. But um, I just want to say I love your show. And... That's all I wanted to say. Well, how was the uh, the venue there when you went to the Palladium and you saw? Oh, it's great. It was a big place, as you remember. It, it, and it was also bef- right before or after 1980. They tried to recreate Studio 54 there, the people who owned it. So it was a, a disco. And um, and then after 4 a.m., we'd go down to the downtown uh, after-hours clubs that I've enjoyed you talking about so many times. And then you, you you come out, and it's like 
seven in the morning and it's light and you wonder what the you know what the hell you've been doing but um um yeah it was uh it, for for two or three years it was a it was a great great venue larger than the beacon yeah yeah than- yeah yes it is yes it, it was that is correct yeah and, and uh one yeah go ahead if i could ask uh, one thing you mentioned about your wife, who I really, I, uh, you've endeared me to her, um, that she is in Pennsylvania. She goes out shooting sometimes? Yeah, her mother lives uh, near Milford, Pennsylvania, with her father-in-law. And uh, Nancy has a stash of AK-47s uh, out there where there are more deer than people. And she likes to go out shooting the AK-47s. Obviously, she doesn't keep them here in the city or in the state of New York. Uh, but right. uh, it's a lot easier in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, so when she goes out to uh, visit her mother or family members out there, because they all moved from Bohemia and Suffolk County out to Pennsylvania, she likes to go uh, shoot some stuff, uh, cans, uh, whatever. Uh, but uh, of late... She's been looking for these pigeon uh, kidnappers. Uh, we have a group of people who have come in in unmarked vans from Pennsylvania, and they go around with nets, and they try to take the street pigeons and bring them back to Pennsylvania where hunters, rather than sh- shoot clay pigeons, which are discharged uh, from a machine, uh, they then release the uh, street pigeons, and they shoot the street pigeons. So I have a feeling she's going to be hunting them. And you don't want my wife, Nancy, hunting you with an AK-47. <laughs> Does she hunt animals? No. No, no. Oh, no, no. She'll she'll use the AK-47 to protect the animals. Okay, because I thought you mentioned one night that she went out and shot deer and bear or something. No. No, no. If anything, uh, uh, she would shoot the hunters who would try to shoot bear <laughs> or deer. Thank God. Well, I'm out there spay-neutering homeless cats um, almost every night and feeding them. And and please give her our best for uh, for what she's doing for uh, and what you guys are doing for the cats who are very very sensitive animals and they are just suffering so much out in New York City and all over the world and dogs too. Uh, Thank you for what you guys do. Oh, definitely. And as uh, Keith mentioned, there's been a a time change for the Animal Welfare Hour. It's still on Sunday nights. I come back uh, after uh, battling Chris Hahn, left versus right, Sundays, 3 to 5. And then after a few hours, I return at 9 p.m. at night. And we go to 12 midnight, that last hour, 11 to 12. It's been moved up an hour is devoted to the animal welfare uh, uh, issue in which my uh, wife joins me, Nancy, who is a great rescuer of uh, cats all through the city, all through the tri-state area. Uh, She uh, gets into uh, trapping and neutering and all those things are so important to managing and controlling population and setting up cat colonies, which is the natural deterrent to the growing numbers of rats, rodents, and mice that plague, especially urban areas, uh, but also are sometimes problematic in suburban and rural areas, too. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And if you had wanted to see my wife, Nancy, uh, she was featured on Jesse Waters earlier on Friday night. 
on the Fox News channel, along with another guardian angel uh, called Blondie. Uh, both of them are part of the guardian angel per buster patrols. They're all females, and they hunt the pervs that go onto the subways and on the subway platforms and try to show women that they're not suffering from uh, erectile dysfunction. And that's when those uh, women in the perv buster guardian angel patrols get busy. I won't necessarily describe to you in great length what they do to the pervs when they come across them. But they do uh, get photographs. They do distribute information to other women. And if women uh, cannot safely travel the subways, you're never going to be able to fill up these empty office buildings. They're about 60% empty now after the uh, lockdown and pandemic. It's uh, where the largest city that's had the poorest rate of return to normalcy. 60% of these office buildings are empty. Uh, Restaurants and nightclubs uh, and gin mills are still struggling. Clubs are still struggling. And if women cannot safely travel to these locations or safely travel to work on the subways or buses, uh, then these businesses will never return because who's going to go to a club without women? Who's going to go to a gin mill, a bar without women there? That's generally why guys will go and pay for the women. The women oftentimes are led into these places without having to pay a cover charge, simply because without women, the guys are not going to show up unless they're happening, uh, they happen to be there for guys. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go to uh, Peter, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hey, Curtis, how could anybody fall asleep when you're on? Impossible. What are they, on drugs? I mean, come on, this show is so interesting. And uh, out in Staten Island, got a part of me. I was at the doctor today. I'm having a little problem, like a sore throat. They tested me for COVID, and everybody that was waiting in the office there, there must have been eight people, Seven of them tested positive, and I tested negative, and I was the one that was coughing and hacking, you know, and everybody's looking at me like, let me get away from him. They were, like, going on the side of the walls, you know. So here I am. I tested negative, but I'm on a heavy antibiotic, and hopefully I'll kick this thing. Doctor wanted to put me in the hospital. I says, nah, I'm going home. I says, no way. This, you know, I'm not going to get myself sick. An antibiotic would give it a shot. If it don't, then I'll go to the hospital. But anyway, show is great. I was just out uh, taking care of my feral cats. Everybody reported for duty, so I'm happy about that. Good, good. Hey, uh, yeah, you you did the smart thing by not uh, signing yourself into the hospital because the next thing you know, you'd have uh, you'd have flashbacks to uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo screaming, "Ventilators, ventilators! Put Peter on a ventilator." That's right. I don't want that. I mean, I had this cobra twice in the last uh, two and a half years. I had it before they even knew what it was. I had it in November of uh, 2019, and they didn't talk about it until March, you know. So it was double pneumonia that I had. So I'm sure that's what it was. But I got respiratory problems from, you know, 9-11. I was there in the piles doing work. I luckily didn't uh, come down with the you know, cancer, but I have polyps and stuff in my throat. Well, so, but I'm treating it. They're, yeah. they're very good. That uh, that McGarish, the Barish and McGarish, they're wonderful. I mean, they got the benefits. And even your partner there, uh, 
uh, oh, I'm again, brain lock over here. Uh, Weena, he fought for the 9-11 people when nobody fought for them back in, you know, back in the beginning, you know, and I, I, uh, I called the show one day and I thanked him for doing that. Yeah, well, uh, he'll be uh, joining me in just a few hours from 2 to 4 today, Saturday. Uh, yours truly, Curtis Lee, with Anthony Weiner. Again, the clash of the left and right. Let's go to Larry in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Larry. Hey, Curtis. I just, I got to ask you a question. Um, I've been to a couple of lectures in my life. Um, one was you at the Brentwood Library. Uh, a second lecture, my first lecture ever, was at uh, Nassau Community College. 50 years ago, we're the same age, Jimmy Breslin. Can you tell me anything about your interaction, if you had any, with Jimmy Breslin? Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, first off, uh, at the time I met him, he was uh, writing a column uh, that was enormously well-read in the New York Daily News. Uh, he then decided, for whatever reason, to go write for the New York edition of Long Island Newsday, that was a real big mistake uh, because uh, he didn't have the kind of readership, uh, at least for his newspaper column, uh, that he had had previously when he uh, wrote for the Daily News. Uh, he was a great author, uh, author wrote many books. Uh, but like so many authors back then, uh, Larry, by 12 noon, he was toast. He was like half in the bag. So uh, a lot of the authors back then would claim that it helped their creative license uh, I don't know, man. I, I, at times, uh, if you lit a match and you were in the room with Jimmy Breslin, you'd all be blasted the kingdom come. I have to tell you, I, I'm disappointed in hearing that because from my perspective as, as a young man, th- I, I, I just thought you guys had something in common. Blood and guts reporters, this guy transcended to uh, TV, to, to writing books. Like he was, he was the all being, and and this is um, this is a little surprising to me. No, no. At the time, most of the uh, authors, uh, Pete Hamill, at the time, uh, also was a heavy drinker. So many of the uh, guys who wrote columns and then also wrote books or wrote plays or wrote manuscripts. Uh, by twelve noon at night, they were toast. They were half in the bag. They had the rum rouge and uh, the Jake Lake. But they were still good writers. I don't know how much it helped their writing. You know, they always use that as an excuse. Oh, no, no, no. It helps my creative juices. It helps my creative license. I can get out of here. You just like to drink. Let's go to Lenny in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Lenny. Hey, Curtis. I wish you would have become mayor. I'm sorry that uh, it didn't work out. You know, um, things would be a lot better for the city if you was in charge. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, that's for sure. Um, I, I, You know, I was in uh, Central Park recently, and I spotted uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Frank Marino. Marano, Marano. Right, right. Him, him and Dominic, they were having a picnic in the uh, park there. Damn, and, I know I, you know, I just happened to notice it, and it was very interesting. I don't know if if you want any of the details. I don't want to cause any any controversy. Oh no 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 no! In fact, uh, they have developed quite the partnership. 
uh, oftentimes uh, you hear Dominic uh, talking about uh, them as if uh, they have a partnership on uh, the radio. And uh, I do want to say that was a great segment you did last night as it relates to Governor Hochul and the taxpayer giveaway. Thank you. The Buffalo uh, boondoggle, I yeah, call Yeah, of the Buffalo Bills. So may- maybe you and I should own the Bills and, you know, we, we can... Get taxpayers to pay three quarters of the bill. If, if our first career aspiration of opening a Black Lives Matter chapter doesn't pan out, maybe that can be our secondary career occupation, career aspiration. You see what I mean, Lenny? It's like uh, I hear you. They're like two peas in a pod. When I saw them, I saw Frank. He was putting this jam on these crackers, and he was feeding them one at a time into Dominic. And oh, they, well. the two seemed like they were they were having the time of their lives. Um, they had that uh, music going. Um, I do like what was that song? I've had the time of my life. I never felt this way before. The music was playing, and it was. I I, I I'm glad they found each other because there's not. But the thing is. He's got to break this to Frank's wife, and and I feel bad for her. Well, it you know, is she's uh, a good woman. She doesn't is, deserve this. It is uh, platonic. It is platonic. It is a business relationship, Lenny. And as uh, Frank had said, he wants uh, Dominic to be his buffer between me and Frank. He just didn't like the kind of questions I would ask Frank. Uh, when uh, he would come on with me a few minutes before I'd have to turn over the mics to the uh, Mangalooch, the Mashad, and the uh, <laughs> Pamaluk. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Kosha, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kosha. Oh, no, you got the name wrong. It's Kosha Howie, KH1. Anyway, your show is perfect to listen to when you're high. I've been, well, you, first I want to say, <clears throat> I was working at the Palladium on 14th Street, and we were the first techno act when I was working for Merrick and Jason Ryan's Adrenaline. I was working at the building and at Limelight Disco 2000 and before that Red Zone. Anyway. But now, now we, explain uh, why this show is so good to listen to when you're high. Okay, because of your persona, which Frank doesn't like. He doesn't like your personality. That's why he didn't invite you to the party. That's why he, don't, he, he wants to split you up. He thinks you're too rude. Uh, he thinks you're too you're too truthful. You're too blunt for him. He can't take it. He's he's a little soft. That's why he don't want you at the party. He, well, he I, I, I got everything. I got to tell you, uh, KH1 is that your your name? Yes, that's my graffiti tag name. And luckily, because I have a cat named Krylon, prevents me from going out graffiti bombing. Because I got to take care of her now instead, which is way better. And um, I and I do techno mixes and listen to you on the radio. Then after. You were on. I listened to Greg Kelly, and then after uh, I listened to George Norrie when um, Frank comes on. Ah, no, no, no. What you got to do, KH1. KH1. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, He's when, so when. He's so boring, though. And yeah, but when, when, were you, when were you throwing up your work? When were you uh, putting up your, uh, your, your art? Ah, it wasn't art. It's vandalism graffiti. Uh, I was doing graffiti before hip hop. I adopted the term graffiti, so I started doing it in 1978, 1979, from 80, then all throughout the 80s, and then by 80, 1989, I kind of stopped and got into the club scene. 
So I go in the red zone. So what was your tag? KH. KH. Yep, KH. Cool Howie or Kosher Howie. And where where would you normally where would you normally put your tags up? Oh man, white boy. Oh, I'd be going to the worst neighborhoods on purpose. On purpose. Uh, uh, Dumbo, Brooklyn, when it was all just abandoned factories. There was no hipsters down there, and it was pretty pretty dangerous. And the Times Square, Times Square, Forty Second Street. And the Bronx and 181st Street over the George Washington Bridge into Spanish Harlem. So I lived in New Jersey. And I was the first graffiti writer from New Jersey to get up in New York in 1987. So pretty much any dangerous areas I'd be getting up in and then come back home. Now, were you part of a graffiti crew? No. Uh, I was a loner. I didn't want to be hanging out with anyone. anyone because if, then if I didn't want to share my spots because now if I'm getting up. Now they're going to get up, too. And I'm just I'm a skinny white boy. I can't fight, you know. I just gotta just get up and don't be seen and stay out of the way when no one's looking. Get up again. And back in those days, people didn't really care. That's true. That's true. Uh, we'll have to discuss graffiti at a future uh, show. Graffiti vandals. And I'll describe to you the uh, techniques uh, that I taught the guardian angels on how to squash those who are throwing up their. Their, uh, their art, as they called it, in the layups, in the yards, in the tunnels, wherever they could get their hands on a stolen can of spray paint. Oh, wow. This ought to be the uh, theme song for all those who are attempting to form unions now. Where you never thought before that would be a possibility. And New York City has become the center for union organizing across the country. In fact, so much so, it's caused Howard Schultz, who was the uh, CEO of Starbucks, to come back for a third time. Howard Schultz, who originally was from the Bayview Housing Projects in Canarsie, Right on, uh, right on Rockaway Parkway, off of Exit 13 on the Bell Parkway. He uh, grew up, came out of a household uh, that was, uh, I wouldn't say poor and impoverished, lower middle class. Went to Canarsie High School. Uh, took care of uh, Jeff Sally, the great basketball player. Also played for Canarsie High School. Went on to play for the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and the Detroit Pistons. And it's a uh, sports broadcaster now out in uh, La La Land. But Howard Schultz, he was uh, always uh, trying to find the edge. Uh, When he was going to Canarsie High School, he would uh, walk along Flatlands Avenue and walk into the uh, Lucchese social clubs and play cards. He was a real card shark, uh, but not a fighter. So if he lost, he lost. He got cleaned out. But eventually, he pulled his resources, and when uh, Starbucks only had 11 locations in Seattle, that was the epicenter of their activity, he bought it lock, stock, and barrel, and you know the story ever since. It's grown in leaps and leagues. But the reason he's returned as the CEO for a third time is that the previous CEO, Kevin Johnson, uh, who... uh, wanted to uh, buy back uh, more of the company's stock, which uh, was a great thing for the stockholders. 
but not necessarily for the baristas, the employees. So the employees were saying, no, no, no. And they uh, formed their first uh, union up in Buffalo, which almost elected a socialist mayor. But it was interesting, uh, Howard Schultz had not yet returned the CEO of Starbucks, but he went up to Buffalo, and while having uh, wings uh, and Jenny's uh, Genesee beer, was trying to lobby the workers, his baristas in that uh, in that Starbucks, not to join a union. He failed. They joined the union, and eleven more of the Starbucks stores have voted to form unions. Their flagship uh, their flagship Starbucks is in Chelsea, in Lower Manhattan. And it's interesting because the way they're doing it isn't uh, that somebody is sending in professional organizers from the Teamsters or the AFL-CIO, the parent organizations. No. They're being uh, organized by the workers internally. In fact, it's thought that some of the workers are purposefully finding work with Starbucks, becoming baristas, and then within uh, a few months, like pods that have been planted within the structure of Starbucks at a store, they begin the process of organizing or trying to schedule a vote for a union to exist in a store that they're working in. So it's very meticulous. It's from the inside out as opposed to the way it used to be done for years when uh, the AFL-CIO or the Teamsters or some other parent union organization would send in organizers and try to organize the workers when they left the workplace, when they would go home or would go to a local gin mill or bar. Now, some of the activities are, once you become employed by Starbucks, some of the people who have been employed specifically chose to work at Starbucks to organize there. And so they seem to be having a lot of luck. But at a recent conference of stockholders, Howard Schultz told the story to the stockholders that even though he might be liberal and progressive, which he is, hopelessly, even though uh, he considers the workers at Starbucks, the baristas' partners, they're not. But what he had to say about unions totally flipped the script when it came to what we thought Howard Schultz and others who are owners and operators of the Starbucks were to the far, 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 far left. Apparently, when it comes to unions, they're not. Now, here's where it gets a little sensitive because I've been coached a little bit, but I do want to talk about something pretty serious. We can't ignore what is happening in the country as it relates to companies throughout the country being assaulted in many ways by the threat of unionization. Wow, assaulted. That's not the way a liberal and progressive talks, assaulted by unions. Uh, that caused, uh, caused quite a bit of blowback for Howard Schultz out there in Seattle, the latte capital of the world. Uh, but New York City has become the union organizing capital of the world, not only because of what's happening within Starbucks, many of those stores having unionized here in New York City against the wishes and will of Howard Schultz and the stockholders, but also it was the first Amazon Warehouse to organize a union. And that occurred just the uh, other week in Staten Island. 
whereas their attempt to do so in Besmir, uh, Alabama, failed or appears to have failed. The effort in the Staten Island warehouse was was successful. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Would love to talk to any of you out there who have been involved in unions, who maybe are retired uh, and at one time worked uh, in a union uh, shop, uh, in a clothes shop, uh, just to get your your sense of where unions are now. Now, the total number of Americans in unions now have uh, depreciated noticeably. Uh, No longer what it was uh, in uh, my dad's time when I first uh, became aware of the union he worked for. Not worked for, but was represented by the National Maritime Union in the 60s. Uh, Many of you have seen uh, the National Maritime Old Headquarters. It's uh, north of 14th Street uh, off of uh, 8th Avenue. And it looks like uh, the side of a sea vessel. Uh, in which you're, you're in uh, steerage, you're looking out uh, port vessels, uh, is really a fascinating piece of architecture. But the National Maritime Union, which had its fair share of problems, had to sell that. And then they uh, eventually ended up down where St. Vincent's Hospital was, right across the street. They had to uh, leave that because so few Americans were sailing uh, and uh, were members of the National Maritime Union. I, I remember going uh, down with my father uh, to the old National Maritime Union headquarters in which he would shape up as a bosun. A bosun was somebody who was answerable to management, but a hard, a, a solid member of the union. A uh, bosun would be responsible for the whole crew on the ship. Uh, they would be given responsibilities by the captain or the first mate, second mate, or third mate. I, I guess you uh, could say they were the equivalent of being like a sergeant in the military. And they would have to carry out those orders. And so they would get it from the workers, and at times they would get it from management. But I'll never forget seeing him shape up uh, to catch a ship because uh, it was all based on seniority. If you had the seniority, you could hook up with the ship. If you didn't have the seniority, you had to hope that nobody with seniority was going to choose that uh, ship to ship out with. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And it's interesting because the head of the AFL-CIO, the largest parent, uh, uh, parent union in charge of so many other unions, is a woman. For the very first time, a woman named uh, Liz Schuler, And now she has the problem that there are other entities trying to organize unions, but they don't want to be affiliated with the AFL-CIO. They want to be small. They want to be lean. They want to be mean. And they want, they want to organize internally from within the work site, not from the outside with professional labor organizers. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As an example, this new union, this new Amazon union is different than the traditional unions at that Staten Island warehouse because many of their members who were employed by Amazon at the warehouse had joined the work site specifically to organize a union. So they were able to organize from the inside and they're not affiliated with the AFL-CIO. They're an independent and autonomous union. And what happens is whenever uh, workers decide to take a vote as to whether they'll be unionized or not unionized, 
the key issue is job security. The workers feel like, oh, my God, uh, we could potentially lose our job. And the fear is real, especially if the vote doesn't work out the way uh, workers would hope it might in terms of manifesting into a union. Meantime, down in Besamere, Alabama, Amazon also had the, uh, the workers there trying to organize uh, a union shop there. And, uh, well, there's just so many different situations that transpire that I just have to say that from my experiences of watching my father, and it was a great experience because when we would pick him up uh, at the ship, when the ship would come in to the port of Brooklyn, or the port of Staten Island as he'd sail in through the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cull to the tank farms, or the port of Newark and Elizabeth, or or even uh, over near Red Hook. I'll never forget, he uh, told me without a doubt that when you're part of a union, you don't cross a picket line. This is uh, the way it used to be in the 60s. So he was introducing me to longshoremen who had their own union, and they were on a strike, and he had come into the port, and uh, they would not allow the ship to be uh, unloaded. So my father told me that the uh, National Maritime Union, which represented the guys on the ship, would not cross that line. And he didn't so much say that it was about making money or any kind of benefits, although that was always in the mix when dealing with management. He said the main thing was dignity, that workers should not be treated with indignity. He told me that the most important part of a union uh, management relationship is that the workers be treated with dignity. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Greg, who's calling from Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Greg. How you doing? Great show. Uh, Now, whereabouts in Ohio are you from, Greg? Deverville. And where is that? The home of Dean Martin. Ah, okay. Okay, Steubenville, Ohio, and uh, also Jimmy the Greek. Yes, yes. Wow. raised there. Yeah, now, uh, yeah. you were uh, in what union? AFL-CIO. Okay, and uh, did, you have, did you have an affiliate? Uh, I, well, we was the Utility Workers Union of America. I was actually, I'm a retired union president. Ah, so uh, how many years were you in the union? Uh, 30 years. Okay, and how did you see changes take place over the years? Oh, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. You know, you you talk about Amazon. Yes. They just unionize. They'll just, they'll just shut it down, that's all. They'll just close it. Well, Walmart, Walmart years ago had a, uh, in California, had a, facility where they made all their meat. They butchered all their meat with a bunch of butchers and they unionized and a couple months later Walmart said we're closing the place. You know, you know there's no such thing as a union if you ain't got a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, now, what were the what, what were the men and women that you represented? What what skills did they have? A uh, power plant. I run a power plant. Coal mm-hmm. plant. Okay, so for 40 years I was an operator in a power plant, yeah. And uh, it's how, still, it's how? Still open. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go it's ahead. Still open. Coal plant still open. Still make electricity. Yep. Out of coal. I retired from. 
Yeah, I retired from there 40 years as an operator. All right, yep. and then what were the biggest problems that you had with management? Oh, I, I, I always took them to strike like three times. Huh. I, yeah, but uh, to the very end, they finally settled. But, you know, that guy uh, you're talking about from uh, Starbucks? Yes. I bust his balls. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Howard Schultz. You, know, you, are not, you are not a company without your employees. Hmm. You know, and, and a typical management, you know, they think their employees are just, you know, they're just another number. And, and that guy there, no bust his balls, that's all. Now, when you got, when you would call a strike at the power plant, would other unions cross your picket line? Uh, a funny story, we almost took them to strike one time and found out that all the other locals had signed an agreement that they wouldn't strike. So, uh. It was one union that cutting out other. Yeah, we have a lot of that going on. That goes on because you have you have the union that you know in a powerhouse, and then you have contractors come in, pipe fitters, boiler makers. They're all different unions, and they're all fighting amongst each other. They're all about the money. So what are you going to do? Now, uh, a place like Steubenville, which was known to be like a little Chicago, uh, how did you keep uh, organized crime uh, out of uh, the union affairs? Organized crime. I never saw it. In Steubenville, Ohio? No, 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 Steubenville. Huh. Steubenville used to be called a little Chicago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like Young, so, like Youngstown and Warren. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had, yeah, they had their share of it back. You know, uh, my, uh, couple of my uncles, they used to, uh, they used to, uh, run around with Dean Martin. Yep. Yep. So now, uh, Without a union, if you had not had a union there of the workers that worked in that uh, electrical plant, what probably would have happened? What would have been the difference in terms of wages and benefits and such? I'll probably make maybe a third of what we were making. I left there making $46 an hour. So when you left, you were making $46 an hour. Yeah, maybe you know, no union, probably about twenty dollars an hour, you know, and then cut through. You know, call you and just fire you for anything. And what uh, what kind of benefits uh, did the average worker have? Oh, we had great benefits. I fully paid health care till the last couple of years of my retirement. So, but that was all because of the union too. You know, I mean, uh, what are you going to do? That's the way it goes. But you know, it's funny because they they opened up uh, right outside of Steubenville. They opened up this giant Walmart warehouse. And it employs about maybe a thousand guys. And I used to uh, stop at a local restaurant in the morning on the way home from work and talk to these guys, you know, and they would tell me things that Walmart would do to them. And I would just laugh, you know, just like, you know, and like you can't, but they would, they would take guys, they would run, uh, uh, machines in the, in the company, you know, picking up pallets and stuff, you know, and, uh, they would give them a lading in the morning and say, you know, you had uh, a 50, 50 moves to make during the day. You know, you had to take this pallet from here down to refrigeration or put on a truck, you know, and these guys. And they're making pretty good money, $18 an hour. But then that's good money, I guess. And uh, well, one buddy said, you know, they give you a, a lading in the morning, and you got to do 50 moves, you know. Well, he said, you're making 50 moves in the first couple hours, and then you back your truck over in the corner somewhere, and you just take it easy the rest of the day. So Walmart come out and said, well, we're putting GPS on these machines now. 
So they put GPS on them, and they call you in the office. They say, well, wait a minute here. You made these 50. What would you do for two hours? <laughs> yeah, here's 50 more. <laughs> you know, these guys, I talk to them, they'd be whipped. You know, they work eight hours, you know, it's just nonstop for eight hours. And, and it's like they're making 18 bucks an hour. And, and they find, eight, you know, if they think a guy uh, is going to, it's like part of an organization where he wants to organize a union, they bring a team in. Walmart gets this team they bring in. They, they, they on twenty four hour notice. They bring this team in and they grab them employees. And they all pull them into separate little meetings, and they say, "We're going to get to the bottom of this. Who the organizer is?" And then they fire him. They fire him. You know, what I'm saying get rid of him, <laughs> just because you know when they hired, when they opened this place up, it's a hell of a facility. It's maybe three hundred trucks there at one one day, one you know, going in and out of this place. But uh, when they were hiring. If you went to apply for a job and they said, well, my name's Greg. Where did you work at before, Greg? Well, I worked for AEP. Well, they're union, right? And they would never hire you. They would not hire anybody who had any connection to a union whatsoever. Wow. That, they were hardcore. So this was Walmart. Sam Walton. Yeah. Well, when they built it, when they built it, they brought in illegal immigrants from Mexico and they kept all the contractors out of the High Valley from working there. Pipe fitters, bricklayers, steel, all they, they kept them completely out. They put a fence around the whole facility with security guards. And they bring these illegal workers in buses, you know, 10 buses a day to build a place because they didn't want to pay union wage. Wow. You know, they pay these guys, they pay these guys $8 an hour where union wage is, you know, $30, $40 an hour, you know? Sure. They kept all the contractors. All the contractors from the High Valley out there from building. And then the township, uh, they gave them like a $15 million tax break. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just screwed thousands of workers in the High Valley from working there, and now you give them a $15 million tax break. <laughs> it's all about the money. <laughs> now, what was the worst labor situation that you uh, experienced or watched in which a, a union tried its best but just got crushed uh, by the owners and operators of the business that they worked for? I got hired. I worked for, uh, it used to be called a high medicine. And I got hired right after they went on strike. So all the guys that I worked with, they went through the strike. We called it the big strike, you know. And they had them down to pushing dirt in the bunkers for coal, you know. And the, the union, the AFL-CIO, could not get the guys to vote for the, the new bargain agreement. So what they did was they mailed out, they mailed their votes to their homes. Well, guess who voted? Most of the wives voted. You know I'm saying in the past. <laughs> so how's that work? You know what I'm saying. So well, they almost burnt the place to the ground. I mean, uh, my buddy was he was standing uh, uh, Union Watch on a fence line around the plant and some. Uh, Guy come up to him and he was working for, uh, they hired a security outfit. I don't know. The ones that used to bust all the unions. Uh, geez, what the hell was their name? They busted the coal unions, uh, something brothers. Anyway, they were just going down to local bars and say, you want to work for us, security, you know, and they put them, they give these guys in there. And this guy come running up the fence with a suitcase. Do the suitcase over the fence and said, I'm out of here. My buddy just turned his head and said, hey, climbed over the fence and ran, you know, because. They were throwing rocks at them, and you know how it goes. I mean, it was a hell of a strike. But those guys, the company, 
as I worked in that company over the years, they eventually made them all bosses <laughs> because they, they didn't want them stirring up any more union stuff, you know? Yeah. So the ex-union president ended up being a supervisor. The treasurer become a big shot in the company. They all made them white hat management because, they, you know, they wanted the union guys to be gone, you know? So that was a good time. But I, I always wanted to strike a couple times and, but Amazon, they'll just close it down. That's all I'll do. Mm-hmm. That's what they do with the coal unions. You know, back in the, back in the, in the 60s and 70s, coal was king. Uh, I live in the coal country. I know, you know, coal was king, and the unions became so strong. And the government kept saying, how in the hell can we get these these, these coal mines, these unions, to weaken their ass, you know, get rid of them? Yep. So they said, we'll just create the EPA. It worked. The EPA put up. Thousands of the coal miners out of work. You know, that's how the government got rid of them. That's how it works. All about the money. Anyway, you got a great show. Oh, I do appreciate that. And appreciate I to tell you, tell you, real quick before I get off here. I'm 66 years old. I've been smoking pot since I'm 16 years old. Mm, mm. You've been smoking uh, pot since you were 16. Yes. And but you- I don't smoke it all the time. I just smoke it like, you know, every once in a while you get out a bottle of wine. Sure, yeah, sure. You get your pretty women with you. Get your pretty women with you, you know, get out of bottle of wine. Well, you pour a big doobie, you know, we have some great sex. So it works it works good for me. <laughs> so <laughs> now now when you had to go to do your job at the electrical plant, you weren't like uh, half half in the bag and wired up, were you? Oh no, I was on a piss test, so I had to get around that, so that worked. All but, right. Well appreciate you sharing your experiences, Greg. All right, take care. Take care. That's uh, Greg from Steubenville, Ohio, the hometown of Dean Martin. That's right. Remember on uh, Sunday nights after the uh, Ramsey Mazda Sinatra two hours uh, featuring Joe Piscopo on uh, 6 to 8, then it's Dina Martin, uh, Dean Martin's uh, daughter, uh, who intros uh, the many Dean Martin classic songs from 8 to 9, and that's when I return, 9 o'clock on Sunday nights. And then uh, two hours of normal talk and then a special hour dedicated to animal welfare. That's 11 to 12. And then the barrier comes in. Uh, I call him Barrier Man now. That's Dominic Carter. He's on from uh, 12 uh, to 1. So that's this way Frank Morano, you know, he is the, uh, he's the golden child. He is the untouchable. Uh, he can do no wrong. Uh, he's able to do his program from one to five without having to have me do an incursion, an intervention, and ask him questions. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Padre Filio Spiritu Santum. As we approach uh, in this Lenten season, uh, Palm Sunday. That's uh, in just. Uh, mm, little more than 24 hours. And I'll be working straight through for about 20 of those hours. Because as you know, WABC, the acronym, uh, sometimes means always broadcasting, Curtis. But for me, this is the time of the year where I get to uh, shine. Because I'm an AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. But interesting... uh, that uh, in this day, this pre-Lenten day, that the mayor, who's a hundred year, excuse me, hundred day 
first hundred days is marked on Sunday with the giving of the palms, will not be in New York all day today. He's heading up to Albany for a series of workshops about the pot industry, the cannabis industry. And I don't know if he's going to be learning how to do puff-up pass, uh, separating seeds and stems from the product, or uh, rolling fatties, uh, or uh, little toothpick joints, uh, because of the uh, rules and regulations about the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana in the state of New York. Uh, and all I had to say to Eric Adams is, Eric, you didn't have to go to Albany to spend a day learning to do that. You could have gone down to the Lower East Side, Stanton Street, and all these storefronts that have popped up that had previously been empty as a result of the lockdown and pandemic, and you would see exactly how the pot business operates. Uh, you can see the hydroponics, how they grow it. Uh, you can actually walk into a grow. Uh, you can see uh, all the different specifications of crop that is uh, that is grown and how it is divided up. Uh, it is uh, bagged up, and then uh, it is uh, part of a purchase. So, for instance, if I walked into any of these shops, I would be purchasing a vi- uh, video or I'd be purchasing a book or some kind of an object, and I'd be getting the marijuana free of charge, although the price they'd be charging me for the book or the video would be extortionary to cover, naturally, the nickel or dime bag. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jay, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. How you doing, Curtis? Well, you're doing good. that's right. Yeah, remember. Remember the rules, Jay. The Robert rules of order is don't ask me how I'm doing because I'll tell you I've had better days. Kabish, Kabish, Jay. Kabish, Hey, listen, I'm 71 years old. I've been smoking since I was 16. And that guy a few hours back said that uh, the pot's no more uh, uh, high potency now. Bull, pot, marijuana is THC, okay, tetrahydrocannabinol. That's the active agent in marijuana. I'm sure you know that. You're streetwise. You've been around. And it's generational. When we were smoking pot back in the 60s, it was I was buying from guys that were 50, 60 years old that were selling joints for a dollar. And pre-rolled, you'd have to unroll them because they had a lot of uh, extra material on them. You know what I mean? Yep. You had to re-roll them. They were too wet, you know. And uh, uh, it was generational. We saved the seeds. You don't. You don't even find seeds in pot. Even pot you buy on the street or from somebody else. You you get a seed that's a good seed. It's worth money. You sell it back to the guy you bought the pot from. You know. Well, now, uh, how would you describe uh, how you've seen the business? Uh, obviously, it's been uh, an illegal business. Uh, an underground yeah. business. How have you seen the business change over the years since you've been smoking at the age of 16 and now you're 71? Yeah, I'm 71 now. I'm, I, I talked to you a few weeks ago. I run my own uh, gas station garage, and you told me about your time at the Shell and all this and that. And and I I respect you and you respected me because we, we work for our money and, and help people. And uh the business started out. You, you, I was scared to death. My my 
18 year old brother gave me a joint, you know, made me pay him a dollar for it. And that might've started, uh, uh, two, three times a week. And it morphed into, I, I was smoking it with somebody else. My brother buys it. I'll sell it to you. That's where it started. And it was low quality, but you still went to Attica for it under governor Rockefeller. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Get tough on drugs, Governor Rockefeller, uh, Rocky, <laughs> Rocky and Sweet Thing up there. They were <laughs> they were a piece of work too. Uh, but it morphed. I mean, it just kept going and going. And you bought from your buddy. You bought. We, you know, at the most, we'd get five, six guys together that that were we'd play cards or we work on our drag cars or our bikes or whatever. And uh, our wives, girlfriends were all good friends, and and we'd sit down and smoke some pot. Well, you can only get so high. You know what I mean? It's, 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 you know, and I don't see any adverse effects. Alcohol kills brain cells also. Alcohol ruins your liver. Alcohol ruins your kidneys. I mean, it affects different people differently. Both things, you know, pot and, and uh, uh, booze. It affects people differently. Some people will get uh, cancer from smoking, uh, they'll get, uh, who knows what they've got from, you know, smoking pot. Hell, how can we believe anybody anymore? You know. Well, now question, so, uh, did you ever feel at any uh, juncture of time between the age of 16 and now 71 that you ever felt you were addicted to the use of uh, marijuana every day? I got to say that if you run out of pot, you know, we, we, we kept a quarter ounce. You know what I mean? We had a little bit and we got together and we shared. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, to make money. If we could, if we could sell Joe's, uh, younger brother, his 20 year old brother, a, a bag and make $15 on it, then that cut our, our losses. You know what I mean? Yep. But it was, it, we weren't out on the street. We didn't want to do the time for the crime, but. We traveled with it. Hell, I traveled with a pound in my car many, 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 many times before we split it up. I could have went to Attica. I had friends that went to Attica, you know. And on this, on this uh, buying buying pot, like you you just said, you might get a video, you might get a can of pop, you might get this or that, and then you get the, the nickels or dime or whatever. You know what I mean for the big bucks. Sure. And. That's all the DAs, the district attorneys. I read an article in our local paper here a week or two ago that the district attorneys are refusing to prosecute them violations, and that's why they're still doing it. They're doing it right here in my my hometown. We've got a place, one place, right in the middle of uh, the city of Olean, New York, which is Cattaraugus County, St. Bonaventure University, the whole nine yards. It's our big town, you know what I mean, Curtis. It's nothing like you guys got. Sure, but but I've been I've been to New York. Oh, one thing I want to ask you. That's the reason I call. We came in 1969 to New York City uh, to visit a friend that lived in Queens, and I believe that the street was Nostrand Avenue. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Nostrand Avenue is actually in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. Well, it was so it was so big to us it was overwhelming. You know what I mean? Uh, they knew where, where we were from. We kept looking up. You know, we got mountains down here that aren't as tall as your buildings. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's the truth. And anyway, Fifth Avenue, 
from uh, 40 sec- or 42nd Street from up around 5th Avenue somewhere. We started walking down it. It was a big festival. And we, we heard a band, and I've been asking everybody the past 20, 30, 40 years, do you remember a group called David Gates and the Lower East Side? David Gates and the Lower East Side, a uh, musical group. Yes. No, no, no. Okay, that's what they, they proclaimed themselves to be. There was a sign there. They were playing on 42nd Street. And and we were always told 42nd Street was a microcosm of the world from from where it started down to the East Village or wherever it ended. And we walked for miles and miles that day, and, and it was just un, unbelievable, you know. Uh, girls coming up and hitting on us for their boyfriends. <laughs> wow. Wow. That must have made you feel like Mr. Big Stuff. Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, Mr. Big Stuff. Yeah. I mean, oh here it God. is. You're coming from all the way up in western New York, down to the big city, and females with guys are coming up and hitting on you. Yeah, for their guy. <laughs> What what the deal was? I have no idea. We you you involved. must you must have been in toxic shock. <laughs> yeah, it was like that tampon disease, toxic toxic shock. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but I'm having a. I've always had a good sense of humor, and I love listening to you. I've been listening to you for the past three four hours, oh. and uh, and I love listening to your people down there. Uh, we always thought New York City should fall off into the Atlantic Ocean. You know why? People always said that back in the 50s and 60s when we were kids mm. because of the taxes and, and the, the 8 million people and the whole nine yards. You know what I mean? They had a misconception of it up here, you know? Yeah, well, over the years, uh, a lot of people not only made enough money and retirement to take them down to Florida – but they worked in those correctional uh, jails and systems that most of which was populated by guys from the five boroughs of the city of New York. Yeah, absolutely. And I give I give them all a standing ovation uh, for working in that environment. I give all the people, like you said, the people that have got to get to work, the ones that are still there, the 60% of the buildings that are empty, there's still other buildings there, and people got to get to work. And they're hitting them with hammers. They're beating them up. They're kicking them. Uh, you know, I just don't understand that. I, I'm from the I'm from the woods. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm from the woods. You say your 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 wife likes to come up into Pennsylvania to shoot her guns and stuff. Well, that's admirable. I I love to hear that. You must feel like you're just out and and having fun doing it. You know what I mean? Well, I, we're two totally different types. Uh, uh, I I I have no interest in guns. I've been uh, shot enough times uh, to want to stay away from guns. But my wife, uh, the, 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 she has more excitement knowing she's going to go visit her mother in Milford, Pennsylvania, so she could get her hands on her a stash of AK-47s and go out into the woods and just shoot shoot stuff. She won't shoot an animal, but she just shoots stuff. And it's like getting all her frustration out, I guess, uh, for being married to me. Well, <laughs> Well, I want to I want to uh, shake your hand too someday. I hope. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen. It probably won't. But uh, in symbolic uh, revelry towards you, I'd like to shake your hand. Oh, most definitely. You, we'll make sure that that happens, Jay. You've been around a long time, Curtis, and you've seen a lot, and you've done a lot, 
I've been a cat man all my life. That's why I like you and your wife for that aspect. Uh, we could get along. You know what I mean? We'd be, we'd be from two different planets. You oh know yeah. What I then, mean? then you can come down here and do puff, puff, pass. <laughs> one of the, one of the brothers at Woodstock got me smoking a blunt. I, n- I never knew what a blunt was. You know what I mean? I had backstage press passes for for Woodstock in in, in uh, '69. The the newspaper, the local newspaper, it was like a money saver. They didn't want to have anybody out there to do a story. I said, I'll go do it. My brother worked at the paper. He was a linotype operator, the old typewriter, hot lead, the whole nine yards. Sure, you know, sure. In the in the '60s, and uh, he got me to go out there. I had to write two articles for him. Well, that wasn't hard. I. I used to make up book reports all through high school. I never read a book, made up the book reports. <laughs> and so uh, how many days did you spend in Woodstock? Uh, Wednesday through Sunday night. Wow. And what were your experiences there? Oh, my God. Janice Joplin kissed me, and I. this is not sexual or anything, but she stuck her tongue halfway down my throat. She was quite a girl. <laughs> yeah, did, uh, did you get a little swizzle of Southern comfort when she uh, tongue-tied you? She she should have had a label around her chest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, Southern comfort. And uh, were but, you uh, shocked? We, we were drinking we were drinking jelly beans. We were drinking two two shot shot glasses and a set on the bottom, licorice, slow gin in the middle, and or. Uh, uh, Southern Comfort in the middle and Slow Gin on top, and wow. neither one of them mixed. You know, we'd used to drink, drink them by the trays. <laughs> by the trays, <laughs> man, right. you'd be lucky you could walk after that. Oh my God, we, we used to. How many times have you heard this? I drank myself sober, so that's what I thought. You know. <laughs> now, when you looked out at that crowd, since you got there early. And you saw that crowd assemble at Woodstock and music being played almost around the clock for three days. What were you saying to yourself? Because nobody had had that experience before. No, we'd been to smaller concerts, you know, at, at Rich Stadium where the Bills play. Uh, you mentioned Rich Stadium, and I kind of thought of that. But we'd go to Pittsburgh. We'd go to uh, just out of uh, Steubenville, Ohio, that last guy there, Warren, Ohio. We went to a few concerts down there. Youngstown, we had some relation down there. And what I thought when I looked out was, wow, what a humanity. You know, this is like New York City. It's got to be. And we went to New York City later that that uh, that summer, you know. Well, those, those are great memories, Jay. Feel free to call anytime because we got more to discuss in terms of those, those three solid days at Woodstock. Let's flip the script to Burt. Uh, who originally identified himself originally living in Fairfield, Connecticut, and living in uh, the western portion of the Ukraine. Are you still there, Bert? Hey there, Curtis. It's really you. There's so many changes, surprises. Um, it's really you, right, Curtis? That's it. It's me in the flesh. Now, are you still in western uh, Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Um, just wanted to call for a couple of minutes, just a few updates. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, it's you know, it's still tense, a little scary. Uh, I made a, a move from where I was originally about a couple of weeks ago because I, I wanted to change locations um, and store my possessions in case I had to make a move drastically, you know, suddenly. So I moved closer to 
some family I have here. And and that's that. Um did a couple of things this past week or so. Um went to um observe some funerals around here from the some of the soldiers that died back east. Um that there were there've been some uh, solemn occasions, you know, where um, people here remember the a lot of the civilians that um that died. Um so yeah, I'm here. A lot of the sirens going off. People are tense, waiting to see if any more missiles um drop um drop down around here. But um yes, it's still nothing much has changed. People are tense, wondering what's gonna happen in the next month or so. Now do and, you uh do you see a movement of any troops in and around you? There are some locations that are that have soldiers around that are support groups. So um there's always a, a possibility that something may happen around here. So we see uh, of course we have um the routes that um come from the bordering countries that head on to the east. Um we're seeing we're we're happy because a lot of us, me and some other folks, we talk about what what may happen and uh, what's happening. We're uh, happy to see that more weapons are heading that way. We're looking forward to the um, the aircraft that should be heading. We think soon here into Ukraine. Um, we talk about that. Um, yeah, but we see we see soldiers everywhere. We see a lot of the some troops walking around with the checkpoints, getting ready. We see a lot of um, those hedgehogs, those metal um, contraptions around the around the city. Um, but yeah, people are trying to go about their their lives, but still, it's um, it's scary and tense. Um, people still heading toward the the borders. There's not a day that goes by where you see the the people coming from the far eastern parts of the the country with their suitcases making their way to the the train stations um to the bus station so that that's a that's a constant every day um yeah like i said i, I made a a move this past week to somewhere i guess more secure around more people and um yeah we're we're, we're even talking about uh in the short term or long term that we think um the leadership in Russia is not going to last long and so we're we're talking about that here we're talking about what may happen in the next few weeks um but yeah that's that's about it um I don't know what uh, you have any questions sure um, sure uh what's your access like uh, you and the people you're surrounded there in the Ukraine towards uh Normal food, uh, normal beverage, water—those the basics. Yeah, um, well, you see more and more in the in the stores. The the supplies are depleted. Uh, you don't really—it's not so easy to find what you're used to getting. Um, even in the last couple of weeks, you see the shelves emptying. Um, the water—you um, can you can get it, and it's more ready. Like around the train stations, they they make it a point to have um, water free for the refugees and even whoever needs it around around town. But in the supermarkets, even in these um, these warehouses, um, like the they're, they're like the Home Depots or Walmart, you see a lot of the supplies depleting, and um, they're just letting. It seems like they're letting the the shelves deplete, either because they can't get them so so readily or they're. You're not sure what may happen. Um, 
a couple of weeks ago, I think we talked about uh, those missiles that hit around here. Um, those strikes were near, actually, the last missile strike near that oil depot. That was right near, right, right near um, one of those warehouse um, stores, um, which was um, kind of scary because I was there the, the day before. But it was, but yeah, a lot of the supplies, foodstuffs on the shelves in the supermarkets, these warehouses are depleting. And it, it's coming in slow. Well, what's so, the um, uh, what's the mood of the uh, f- your fellow residents there in the Ukraine? You you're originally an American, uh, but uh, do you do you see other ex-Americans and other uh, folks there from other countries? I have I have a lot of these um, that I've seen. I've seen some again. I, I talked to uh, a couple few um, that live here, and some that um, quite a few that have come over the border to help yeah i I think i'm sure you hear about the um foreigners that have come to to help to fight and they they usually come from through the border through poland and they end up a lot of them end up in in lviv to go through some training you know because that's what they they want to do so they they go through some training so i have talked to some i've met some um just briefly and they they, they're eager you know whether they're um ex-military veterans or just people that just, hey, I want to go. Um, and they're they eager to do so. And they they get, they get some reality into what it takes because they do have to get some bit of training here before they actually sent out to the east where a lot of the fighting is. And some stick around here um, as far as the for the territorial defense part uh, where you have some patrols around here. So I have met some and... Um, but you see the eagerness in their in their faces, and some of them don't realize probably not yet what what a what a war zone really is. So um, some of them do, of course, because um, I've seen quite a few um, vets from um, Britain, um, the U.S., even Canada, and a couple from uh, I think I met one or two from India, um, and some close by one from Germany I've met. Um, but yeah, I I met some, and again, they they have that um, that youthful eagerness to help um, fight a war for this uh, democracy, freedom, those type of things. And uh, very quickly, uh, what is it that you think uh, the Americans need to know who are listening to you now? Uh, well, again, um, the thought here is that everybody here is fighting um, this war for everybody. And I think even the president has um, has expressed that, and them them to know that that's what it really is. Um, people are suffering for sure. I know uh, people see the images, the videos uh, on TV or online, and it's very real here. I mean, uh, I, I even I go through the news um, to see what's being reported back home, and it's very real here. It's it, here. It's um, very sad. Just I think everybody wants to wants people back. Um, in the West, to know that it's it's very sad here. It's very depressing, and it's very real. And not to forget what's going on here. I know people tend to forget, um, but it's um, uh, very hard for a lot of people here. Well, we, very real. People are dying. Yeah, we appreciate Bert you keeping us uh, updated. Uh, one of our Americans uh, from Fairfield, Connecticut, who married a Ukrainian uh, woman. Uh, went to live in western uh, Ukraine. He's hunkered down there, and he calls up on occasion to give us uh, an update from an American's uh, perspective. 
because obviously there's so much news and information to filter through. It's always nice to be able to hear from one of your own who can give you the American perspective, not just the perspective of an East European or Ukrainian or those who may may digest and think of things in a lot different way than our fellow Americans. So we appreciate uh, your. 